Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Randolph Shepard Vendors of New York presentation for the American Council of the Blind of New York's annual state convention. My name is Karen Blackowitz, and this is one time that I did not introduce myself as President Karen because I'm switching hats today. Right now, I am presenting as a member of the Randolph Shepard Vendors Program of New York. I am a blind vendor and very proud of that. I am equally proud of the advocacy work that Randolph Shepard Vendors of New York um, will, uh, will do on their new uh, endeavor and venture. Um, along um, with them, we do have representatives from National. So what I'm gonna do at this point is I'm gonna introduce everybody on the line. Um, and we have Alex Meister, who will be hosting the majority of the presentation, who is the Randolph Shepard Vendors of New York president. Alex? Hello, everyone. Thank you, Alex. Bye. We really appreciate you putting on this presentation for us. Um, I'm just going to go through a few more of the introductions, and I'm going to hand it over to you. Um, okay. From, from our national organization, I see that we have... Scott Egan is on the line, who is the first vice president of Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. Scott, welcome. Well, thank you. I, I would say uh, good afternoon, but it is still morning here, so good day. Thank you. And I am hoping that Dan Sippel is on the line, who is the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America national president. Dan, are you with us? Okay, maybe not yet. We'll keep an eye out for, for Dan. Um, and now to a, f a couple of my, my favorite people, which, you know, I kind of have to say that, but, but I really do mean it. The director of the New York State Business Enterprise Program is Louise Warner, and welcome, Louise. Good afternoon, Karen. Thank you for having me. Look Thank you for being Thank you for being here. This next gentleman I have to introduce, and this was quite puzzling to me. I, I had to do a little research to actually find out his title. So I, um, I wanna say that his actual formal title with New York State is a business specialist too. However, I, I am gonna give him my own introduction. This is like, I, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the movie The Wizard of Oz, but you know the little guy behind the curtain that seems to to kind of make sure everything is running smooth and and check up on everything and, and do a lot of the behind the scenes things. That would be Mr. Bill Fisk. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you, Karen. Um... I don't know if I want to be compared to the man behind the curtain, but uh, <laughs> thank you anyway. But it really was a compliment. Um, you you really do a lot for the program, and and as we get into it, um, I'm hoping folks will will understand a little bit more about what the Randolph Shepard program is in New York State. At previous conventions, there have been a lot of questions. And we, we have had several presentations, but what people had asked is if we would go back to the beginning 
and, and really explain what the program is. So what I would like to do is take the first 40, 45 minutes of this program and really introduce the program and what it is. And I want people to understand that um, it's, it's, it's been an amazing career for myself and I'm sure for Alex as well. Uh, Scott uh, has been a blind vendor for many, many years. The career choices we make sometimes mold our lives. And it certainly has in my life. I am supporting a family and doing it very nicely. The second part of the presentation, we are going to talk a little bit about some of the national things going on as far as conventions and new trainings and so some really exciting things that are actually going to be coming to New York next year, God willing. But with saying all that, I'm going to jump off. And at this point, Alex Meister, if you would please take over and um, you're going to do great. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, we'd like to uh, start off today and give you a good insight to um, our New York State Business Enterprise Program. Um, Louise, could you please um, give us a good overview of uh, the New York State Business Enterprise Program? Absolutely, Alex. Um, first of all, I'd like to say good afternoon to everyone and thank you for having us join you on this convention today and hope you guys are having a really great convention. Um, I'll start off by saying I like to describe the Business Enterprise Program as an incredible opportunity for the right person. If you love working with people, um, if you like a good challenge, this might be a good fit for you. Where else can you own your own business? Rent-free, utility-free, all of your equipment, your maintenance, the repair are all taken care of for you. Have a business specialist that is there to support you and the ability to grow through promotional opportunities. In addition to that, it comes with benefits. So it, it is really an incredible opportunity for that right person. Um, the Business Enterprise Program includes an extensive training. There is both online and on-site components to it. You have support from your VR counselor and a business specialist that would be assigned to you. This allows you to operate a small business located within a state, federal, or municipality. And then within the program, we have several types of businesses that we work with. These businesses start off with what we call a small dry stand, and that's like a candy store. It, sand, candy, soda, chips, things, snacks, foods. The next level up, we have what we call our express stops. They carry all the same products that a dry stand carries, except they add products such as coffee, pre-made sandwiches and salads. Some of them will have hot dogs, or soup, pizza, you know, some prepared food that is ready to go. Um, the next level that we have is a snack bar, which basically encompasses everything that I've already discussed. And then now we add some made to order items. So maybe like a sandwich station where you could go in and order your sandwich like you would in a subway, for example. Um, we also operate full cafeterias. We have what's called an automatic. An automatic is a vending only location, but the vending is located in a building or a group of buildings that are in close proximity to each other. And finally, the last opportunities that we have out there are what's called a vending route. And a vending route is vending machines, which are located, they could be covering a large area. They usually require that you have a 
truck, that you hire at least one driver, and usually requires warehouse space. Um, in New York, we have three district offices that cover, this, cover the state. One is in Albany, Buffalo, and New York City. We also have our home office in Rensselaer. Each district office is made up of a district supervisor. They have two or three specialists there to support their pro the facilities in their area and an office assistant. And in home office, that's made up of myself, Bill. We have another business specialist and a secretary. The New York program currently has 78 businesses operated by 67 licensed managers with eight of those managers currently running more than one business here in New York. So that's kind of like a very high level overview. We're gonna discuss all kinds of pieces as we move forward, but hopefully that gives everyone a good example of what the business is. Yes, I believe that really does. Um, can you also tell us what kind of role the New York State SLA plays with in the day-to-day -day life of a business enterprise program manager? Absolutely. Um, that's one of the big benefits of being in BEP is that you do have so many different levels of support available. Um, one of the many benefits is that the state license agency is there to support the day-to-day -day operations with the goal of success and independence for our managers. That is our end goal here. BEP specialists, they visit with their managers on a minimum of once a month. Sorry, okay. Um, so they visit rough, on average at least once a month, but usually more. And they stop in to help with different things, but no, once a month they do a health and safety inspection to make sure everyone stays safe in compliance and the facility passes all required health department ag and markets inspections. Um, one thing that we were able to do this past year that has been hugely beneficial is we worked on and rolled out a custom BEP site visit app that is completely accessible to both the specialist and the manager. When the site visit is completed, the app reads the report to the manager and then emails the copy to them in an accessible format. This gives the manager the independence of referencing that report at any time without assistance. Specialists also work with the managers to maintain the facility equipment. They will help with adaptive equipment if that needs to be ordered, things such as currency counters. We have talking thermometers, um, ordering new or replacement store equipment. They'll discuss new products, suppliers in the area. Um, our specialists try to keep up on what is going on in business so that we can make sure that we keep our businesses current. They'll review business financials with the managers to ensure that they're in good working relationship with the host agencies. Um, we are located state, federal, municipalities, so we want to make sure that our manager always has a good working relationship with the building, and that's where we come in as playing that liaison piece. Um, one of the things that I'm, we're all familiar with is technology is changing faster than any of us can keep up with. As an SLA through our VR department, we also offer ways for our BEP managers to get trainings. They keep up with changes in the technology that it can affect our managers every day. Areas such as computer training, use of email, smart devices, you know, that is something today you have to be able to operate these items in order to run a business successfully. Um, things such as credit card readers, self-checkout, kiosks, other technology that's now part of business every day is all tied to technology. So the better equipped our managers can be, the more successful they are. 
The SLA supports business managers by working to expand the program, offer new opportunities to grow the program and the businesses. And at the end of the day, the SLA is here for the success and the independence of our managers, and we're here to help. And that's pretty much the day-to-day -day thing that we make ourselves available for is to help our managers be successful. Yes, uh, you know, I've always had a good working relationship with uh, everyone in BEP. Um, can you also tell us uh, or give us an overview of the education and skills or requirements a um, person may need to enter into the New York State Business Enterprise Program? Yes, um, I'm going to start with the requirement piece of it. So I'm going to kind of work a little backwards on the question that you just asked. Um, there is legal requirements to enter the program that are basically set up by the federal government when this program was put into place. Um, this program has been around since 1936, just to give everyone an understanding of how long this has been around. And in New York, actually, we have stores that were in place even prior to the legislation in 1936. But the actual requirements for coming into BEP, which we always wanna make sure that we discuss with someone first before we move further into it, is that you have to be legally blind, you have to be at least 18 years of age, and you have to be a US citizen. So those are the only requirements to come into the program. So that takes care of the legal requirement piece of it. As far as education and skills, um, New York has no official education requirement, and this can vary from state to state. So depending on where you're located, that may not be the case, but in New York, there's no official education requirement. What we do have here is we have what's called an ATC readiness evaluation. This is an evaluation of basic computer skills because they're required for the training. The training has an online portion of it. Um, there's also a math assessment that is going to help us gauge if that there's any additional training that someone might need. So both of these assessments are done so that if someone needs additional technology training or they need a brush up on their math skills, you know, if it's not something you've used every day, you might need a little brush up on it. So those are ways that we can gauge that and then work with your VR counselor to set up training prior to moving forward into the program. These are both very important skills needed in order to successfully operate your business. The commission wants to make sure that every manager trainee has all the tools necessary to help them gain the skills that they need to make them successful. Some of the necessary skills are things like being an independent traveler. Now, again, if you need assistance with that, your VR counselor can set you up for orientation mobility training so we can make sure. And we do that even as someone moves throughout the training or with our current managers, you know, if we have a manager that through promotional opportunities moves from one location to another, they may need some more orientation mobility so that they can orient themselves with their new location. So that's a, something that we offer throughout all of our managers, no matter where they are in the program. Um, Note-taking ability, something else that's very important. Um, and I think today it's much easier than it was many, many years ago through because of technology. Um, people with their iPhones or their devices, uh, braille note takers. There's all kinds of different devices there, but you need to have a method to take notes because there's a lot of information that you'll be getting and you need a way that you're gonna be able to reference this. Customer relations and social skills is a big part of what our managers do every day. And this is something that 
it's not always taught, but it's something that you want to make sure that um, someone understands that if you don't want to be out around a lot of people, you might want to rethink this. But if you love being with people and you have those social skills, or you might need a little brush up on how to work with customers, but it's a big part of what the managers do every day. Um, you know, 75% of the success of a business is your customer relations and those social skills. Understanding and being able to handle the physicality of running one of these operations. You know, there's a lot involved with, you know, stocking shelves, getting deliveries in, long days, being on your feet for 12 hours a day. So making sure someone understands that um, coming into it. Self-motivated and self-reliant, as well as having problem-solving skills, big piece of what it takes to be a BEP manager. Um, owning your own business, you are self-employed. So um, as one of my managers will tell any trainee they get, you will get out of this what you put into it. So the more motivated you are and self-reliant and working on those problem-solving skills, the more successful your business can be. That's kind of an overview of you know, what we look for and what we try to explain to potential trainees who are interested in coming into the program. Um, could you also describe the uh, training a potential manager would experience before entering or before licensing a uh, New York State manager? Yeah, the New York program has um, recently revamped the training program. You know, we like the changing world we live in, technology changes. Um, so we do like to try to make sure that we are keeping the training program flexible. We want to make this consumer driven. We want to make sure that when someone comes to our training program, we can make it as flexible as possible because we all understand that, you know, there's different things, support set, uh, support networks that someone has in place, things of that nature. So we have revamped our program in the past, about a year and a half, two years ago. It does begin with, as I mentioned before, the ATC assessment and the math assessment. Um, part of what we do in the beginning before we move any further into this is there is a credit check and a background check that needs to be completed because these can both affect opportunities that could be available to a trainee. Uh, neither of these are done to stop anyone from moving forward, but we want to make sure that, first of all, obviously your credit comes into play if you're going to operate a business. And for the background checks, because we're in state and federal buildings, we have no control over the access to those buildings. So there are certain buildings, mostly federal buildings, that certain things on a background check would not allow someone into their building. So we want to make sure if there's anything like that, that you would know in advance that, okay, you can move forward. However, these buildings would not be available to you. So we just want to make sure everyone has a full understanding coming in of what their opportunities would be. We make sure to work with the VR counselor who's going to help line up any orientation and mobility that we will use throughout the training, as I mentioned earlier. Also to make sure that the trainee is supplied with the necessary adaptive equipment needed for training, because we want to make sure that nothing stands in the way of your success. The next step after the assessments, the background checks, we take care of all that. Um, the next step is we do what's called a two-week on-site assessment. This assessment gives both the candidate and the commission an opportunity to gauge what additional help someone might need, 
as well as it gives that trainee the full feeling of what it's like to be in the store, open to close for two solid weeks. Um, you know, own your own business is not a nine to five Monday through Friday job. It's 24 seven, 365. You go home thinking about it. You're working on paperwork in the evenings, on the weekends. So we want to make sure that when someone comes in to be a BEP manager, that they understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, so this gives both the candidate and the commission the ability to assess what the program is, as well as offer those additional trainings that might come to light during this. You know, someone may think that their orientation mobility skills are great, but when you put them into a new location, they might find like, oh, maybe I do need a little brush up on this, and then we can help with that. They may discover that certain lighting in a store affects them more, that they weren't having that when they were home. Um, they may come across different technologies that we're using in the store that they may find that's going to be helpful to them. So those are the kind of things that will work out during that two-week assessment. During that two-week, or actually just prior to that two-week assessment, there is some online trainings that someone will take, as well as they will do some online trainings while they are doing that assessment. Again, number one, to give that feeling so you see that you're going to work. It's 12 hours a day. You have to go home in the evening and there is more work to do because that is what the average manager, the average business owner does. So we want to make sure we give them the full understanding of that. Part of the online that has to be done prior to going in is their sexual harassment training. In New York State, it's mandatory for all employees. So we want to make sure that our trainees even get that before they go to an on-site. So once we get through the two-week assessment, um, there's usually a meeting with the counselor, with the BEP specialist, district supervisor, and with the trainee to, you know, get their feedback from the trainee. How are they feeling about this? Is this what they want to do? Um, was there anything that they were concerned about? Any areas that they would like additional training before moving forward? They decide they want to move forward. We move on to the online portion. The online portion includes a full training on Randolph Shepherd program. There's also the National Association's National Restaurant Association's Serve Safe Food Safety Certification, sorry. Um, and this is a food safety certification that all of our business owners have before they come into their stores. They are good for five years, they renew every five years. As our businesses sell tobacco and lottery, there's also what's called a WeCard program, and that is an online training that is also taken, which basically teaches people how to do the proper carding, what's involved if you don't ID somebody. Um, we're lucky in New York State, we do have lottery that we have talking lottery terminals. Um, they also on there scan the ID. So there's things in place that will help someone if they can't see the ID that they can scan it on the lottery uh, terminal and that will read it for you. Trainees next, move on to a six week on-site training. Now, this is really the, the meat of the entire training. This is where you get that hands-on training. Um, you spend six weeks open to close. Gives you the full experience of running your own business. Basically, the on-site starts with shadowing the manager. You slowly work to take over the tasks. And then finally move to taking over that business with that BEP manager there and your business specialist to oversee. So you have them uh, at your back. So you have their support, but they allow you to take over running the business at the end. So this gives you that full experience there. 
The plan is for the trainee to take over running the business. They order the product, they're paying the bills, they're balancing the cash drawer, they're making the deposits, overseeing employees if there's employees at that location. And this, you know, you're not going to get the full experience as you are once you get into your own store, but it gives you a really good foundation for that next step. Um, we find this works very well and it offers a safety net for having a BEP manager and a specialist there to guide you and assist you. So it's not like, you know, hand you the keys to the business and say goodbye. You have that support. Then once you are licensed and have, are put into a store, you continue to have that support. You know, your specialist is there with you for the first two weeks, open to close. They stay longer if need be. Then they'll start slowly backing out. And then eventually you would get onto that once a month rotation that they see all of their other managers. But that's kind of a very high level overview. There's a lot involved in the training. It's a lot of information. And that's why those note-taking skills in the beginning are very important because there will be a lot of information that is coming at someone when they're going through this training. Okay, thank you. Um, Louise, I'm sure everybody's interested. Uh, with all that being said, could you tell us the average time a uh, manager would be in training before becoming licensed? That is usually one of the first questions everyone wants to know, and it's really one of the toughest ones to answer. It varies greatly from one person to the other. Um, the one thing that we've been we're very proud of the New York training program is that it is customized to the individual. Um, you know, one of the issues that we've had in the past is if it's a classroom training and it moves at the speed of the class, you could have varying degrees of um, where somebody's at and we don't want anybody holding anybody else back. So this training was set up so that it works at your speed We've had people that have gone through this program in as little as four months. We've had others that have taken well over two years. Um, on average, I would say that we usually will tell somebody that on average, it's about a year to complete, year and a half, depending on the individual. This is where that self-motivated, self-reliant, you know, we have people, if you're going to get on there and work on your online courses and take care of a lot of, that's usually where the biggest holdup is because that is where you are on your own. That's the self-driven part that if anyone has ever taken any online courses, if you can do them at your own speed, some people will knock them out one night after the other. Others are going to take their time at it. Um, but that is the benefit to how the program is set up. Um, what we really see is how motivated an individual is. And that usually tells about how ambitious and driven that person is. And that usually comes through when they are licensed and then are running their own business. But to give just a blanket answer, I would say about a year, year and a half, but it does vary from person to person. Okay. That sounds good. Um, Bill, are you still with us? No, Alex, I fell asleep listening to Louise. Well, that's why I wanted to ask. I didn't want to just hear some snoring over there. Um, can you uh, please tell us um, what the average income is for a New York State uh, vendor? Well, we operate on a federal fiscal year is how we report to uh, the federal government on this type of information. And uh, for fiscal year 2000. 1819 our average uh, income for manager was close to $51,000 a year um that that is an average income so we have managers who make 
less and managers will make more. We have managers in this program who make over $100,000 a year. And we have some who make in the, say, the low 20s. But some of that is related to what Louise talked about, self-motivation. And some of it is some people are just comfortable making that lesser income and having, you know, a motivation in their life for what to do when they get up in the morning. So, but that isn't, that is another place where self-motivation comes in because we have opportunities that people can advance and earn more money. Okay. Um, can you also tell us what uh, benefits the uh, managers receive? Yes. Um, we provide a life insurance policy for all of our managers that the, that the agency purchases. We also purchase liability insurance that covers uh, all our stores and the possibility of some type of accident, whether it causes damage to the host agency's building or if, say, a customer were to slip and fall. Uh, we also reimburse our managers for the cost of their health insurance, re uh, have their health insurance premiums. So up to $3,500 a year currently. Uh, we also pay out every year an annual distribution to our managers, which annual distribution is this ambiguous term, I think, but it's because um, the agency at one time told me I couldn't call it a pension because we weren't putting it into a pension plan for people, but we do basically advise them that this is for you to set aside for your retirement and invest how you like, whether it's through a 401k or some type of other, you know, IRA type self-driven investment. All right. Okay. Well, um, with this current crisis and COVID and everything that is going on today, uh, obviously we're all dealing with it the best we can. Can you uh, please tell us how it affected uh, the New York State vendors? Well, I'm sure that number that I just gave you of $51,000 a year is probably going to be net less after we finish our reporting for this current year because many of our businesses closed down due to the state and federal office buildings shutting down and basically having very limited population in them. So a large percentage of our businesses didn't close down, say, in March, and some of them have still have not reopened, and some of them were not sure when they will reopen due to the lack of population in the buildings, because it doesn't make sense for one of our managers to go in and work in his store if there's only a 10% of the population in the, in the building, because they're just not going to do enough business to support buying product and that type of thing. Um, so we have had stores reopening lately. Uh, it's increasing, it's better. So, but so some of our stores never closed. And when I say stores, we call them facilities because of the wide variety we have. So like the vending routes continued to operate because they had, whether they're highway locations or buildings that were still being occupied, locations that they could still service. Um, we had some buildings that didn't lose a lot of population or there were buildings where we had multiple stores in where one of them would stay open just be to service that limited population. But okay. so really it was dependent on the, the location you were in, what type of business you were running to how this affected you. Okay. 
Um, Louise, can you please tell us what the uh, New York State State Licensing Agency was able to do for BEP managers? Sure, Alex. Um, as you all know, it's been a tough seven months that we've been through, and unfortunately, we probably have a few more to go. Um, the commission has tried to support our managers while keeping them safe as we move through these unprecedented times. Communication is something I feel that we did a really good job with. Um, I'm very happy with all of the staff in the program, the managers, and the way we were able to check in with our managers, especially when this all happened mid-March, as well as been able to keep everybody updated as we've gone through these last several months. Um, we have been using things such as group text messaging, emails, calls, and even these Zoom meetings. So kind of going back to what I said earlier is, you know, technology, it's huge. You know, a couple of years ago, we would not have had the same kind of communication. We would have been dialing up numbers all day long, just trying to touch base and keep people updated. Um, the group, group text messaging has been enormous help, even if it's just to tell someone, we just sent you an email with a lot of information, please check your email. Um, these Zoom meetings, another thing that have been great for us to have, we've been holding both uh, district-wide Zoom calls as well as statewide calls to keep our managers updated and informed. Uh, we have a strong program and over the years, our managers have paid into what we call a levy account. This is an account that is set up that the managers pay back into the account once they hit a certain income level. There's a percentage and all of that that works with it. Because of this, we were able to offer what's called a fair minimum return payment to our managers to help with the loss of income that they were encountering. We deferred loan payments as well as extended terms on any current loans our managers had to give them the financial relief there. We've also been able, able to offer loans with extended terms and deferred payments to help with the replacement cost of what product has been lost in the stores. You know, obviously these stores have been closed since March. Even those that were able to open a little bit sooner, as Bill mentioned, still had product go out of date. And for the stores that are still closed, they've been closed for seven months. There's not much product left in that store that is viable. So we have been able to make loans available with the extended terms and deferring payments on those. Um, our managers used to pay for their liability insurance, but as Bill just said, that is now a benefit of the program. Each month, our managers paid the liability on a monthly basis, excuse me. And what we've done is the program has taken over paying the liability insurance for all of this year, 2020, as well as all of next year to help take that financial burden off the managers. To offer further financial relief, the commission has increased the allowance that we use to calculate that levy payment that the managers make to the program. This allows them to keep more of what they earn before they have to pay back into the program. Part of what we did basically from the beginning of this was the commission supplied PPE to all of the managers that remained open throughout the New York pause. We have supplied PPE to managers as well as plexiglass barriers for their counters as they reopened to help keep them, their staff, and their customers safe. Something else we've done through the last seven months was to keep offering online trainings. You know, we have managers that have downtime now that 
One of the biggest difficulties our managers have always had is trying to get trainings when they're running their business. When you're working 12-hour days, five days a week, you don't have a lot of time for training. So we've been trying to take advantage of that time by offering trainings, as well as referring that our managers to the VR services that are offered. There's a lot of different trainings that can take place there. VR counselors are ready and waiting to assist any managers in setting up trainings as well. Um, this is where those smart devices, email, sharpening, you know, computer skills, because technology is here to stay. And the better someone's skills are, the easier it is for them to transition into more technology. So that's some of the things that we've done to assist our managers. And, you know, we're looking forward to getting everybody back open. We know it's going to look a little bit different. That is why we're looking at a lot of different technology to, you know, see how we can reimagine some of these businesses, right? To see how we can improve them and open up soon is what we are all hoping for. And I know Alex, you and Karen both agree with that. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are not too familiar. Can uh, Maybe this question would be best for both of you. Um, could you explain the fair minimum return and how New York State was able to provide the return under the New York State Mini Randolph Shepard Act? Sure, I'll start. And then, Bill, if there's anything I leave out, you can fill in. Um, okay. The fair minimum return is a method that it's included in the federal Randolph Shepard Act, and it's used to help bring managers' income up to what's considered a fair amount. Um, in New York, the BEP ha already had this included in their state re regulations when they wrote those. Um, what this did with this gave us the benefit of not having to go to the federal government to get approval, which helps speed things up on this end. Um, because this was already included in that Mini Randolph Shepard Act, and the main reason that we were able to do this was the financial strength from the manager's levy account. Had that levy account not been there and the managers had not been paying into that, then we may not have been able to do this. But because we had the strength of their account, we already had the legislation behind us, it allowed us to offer this as a financial relief to the New York managers. Bill, if you had anything else? Well, one of the things we did, because, because New York had never taken it, used that fair minimum return as a benefit to our managers, it had never really come up much, and we had the managers vote on it, and they did vote overwhelmingly that we go forward with that. And so we've made payments over the over time, and just it's we needed to be able to help our managers get through these rough times. And I'm hoping that what we did did do that for people. Okay, I think that pretty much explains it for everyone. Um, could you expand on that a little bit by telling us like where this money came from? Well, in essence, the money came from the managers. Through the years, they've been paying into the levy fund, which we, we receive money from different sources, Alex, and uh, a major source of, our, of the revenue that supports our program comes from the federal government through the Volk Rehab Grant that comes to New York State. And, uh, but we also have what the state calls SROs, SRO funds. That stands for Special Revenue Other. I have no idea 
why they put the other in, but maybe because it doesn't come from the federal state. And that money comes either from our managers into the levy fund, or we have other funds that are supported by third-party vending, either on the interstate highway system or in federal buildings or in state and other government buildings. And those, those funds, because the federal, federal government limits what we can spend the federal money on, we're able to use those other funds to support our benefits that we pay out to our managers. For example, the fair minimum return, we're not allowed to use federal dollars for that, but we can use the set-aside levy for it. Uh, same with the retirement plan, the pension, the annual distribution, the health insurance, um, those type of things all are not allowed to be funded by the federal government's money, but can be funded with these special revenue funds that we have. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention, though, when Louisa was talking, it reminded me, she talked about loans. Uh, and we provide our managers with stock loans. And those are zero interest loans that the manager pays back over a period of time. But how many places are you going to get a zero interest loan, Alex? Oh, uh, you don't get them anywhere these days. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so in essence, so the money actually came from our managers. So, and it was returned to them through the, through that fair minimum return and through the other benefits we provide. All right. Um, I think you somewhat covered this, but could you give us an overview of the savings uh, the New York State Business Enterprise Program has? Well, when you say the savings, the, the, I don't have the actual dollar amount in front of me at this point in time, Alex. Well, no, uh, but how the accounts are funded and all that. Okay. I covered a little bit of that. <laughs> Certainly, I can do that. As, we, as Louise talked about, the set-aside levy fund is funded by the managers. And basically, we have an allowance of a certain dollar amount. And above that dollar amount in their net profit, they pay into the levy fund a certain percentage. Uh, we also have vending machine income funds, whether and they're divided up by where they come from. And that's through what third-party contracts. So we talked about having vending routes where managers service locations, uh, say on the highway or in buildings. Well, we don't always have a vending route in, in every part of the state or a manager who's able to service certain locations. So because of our priority under the federal and state legislation, we are the people who get to basically supply that service and we supply it through third-party vending companies. So, and I'm sure that you've all seen vending machines, whether they're on highway rest stops or in state and go any government buildings, those vending machines are part of the program and pay into the program to help us fund the benefits we provide to our managers. Okay. Did that explain it enough, or do you need more detail? No, I think that pretty much gave everybody a good idea of um, how the accounts work and that. So and if you're if you're driving down the highway, if somebody you're driving down the highway with someone and you stop at a rest stop, buy a soda, and it supports our program. There you go. 
Hey, that's what I do all the time. <laughs> and Alex, something else I'd like to just tag on to what Bill was saying is, you know, the funds are healthy. One of the things that, you know, we've, I think we've done a really good job in the managers in this program paying into their program so that they have these benefits available. And um, I'm going to let Bill discuss this or just at least touch on it because it's his thing. We had a pension program that we have for our retirees. Bill, you want to just touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So um, when back in the mid seventies, the, um, the licensing agency, the commission for the blind set up a retirement plan for vending facility operators, which is the terminology they used back then. And it's still called that. And it pays retirees a specific dollar amount based on their years of service and what benefit level they take. Um, that plan was frozen at the end of 2001. So any managers who were in the program at that time were vested into that plan and will be eligible to collect. We have um, 80 some current people collecting off of that plan. Some of them were managers who retired before I started here. So, and I've been around for pushing 30 years, not quite, but um, this past January, this is timing because the board of trustees for the plan, it, I will say at my instigation, because I've been pushing for them to raise the dollar amount, raised it by approximately 20% um, as a cost of living allowance because it hadn't been raised in some years. So we deposited over 300, it was $330,000 we took out of our funds and put into that retirement plan account in order to fund the future payments that would be coming out of it in order to raise the dollar amount to that was being paid. And then of course, two months later, we're three months later, we're shutting down and not bringing in as much revenue. But uh, it is, it was a good, it was a good plan though, in my mind, uh, most retirement plans don't pay enough. But in 2001, they did freeze a plan. And that one is when we started doing the annual distribution in order to put, and that really puts the onus on the manager to create his own retirement plan, which depending on your political point of view is a good or a bad thing. Oh, it's a good thing. <laughs> and in addition uh, to that, um, I'll just touch on one more thing. You know, as far as, yes, we still have people, even though this was frozen back in 2001, we have many managers that are benefiting from this pension program. Um, one thing that we find with BEP is that when someone comes in and they find that this is their niche, they stay. They stay for a long time. Um, they're very happy in what they're doing. Um, something I just wanted to share real quick. We just had an annual meeting and um, we do service awards. We had 21 managers with a total of 385 years of service. We have managers with 45 years of service in this program. So I think that really speaks to the magnitude of how happy they are in what they are doing and how much they love what they do. And, you know, with Bill getting this pension pushed forward and yes, and that's why I wanted him to speak on it. He has been a proponent of that to get that raised. And I'm very happy that we were able to get it done. Yes, the timing was not great, but had that pandemic or had we had made this decision later, it would never have happened. But the funds are healthy enough. We were able to do that even with this pandemic hitting at the same time. So just want to mention that. Right. Okay. Um, 
The manager that Louise referenced, who has 45 years in with the program, I was his specialist at a cafeteria when I started in 1993, and he had already been in the program at that point for close to 20 years. So he's been around for a long time. I know him well. Yeah, I've been associated with BEP for over 20 years now myself, and I can't believe it, but I remember when I first started working for a licensed manager, um, eventually I realized this was something I liked, and I became a licensed manager, and here I am today. <laughs> um, let's get some closing remarks on how the state licensing agency is pursuing opportunities to keep Managers stay safe and keep uh, the business enterprise program uh, viable. Bill, you want to start? Want me to um, well, we have we are always pursuing opportunities. We uh, regularly receive offers from the from the federal government, what's called GSA, the General Services Administration. Um, we basically and those. The, the weird thing about dealing with the feds is these offers are always two, three years out in advance. We plan on putting this, this agency into a building in this city within this radius of a certain landmark or within a, these range of blocks of a city. And then they're like, then it disappears for like two years. So one of the things Louise tasks me to do is to keep up on these things and continue to know where are they at on this building project or this leasing project that they have going forward? And what we try to do is if it's going to be substantial enough, we'll open a brand new facility there. If it's going to be small, I know that right now we've got a location in Albany that's adding a hundred people to a new leasing agreement. And we're going to be basically having one of our vending routes add a couple vending machines to take care of it. So, and we've done the same thing primarily in New York City, where they'll have just small offices opening up, but we can have a manager who has a facility nearby service that. So we are pursuing those type of opportunities. We have expanded our priority under legislation. And one of the things that I'm sure that people who lobby from uh, ACB New York is well aware of is the working with the Thruway Authority. Um, we recently have placed uh, a Micromart in their headquarters, and we are hoping that as time goes on and they redo the rest stops, we're going to get more vending opportunities there. Right now, the only vending we have on the Thruway is the Taste New York machines. Um, but so... I probably left a lot out, but I know one of the things that Louise probably should be talking about because she was much more involved in it than I is the opportunity for partnering agreements. Yeah, I will touch on that a little bit as well. Thanks, Bill. Um, the New York program is strong. Um, we are operating a little bit differently right now because of the pandemic and, you know, things are going to change a little bit and we will adjust, but that is business in general. Business always changes with times and for a business to survive, they have to change with it. Um, so we will continue to do business, maybe not as usual, 
but we have been able to continue such things as we held our state committee of blind vendors have quarterly meetings. We held their April and June meeting virtually. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we just had our annual statewide meeting, which we did through Zoom. We've held our uh, elections to our state committee. Our staff were able to, they present at the pre-college program, which is a program the commission sponsors at Lemoyne College and Manhattanville College promoting, which is basically set up for high school students to kind of get them geared up and ready to go to college. Uh, this is something we've uh, presented at the last couple of years. This year, we were able to continue to do that and promote virtually. So even though we are dealing with this pandemic and things are a little bit different, the program is still strong. We are still growing it. We are still promoting it and we're still moving forward. Um, we're gonna continue to adjust with adding new technolo technology, contactless payments, self-checkout kiosks and coolers. They now have coolers that you can walk up and swipe your credit card and purchase something, open the door and grab it. We just installed our first one of those. So these are new technology items that are now coming out that are helping us maintain the business and hopefully grow for the future. We've also expanded into micro markets, as Bill just mentioned, and we are adding more and more vending anywhere that we can. This is anything that we can do to help grow the business, make up for the loss of population in some of these buildings. That's what we're gearing up for here. This is just some of the ways that we're getting back to business while keeping our managers safe, because that is another top priority that we have. Businesses always need to be looking ahead and changing with the times. Um, new opportunities that we are looking at, partnering, it, Bill just mentioned that partnering is something that the New York program has not done yet, but we are in the process of looking into it. And what that is, is that's for taking on large dining contracts. So if you were to think like a military type dining, you would partner with a corporate partner, with your manager, so that we can take on larger opportunities. And that is definitely something that we have been working on, and we're hoping to be moving into that sector very soon. So we're always looking for new opportunities. We have a strong program. We have a fantastic group of managers that are always ready and willing to test any new thing that we have to throw at them. And although our current situation is difficult, we will adjust and we're going to grow the New York Business Enterprise Program now and for the future. So um, I thank you for having us today. Uh, hope that you learned. And obviously, Alex and Karen both have our contact information. If anyone has any questions, wants to follow up afterwards, um, we were always available to answer anyone's questions. So thank you. Louise, Hi. one of the things I left out was talking about looking to the future. We buy vending machines in large volumes uh, for either routes or individual stores. And those are five-year contracts under New York state law. So we're in the process of bidding out a brand new vending machine contract, which hopefully will expand the types and capabilities of the machines we'll be buying in the future, you know, in order to keep our businesses relevant. Absolutely. And, and expanding into different areas as well. You know, we, in this past year, we opened up in the Elmira airport in the Southern tier. We have Rochester, Genesee regional transportation. We have veterans administration, USPS is we have taken over postal locations across the state this past year. So there's been a lot of areas that we're growing into. Um, there's an entire alphabet of agencies that we work with. 
and we are always looking for new opportunities. You know, I have, have staff which will be out even on vacation and they'll stop somewhere and they'll be like, wait a minute, this might work for us. Snap a picture and send it. So we're always looking for ways to grow the program and we're always open for any suggestions. And, and you folks have done an amazing job um, with this presentation and also for the, for the vendors of New York. Um, what, what I'd like to do at this time, I, I had originally planned that we were going to open this up for questions at this point, but because we went just a, a little bit longer, um, I'm hoping, Louise and Bill, you will stick around with us to answer some questions at the end. But what I'd like to do is touch a little bit on some of the national things that are going on. Um, is that okay with you folks? Absolutely. Lock me into it. Okay. So a, a lot of um, what we just heard was about the New York Business Enterprise Program. But to, to the heart of all, Randolph Shepard is the legislation and the laws that were put into effect um, to create a program for blind, visually impaired individuals around the country. And I'm wondering, did Dan Sybil join us yet? Dan, are you on the line? Okay, well, I know Scott's here with us. So Scott, I guess it's you and I for a minute. Um, Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, you know, the, the big focus is on the legislation and making sure that the Randolph Shepard Act on a federal lever, level is upheld. And a lot of us work very hard on a day-to-day -day basis um, to um, make, make sure rights are being um, and the laws are being followed. And I will apologize to everybody because I know my voice is really bad right now. Um, Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, a, a really big, um, you know, theory with us is, is structured negotiations and talking. We are not out to advocate in a way to always look for the fight, but will if necessary. The structured negotiation concept is to talk through issues with municipalities or um, challenges that may, or obstacles that may come up in our way. Sagebrush is a convention and conference that has been around for many years, and I will have Scott speak to this in just one minute, but so important for people to understand that conferences and conventions put on by Randolph Shepard Vendors of America is, is not, um, it, it is very focused on trainings, education, and also the legislation and the advocacy that, that we do at our level and, and at Alex's level on a, on a local level. But Scott, if you would, can you please tell the folks and explain a little bit more about Sagebrush, how it came apart about, and what the primary goals are? Uh, yeah, I would be happy to. Um, uh, Sagebrush has been around for, uh, I believe we just had our 50th anniversary. Um, uh, typically, it's held in Las Vegas, Nevada in February. Um, anybody from the north uh, rejoices over somewhere nice and warm in February. Uh, but um, we get together every year. Our conference is about a week long. And... Um, we really emphasize a lot of grassroots training. Folks uh, will present us with ideas of some training they're looking for, and we try to make it happen. Uh, we, we, we spend a lot of time putting our agenda together, and uh, I've been happy to be the chair of the uh, committee for Sagebrush for, hold on, 
four or five years now. And um, uh, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we, we bring in a lot of great national speakers. Uh, we focus a lot on, on, on machine training for those folks that have machines or any new technologies or you name it. We, we go through it. Uh, we also have a certain section of our training where we'll break off and the uh, uh, committee chairs will get together and they'll talk about uh, their business in different states and exchange ideas. Uh, same with SLA. We'll break them off and they'll have a little uh, meeting on the side and they'll talk about issues in their different states and try to come up with some strategizing to help their programs. And um, yeah, it, it's been a, a it's been a success and it will continue to be a success. Uh, just to mention this year, uh, for all of you who haven't been able to get away, we are going virtual and uh, we will bring it right to your living room, which uh, is, is going to be fantastic. I, I just can't wait to see what this product is going to look like. It's going to look a little different than what we're used to, but it's going to be good. And uh, have, I, have I touched on everything I should hear, Karen? I, I think on the stage brush, yes. Um, one other thing that I that I do definitely that I want our listeners to know about is that RSVA on a national level also has been doing teleconferences just about what's got every other month or so. And it is for blind vendors around the country um, to call in to talk about. There's usually a very decisive uh, topic. Um, that Scott hosts, and it is open to everybody. So Scott, if you could just talk a little bit about the, the calls you host and that you do oh. such a fabulous job at. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, we're uh, starting to line more of these up all the time, but uh, our, our first call was just a check-in, um, just to see how everybody was doing through the pandemic because uh, our businesses went through a huge change this spring. And we've just kind of moved the topics forward, uh, just some different uh, points of interest. Um, for instance, the last call-in we had was on um, how to get uh, your SSDI and uh, any questions you may have on that. We had an expert come in from, from the uh, Las Vegas office, and she's very knowledgeable on, on all of that. And our next seminar will be on retirement. Folks thinking about retirement, she's going to come back in and help you get your questions answered on what you'd be looking at for retirement for Social Security. And, uh, yeah, many of our topics are um, business-related. I will tell you also that I am looking at doing one or two fun ones because this winter is going to be long for us. And, uh yeah, we may need a little break in between and, and discuss some other subjects that are fun as well. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great success. I enjoy doing it, and I look forward to all of you joining us on our next call. And I believe the date is coming up soon. Is it October? The, the date of the next the next call, Scott, is is really soon, right? Yeah, the last Thursday in October, and I can't, I don't have a calendar right in front of me right the second, but yes. I know, and I have to apologize too, because I don't either. I'm, I'm thinking October 26th, but don't, yes. don't quote me on that. We will yep. send a, a notice out. RSVA um, is always trying to be creative in, in their trainings and the different things that they're doing. And one of the things that have been proposed to the national board was doing a mid-year training 
and um, it did um, it did get approved by the board of directors. And God willing, this October, right before the ACB state convention, which has been um, now voted on and approved, will be an RSVA mid-year training right here in Buffalo, New York. And I am thrilled um, and, and with Scott and the whole team at RSVA, I am hoping this is going to be one of the best trainings out there with some of the new equipment, um, some of the new technology and, and all the good stuff that, that the um, world of technology is bringing forward towards us blind vendors. Um, it's gonna be a great opportunity um, for people that can't always from the East Coast travel into um, uh, the Midwest or the West, um, but, and it'll be a much shorter conference. This is not to compete with Sagebrush because there's no way that would ever happen, but to give a boost uh, to the trainings that are out there. So I'm really looking forward to being one of, of many uh, to host the mid-year conference in October um, in 2021. God willing, of course, that this crisis will allow us all to gather in person. Um, so I, I apparently Dan Simple did have technical difficulty, so he could not get on the conference. So what I would like to do at this time is open up for any questions that are out there. Um, so at this point, if there's any questions, if you could please raise your hand and our host, um, our host today is uh, Lynn. It's Lynn. Lynn. Lynn, our wonderful host, Lynn, is, is going to tell us when there may be a hand up. All right. Let me just tell you how to raise your hand in case you don't know. Um, if you are on a PC, it is Alt-Y. If you are on a Mac, it is Option-Y. If you are on a landline, it is Star 9. And if you are on an iPhone, it's at the bottom of your screen, kind of in the middle. Okay, so we do have one hand raised. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, we did have a hand. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry. Um, if you're if your number ending in five nine one, you may unmute. If you're on your phone, it's star Hello. six. There you go. Hello. There you go. Yeah, I guess a uh, little technology. We have you. We got you. Perfect. Can you? Am I coming through all right? Yeah, you yeah, are, sir. We can hear you. Yeah, yeah. I had my hand up for an hour or so now, and uh, thank you for recognizing me. But, okay, yeah, I'm so Dan, Dan this, Sipple. This is Dan Sipple, who is the RSVA president. And Dan, we're just at the point now where we have opened it up to questions. Right. Um, then right. I don't. I don't know if it's possible, but is it possible to keep Dan unmuted on that side? Yes. Okay. I apologize for not, I kept looking for hands raised, but I didn't see his hand. I apologize. 
it's, it, it's probably it's not because of an unusual phone number. <laughs> it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah, not a problem. Okay. All right. So then, do, do we have any other hands or questions? Okay. I would uh, like to take, take a minute, Karen, um, in uh, hitchhike upon what um, Louise and Bill kind of. I don't see any. Unless I'm missing it, I don't see any Lynn, hands raised. Huh? I'm Lynn, sorry? Lynn, it's in the panel outside. Ian. Okay, I'm, I'm going there. Okay, Ian, you may unmute, please. Sorry, folks. Sometimes the unmuting process is a little complicated. Ian, you should be able to unmute. I thought I was. Okay. Ian, Ian you are unmuted. Try to unmute somebody else. I don't understand. I, I, he's on the panelist side, so he should be able to unmute. All right, that's All right. That. We'll, we'll come back to him if he joins us. I got it. <laughs> okay, there you go. Sorry about that. I had too much stuff open on the iPad. <laughs> great job, Sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, great job presenting on the Randolph Shepard program to all of you. Um, one of the questions that I think people may want to hear an answer to, you know, who are considering the vending program would be, you know, going into this, you know, we're blind, we don't drive. You know, people are oftentimes afraid of starting their own business and worried about the self-employment status and, you know, how the tax works with that. Could, you know, could the managers, especially Dan, uh, Karen, Alex, you know, could you guys address some of those concerns and how you've, you know, overcome and how you manage? You know, how do you find drivers? How do you, um, you know, recruit people to work for you? How do you deal with the tax implications of this, you know? Well, that's that's a lot of questions, Alex. It is. <laughs> that, that is. So, so how about if we if we summarize the absolute best best we can? Um, transportation to one's facility is is always about a personal preference. In New York, we're we are we are very lucky that around the entire state we do have different paratransit options. If you have a what I call standstill facility, so you're in a building, you go from home to that building. Uh, generally speaking, there are paratransit services around the whole state that will get you there. Um, in, in some locations, public transportation is 100% necessary in parts of New York City or Long Island. Although they do have paratransit, sometimes it's quicker just to use the subway or the Long Island ra ra Railroad, depending on the situation. To answer your question on how do we hire employees, just like any other business would do. There's different options through, well, the first thing that, that a lot of us blind vendors will do is we'll go to our, New York, our, our commissioner for the blind and ask if they have a blind or visually impaired person who's looking for a job. Obviously, on a vending route, that would not work if you're hiring a driver. I do have a vending route, and I do need somebody with a driver's license. Therefore, they could not be legally blind. Um, I would hire just the way anybody else would hire for a driver's position through um, either Indeed or one of the other um, hiring type 
um, places that are out there. Um, did I cover all your questions or were there more in there? I think he's muted. He muted himself. Okay, okay, that's Karen. fine. That's fine. Yeah, just the tax piece, maybe, Karen, but that's a huge undertaking. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I really think that if, if you have a lot of questions about the tax um, type things, I think that that would be better done in private, only because that would be an hour-long conversation by itself. Um, Karen? Yes. I'd, I'd like to just... Uh, tab onto that a little bit. First, first, I'd like to compliment Louise and Bill for the fine presentation and for the wonderful program that um, they oversee for the state of New York. It's just, they got a fantastic staff there. And with respect to, um, you know, they mentioned about the longevity. Uh, I guess I always like to say that I've been to many retirement parties for VP managers. It's usually rather a solemn event. A large number of people gathered around a large box. And that indicates the success of our program, that uh, once you're in it, if you have that gut feeling that you want to manage a business, this is a perfect opportunity for it. Um, but back to the question that from Ian, I don't, um, what I found in, in hiring and retaining employees over the years, uh, I had the good fortune of working for the state of Wisconsin for 20-some years uh, before my eyes deteriorated bad enough where I uh, could no longer function at that job. I, uh, so I knew a lot of uh, government employees and, and became friends with a lot of them. So what I, uh, you know, ended up doing was I would hire retired government employees. Fantastic, fantastic workers. They really enjoyed it. They really uh, took it into the heart and um, the and some may look as a downside, but it, it actually turned out to be an upside. They generally do not want to work 40 hours a week. They want to work one or two days a week, three days a week, whatever. And so you have a, an array of employees. You have, you know, I, in my route, I had eight, eight employees, all part-time. Some work one day every two weeks, so a day a week, two days a week, whatever. And, uh, but by the same token, it gives you, the fle as the VP manager, the flexibility that if you want to go to a Sagebrush conference or go to the New York State conference, you can take a day or two off and you've got enough employees that they can fill in the gap and still take care of your route. In the 21 years that I was on the vending route, I never, ever missed a day on the route. Even though we're in the high snow belt here, we went, uh, come hell or high water, we went. You know, we put all-wheel drive on our vans all the time and we would go. We had excellent drivers being... You know, former government employees, they're dedicated, they're committed. Uh, they're not in it for money, they're in it for the uh, pleasure of doing something, helping somebody out, and that's what government employees do as, as a rule. Uh, they rarely become millionaires, they just enjoy helping people and helping us as blind managers uh, fit their bill of goods. So, I, and that's where, I, and I've hired a few other people over the years that, um, you know, were assembly line workers or whatever. They didn't par up to the level of uh, retirees, the government employee retirees. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. You know, I may be prejudiced because of a former government employee, but that's, I just had uh, excellent luck there. And as far as um, retaining, I would just, when I when decided that they, it's time for them to, in order to take them elsewhere, or they physically couldn't do the job anymore, I'd just um, reach out and make a few phone calls. 
and I'd, but I'd also put an ad in the local newspaper and, um, or, you know, have people file. And I found a few good applicants that way. But, you know, generally speaking, retirees worked out super well for me. That's that's great. And Lynn, do we have any other hands up? Uh, no, we, uh, I say that. No, we do not have any other questions. Okay. You know, so some of the great things about this program is, especially here in New York, is that um, you have your choice. There's a lot of different choices. Um, you know, every manager doesn't fit into the same box. Um, I have a vending route. Um, I, I love it. I love the freedom of, of coming and going and um, not being in the same place from six in the morning until four in the afternoon every day. Um, Alex does have a store in one of the county buildings and he loves it. He loves the socialization and talking to people. Um, you know, Scott, I believe you have a, a vending route. Uh, I, yeah, I do. Um, I, I also, uh, part of my vending route is in the prison system, which, uh, is always interesting, but you know, I, I, I enjoy working every day and, uh, it's it's been a good life for me. I've been doing this for thirty five years. That's and that's wonderful. That is that's wonderful. Um, there are a lot of benefits to the program. I have been able to. Um, well, I will also say that it's it, it's it's my second or third career at this point. Um, I uh, I have a little different story. I I my history is all in accounting. And uh, when my vision, I was a very high parcel, or how, how the blind community would consider, I was a very high parcel, which meant I had a lot of usable vision. And when my vision started to change, and some of the accounting software that I was working on was no longer made accessible, and, and this is back um, about 15 years ago, um, I, I was really struggling, and I did a lot of contract work. So I had to find my own um, my own accounts. It, it, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but anyway, um, it was just becoming more and more difficult with my vision loss. And my children were small at the time, and uh, going into BEP really um, was was a great career choice for myself and for my family. Um, Alex, I know you've been a vendor for many, many years now. Oh, yes. I, I started out working for a manager. It was strange because it was a Friday afternoon and this gentleman calls me up. He says he got a uh, referral from uh, the director at the time. And uh, he calls me up at like three o'clock on a Friday afternoon and says, you want a job working at, at a BEP facility? And I was like, I have no idea what you do. <laughs> But uh, he says, okay, see you Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I need a job. <laughs> and like I said earlier, I, I basically started working from him and learning different things and realized that this was something I wanted to do. And uh, I've been doing it for over, well, almost going into my 23rd year now, if you count my time with him. And I uh, decided to become a licensed licensed manager, and I've 
been here ever since and I've done vending routes. I've done facilities. I helped and uh, run multiple facilities at the same time, which I'm currently doing. Actually, I'm doing both. I'm running a uh, store in a building and I'm running a vending, uh, part of a vending route. Um, they, um, it's just very interesting work and every day is different and the support you get in New York State. I mean, I'm also a state committee of blind vendors member. I've been a part of that committee for a long time. Well, not a long time, but on several different terms, I've been doing that. And there's just a lot of support in New York State between the different uh, organizations. And like I said, the State Committee of Blind Vendors and uh, the, the New York State State Licensing Agency. Um, there, you just got all kinds of avenues uh, to get yourself through and almost any situation that I can think of. You know. so, so, Bill, you have been um, with New York State, you said, for, for 30 years. And I'm sure that you have seen managers come from all different um, situations. Um, we have about 10 minutes. So I'm wondering, can you give us a brief overview of some of the background of some of the people you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, it is, there is a wide variance in people's background. I've, I've worked with people who were very young and basically almost straight out of, out of high school who basically decided this is where they wanted to go. And I've worked with people who were re who had left, as you talked about, Karen, you had left your previous profession due to the, the dis your disadvantage of losing your vision and not being able to do the work you were used to doing because the accessibility wasn't there. Worked with managers who basically had, it was a basically a second career for them. They had had a career and it may have involved them having to be able to drive or, um, or do other tasks that are more difficult without the accessibility. Let's face it, in the 27 plus years, so it hasn't been 30 yet, Karen, 27 plus years I've been with New York State working in this program, people from all varying backgrounds, you know, and, this is a program that allows you that adaptability that and it works well for somebody who who has some business background but it we can we can teach people those things and i guess what we can't teach is uh self-motivation which is very important and i'm not sure if i'm really answering your question karen but no you you actually you did. You did. And Louise, the the one thing that really stood out to me is the amount of managers in New York compared to the amount of, of facilities. And I'm wondering if you could touch just a little bit, you know, on the opportunities that are out there or that prospectively are out there after we get through the COVID crisis. Um, yes, and I will say I will agree with your first statement that are out there. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going positive here that we're going to, you know, be able to open all of our locations that we had prior to this shutdown. Um, but yes, in New York, we do have, as Karen said, 
um, at 78 facilities with 67 managers. So when you do the math, you know, it's not adding up. So we do have, as Alex said, he is running more than one facility. Karen has done it in the past as well. I have eight managers that are running multiple facilities. Um, we also have nine facilities that are being run by temporary managers. Now, one of those is a trainee in session, so that at least I know we will take over that. But we do have locations available in both, mainly the Albany area. That seems to be the area that for some reason, um, I, I can't, we, none of us can figure out why no one wants to move to Albany. But um, as Ian had questioned earlier, as far as transportation, that is one of the things that comes into play with all of our locations. The majority of our businesses are located in metropolitan areas for that reason. Transportation is huge. We need to make sure that whether it be paratransit, accessoride, public transportation, that there is something there. Um, there and Bill had mentioned earlier about vending, that when we use third-party vending contracts that we get paid on, that's because those locations are out in those rural areas where there is nobody there that could service them or no transportation in those areas. So that's where you know, the bulk of the locations are in those three metropolitan areas. We also do have like Rochester um, and the Binghamton area. So there is other areas that we're growing into, but Albany, we currently do have locations available. New York City, we have a couple on the island and Buffalo right now, um, I think they have one location left there. So we are growing in the Buffalo area, which is great. And even going back to, we were talking about the COVID and shutdowns and everything else. Um, you know, we had about 15% of our businesses remained open throughout. And, you know, I'm happy to say we've more than doubled that have opened since. So we're almost at 40% back up and running at some level. Um, and, you know, Buffalo is the area, the Western region, as we call it, that has opened the most. They're probably at a little over 70% open up there. So I think we will start to see some growth out in that area as well. But um, available locations, we do have everything from a dry stand right up to a snack shop available in the Albany area. So anyone's interested, let us know. And... Um, if, if you are interested in coming into the program, what you, you would do is you would speak with your VR counselor and they would set up an interview and have you meet with the business um, specialist or district manager for your area. Um, we have only a few minutes left. So one of the things that um, as an RSVA national uh, board member, I really wanna emphasize that the legislation and the advocacy we do um, is, is very important. And for anybody interested in joining RSVNY or RSVA, there is um, the national um, website address, I believe is rsva.org. And for RSVNY, there is a link um, on the acbny.info website. For phone numbers, um, as, as, you're, as a national board member for this area, my telephone number is area code 716-510-4560. To reach Alex Meister directly, his phone number is area code 716-998. 1602 
And again, his title is he is president of Randolph Shepard Vendors of New York. Um, Dan Sipple and Scott Egan's um, contact information is all on the rsva.org uh, website. Please feel free to reach out to any one of us at any time um, for questions about the Randolph Shepard Act or about the mini Randolph Shepard Act here in New York. Uh, Louise and Bill's information is all up on the New York State Commission for the Blind's website. And I just want to say that um, Louise and Bill, I thank you so much for your presentations. As always, you did a fantastic job. Scott and Dan Scott Egan and Dan Simple, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure to do presentations with you and be able to promote and talk about Sagebrush and the new mid-year training that we're going to be putting into effect. Alex, you're amazing. You did a fantastic job. I'm just, you take my breath away. Well, so, I just want to get the message across that we just had a great program in New York State and anybody that's interested, uh, you know, we're more than welcome to work with anyone and see if this is a career they want to choose. And it has been a great career for, for all of us that have worked with the state licensing agency here in New York. It's been a pleasurable experience in my life and I know in Alex's. On that note, we have to close down the program, folks. So I want to thank everybody. Um, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Uh, this is Annie. Um, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. So thank you all for sharing your time and your expertise. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, Karen, Alex, thank you very much for having us. Uh, Dan and Scott, great to join you on the call as well today. And thank you, everybody else. Again, as Karen said, please reach out if you have any questions. Thank you. Okay, everybody, um, this is Annie Chapetta again, your friendly um, convention coordinator. Uh, we're going to say a couple of things and then we're going to take a break until 2.30. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to our um, our sponsors, which are Spectrum, Orcam, Northeast Association of the Blind, Capfi, Lighthouse Guild, Andewit and Tangible Research Behind Our Eyes, Newsreel Magazine, and the New York State Preferred Source Program. Uh, so uh, stick around. We are going to reconvene here at 2.30, and uh, we're going to be uh, joined by Ian Foley, and we're going to have uh, the Affiliates in Action uh, session with uh, Jeff Tom and uh, Maria Christic and um, Antoinette and Min from ACB students. All right, so, okay, so we are, um, we are back to our next session with our facilitator, Ian Foley, and uh, our affiliates in action. So take it away, Ian. Thank you, Annie. Hi, everybody. My name is Ian Foley. I'm the president of the American Council of the Blind of Western New York. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Western New York is, we're the end down by Lake Erie and Buffalo. You know our Buffalo Bills, you know, four Super Bowl losses in a row. Yeah, okay, you know who we are. Um, so basically, uh, this ACB in Action uh, seminar or session for the next hour is going to allow three of our national affiliates 
uh, about 20 minutes each to speak on what their what their affiliates do, what uh, you know, what they can basically do with you. Um, you know, if you want to join, there's going to be some information on how to do so. And it's you know, basically an overview on you know, three of the important, uh, important chapters or affiliates that we have nationally. Um, the first is going to be Jeff Tom, who is the president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Um, Jeff graduated from Stanford University in 1978, or Stanford Law School in 1978, after receiving a bachelor's degree in, in political science from Willamette University. Hoping I said that right. He worked as an attorney for the California legislature for 30 years, and he's the past president of the California Council of the Blind. He's a current board member and former vice president of the American Council of the Blind. He served in a variety of blind-related positions on the national, state, and local levels. He's currently president of the Board of Directors of Disability Rights California. We uh, in New York certainly know Disability Rights New York, and we know Disability Rights Advocates, so we're very familiar with those kind of uh, organizations, and we're grateful they exist. And Je finally, Jeff's married. He's a grandfather, and he has hosted a dozen foreign exchange students. We also have Mar Maria Christic joining us from ACB Next Generation. Um, New York is one of the one of the affiliates that's hoping to uh, basically have a new ACB Next Gen uh, chapter next year, so or you know sometime in the near future. So Maria, being in our Capital District chapter, is great to have on board for that. Maria is a senior financial analyst with the New York State Dormitory Authority. She focuses on, well, this is crazy. She focuses on post-issuance compliance <laughs> and tax-exempt uh, tax bonds. A little beyond my pay grade, Maria. She received her JD from the University of Buffalo with a focus oops, on insurance tra transactions. And she also has an MBA with a focus on finance from the University of Buffalo. She's been a member of the ACBNY since 2016. She's had various roles uh, related to finance uh, while being an ACB or ACBNY, including ACB's International Relations Committee, the Capital District Chapter, and Blind Pride. Oh, and Guide Dog users of uh, or. Oh, yep. And guide dog users. She's also a, or she has a guide dog, a female chocolate lab named Lacey. All right. And finally, Antoinette Cervante, Cervantes is our second vice president of ACB students nationally. We may also have uh, Min, who is the president of ACB students, joining us a little later. Uh, that's kind of up in the air. So Antoinette is the second vice president of ACB students. She's an undergraduate student, uh, undergraduate student majoring in rehabilitation services at Stephen Austin University. And she currently lives in, here's a word for you, Nacogdoches, Texas. I hope I pronounced that right. And she's been a part of ACB 
for about a year, ACB students for about a year and a half, and she's now serving as second vice. So obviously, uh, Antoinette is another up and comer. So Jeff, I'm going to start with you. If you'd like to uh, tell us a little bit about the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, and maybe we'll open it up for discussion if people have questions afterwards. We have about 20 minutes for each of you. So go ahead. Okay. Thanks thank for you. So I just want to uh, give a thank you to all the folks in New York for having me here today, to Ian, to Karen, everybody, everybody that I know and those that I don't. I did want to say to you Yankee fans that the first question I got, I just got off of the Bay State Council, and the first question they asked me was, um, and, and the one who asked it knew I was a, a major Giants fan. Should Boston employ Bruce Bochy as their manager? So that's where my real interests lie. But um, today I'm not going to talk about baseball. I'm going to talk about um, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. The statistics are a little bit vague, but probably somewhere close to 80% of those of us with vision loss are 50 years and older. Most, of course, are not, um, have not had a loss of vision for many, many years, but lose it relatively later in life. But I don't have a statistics on exactly what that number is. However, what I think that points out is the fact that the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss should be an important and as major affiliate as we have in ACB. It is our core population. It is the largest population, not only that we have within ACB, but that we have within the blindness community as a whole. Uh, originally, when AAVL was formed, its primary purpose, and it will always be one of its purposes, is, was to help those who are suffering recent vision loss. I think we may end up changing the bylaws slightly to reflect that that is one of its primary purposes for a couple of reasons. First, we really should be helping all of those uh, that have vision loss. And we need to reflect the fact that most of our members, because we are an ACB affiliate, do not have or, or do have more long-term vision loss as opposed to the population that has lost it later in life. It is that population, however, that we need to be targeting, and we need to do a far better job of reaching because of the services that they need and because of their sheer numbers. So when I took over as president about two years ago, we had a lot of really dedicated members, but our membership level was only 24. And we felt that one of the first things we had to do was to work on enhancing our membership total. We will probably be close to 80 by the first of the year when our, when our um, California affiliate and our Oregon affiliate, who will probably be recognized by the end of the year, uh, are both into the organization. California has... 33 people, I think, that have paid members. And by the way, I didn't even start the affiliate, which I'm proud of. Um, and our uh, Oregon affiliate is also well on its way, I think, to coming to fruition. 
I think it's important, I'll digress just a little bit, to, um, to have state affiliates in this area because different states really have different needs. In Oregon, for example, they want to focus, or at least one of their focuses, is to be on reform of nursing facilities for those who are in those facilities and that have vision loss. The conditions are apparently deplorable for them. In California, we want to focus on some other things, mental health services, for example, for seniors with vision loss, um, Medicaid reimbursement for vision rehabilitation services. There are lots of things that, you know, lots of senior issues that we need to work on, and different states can prioritize them in different ways. And so having state affiliates is really uh, an important way of doing that. Um, I wanted to focus on enhancing our numbers, though, not just because it's a numbers game, but because the more people we reach, the more people we can continue to reach and the more advocacy we can engage in. And I think we're, this is beginning to pay off. What are some of the things that we are working on? Well, we are reaching out to different conventions like this one. Um, I'm uh, going to be talking to the Georgia Convention later this year. We are, of course, creating state affiliates, and others are expressing some interest. We are working now on a brochure so that, that entities, we can reach out to entities to tell them who AAVL is, you know, what we are and what we're about. Um, and in fact, it's the type of brochure I think the different states are going to be able to modify if they so choose. We have been active in terms of community calls in at least two areas. Um, Terry Pacheco uh, has a group of what's called visibilities calls on Thursday evenings. And about once a month, AAVL sponsors one of those calls on issues of concern to seniors with vision loss. The first two that we've done have been, one has been on adult orientation and mobility. You know, how does it differ from you know, the way kids uh, are taught? Um, what are some of the skills that, that are sort of unique to adults that, that have to be dealt with? And, and, you know, how do we need to treat adults differently? Uh, we even had a little bit of a look at um, issues that concern those of us who have had, you know, a lack of vision for a long time. But as we get older, because potentially of physical disabilities or of, you know, maybe just the fact that we're a little more scared to cross those crazy five-lane intersections than we used to be at 30 when nothing bothered us, um, you know, what do we need in terms of additional orientation and mobility? So we had a call on that. Um, we just had a call um, that... Um, uh, a former and a current New Yorker, uh, Nancy Miller and Lori Sharp, one of ours, um, participated in on working with senior centers to make them more accessible and more accepting um, uh, for persons with vision loss so that we can be more participatory in their events. And we, we intend to continue working on that issue. We we are 
probably going to be producing a brochure aimed specifically at senior centers um, and at area agencies on aging so that at the local level, we can begin performing a better education effort. One of the things that I learned, uh, and I shouldn't have had to learn it, but I did, much to my chagrin, um, in California, I was uh, working uh, for many, many hours this year on a master plan for aging. And even I was shocked at how little the aging and disability community knew about the array of services that were available to seniors and others um, with recent vision loss. Um, you know, if we don't do a better job of educating our, you know, fellow aging and, you know, people with disabilities, how can we expect to get more money for services? They are our natural allies. And so we have a much better outreach effort in front of us. So that's another area in which, um, you know, we are working. The um, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, along with ACB, has become a member, and we have separate membership, in what's called the Vision Serve Alliance. Many of you, I am sure, know what the Vision Serve Alliance is. It is a um, confederation, kind of like the confederation of, of states was back in the you know, late 1700s after the revolution of um, entities that are in the blindness field. Everybody from lighthouses and guide dog schools and guilds and, you know, you name it, as well as advocacy organizations. And AAVL is heavily involved in terms of some of the senior initiatives that the Vision Serve Alliance is beginning to put together. Um, this involves looking at how we can generate a long-term and short-term, but it's really gonna be a long-term plan for more increased funding for um, vision rehabilitation services and for you know low vision aids and other things that, that our population needs. Um, it's going to involve you know, potentially working on Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement. Um, it's, it's too soon to tell exactly where we're going to target our efforts yet because, you know, none of it is going to be easy and we have to try and get as much bang for our buck as we can. But we are beginning the dialogue and we are beginning to put documents together. Um, there's going to be in the not-too-distant future documentation from the Vision Serve Alliance as to the problems that we face and the solutions that we have in terms of seniors with vision loss. And even that kind of documentation with stories can help all of us in terms of reaching out to our local and state entities and say, hey, here's the problems that we have. Here's the solutions. Let's try and meet the unmet need that exists. So those are just some of the things that we are working on. Um, and I would encourage, you know, whether you form a, a state affiliate for this purpose of AAVL or just within your affiliate, you are going to work on advocacy to consult with us on senior issues. We're here for that. Um, we, oh, I, I forgot the second type of community call. I apologize. I'm going to go digress backwards. 
um, on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. East Coast time, we have begun a series of peer support calls. These calls are run by one of our members who lost her vision, um, I would guess, in her 40s at some point. I can't, maybe closer to 50, but I think in her 40s. She went through the whole gamut of um, depression and stigma and isolation and frustration and anger, all of these emotions that are so common to people losing their vision loss later in life. And these calls really, I've been on about half of them, um, and these calls really generate a lot of discussion from people all over the country, these peer support calls. Um, historically, these are the type of calls that, you know, were essentially the province of the lighthouses, you know, local so, sort of calls. And now we're able to reach out and have these type of community calls so that we can integrate people um, into our organization so we can tell them what we have to offer so that we can educate them and make their lives better. So with that, um, I, if I have any more time, I haven't been timing myself. Um, I'm very open for questions. You got a couple minutes left, uh, Jeff. Uh, I had your scheduled around 2.53, 2.54 to be specific. <laughs> um, so you, you're, you're perfectly timed. I was just going to say myself, you know, as, as the ACBNY legislative co-chair, a lot of what you mentioned legislatively, you know, your efforts in Washington, you know, on both the national and state level as well, you know, it, it's basically the stuff that we went to the Washington seminar last year with. Um, it's the things that we fight for here in New York with, you know, the assist, the adapted living program for older adults through the commission for the blind, you know, asking for additional funding. I think the, the outreach and the marketing, you know, the word of mouth is probably one of the most important ways to, to reach people. You know, That's right. absolutely your, your focus is spot on. Let me give you the website so folks can, Please. and I'll give you my email. Um, uh, and one of the reasons for my email is we do have a newsletter, and um, one of our members from Maine edits that. And if you have any articles you'd like to put in our newsletter of, that you think will be of interest to seniors with vision loss, we'd love to have them. Or if you want to contact me for any reason, um, advocacy-related, whether it's senior issues or not, my email is j. S, as in Stephen, J-S-T-H-O-M at, at Comcast.net. So it's J-S-Tom at Comcast.net. And our website, it's a little long, but it's not too bad. A-A-V-L-Blind-Seniors with an S, S-E-N-I-O-R-S dot org. So A-A-V-L-Blind-Seniors dot org. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate that. I'm going to actually move on to Maria. Okay, um, thank you. And if we have room for, if we have time for questions at the end, I'll have people circle back and uh, ask them if that's okay with you. All right. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. All right. I would, I would next, I would like to next introduce Maria Christick, who is the treasurer of ACB Next Generation. Maria, are you on? I am indeed. All thank right. you. Good afternoon. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. And thank 
thank you to Annie and to her convention committee for the invitation to speak to you all today, as Jeff said, uh, and Ian also outreach and word of mouth are definitely great ways to let others know about us. And especially with us being such a new member of the ACB family, we appreciate the uh, opportunity. So, um, and for those of you in, in Western New York, uh, yes, as per my bio, I studied in Buffalo and I lived in Chictawaga. So I do have uh, good memories of my time there in Western New York. So let me first start out, as I said, since we are so new, let me start out a bit about telling you why we decided to do this and uh, a bit of our history uh, as you know i think i hope that it, at least that it will show our uh, mission uh, statement and, and our vision a bit in action and uh -oh. it'll give you a bit of a sense of what we've done so far and then i'll talk about what we are doing and uh end with how you can find out more about us and uh, hopefully join us and get involved and that i'm happy to take questions so several years back really our, our story begins in Kentucky because several years back they began a what they call their uh KCB, Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation uh, chapter. And they did this at the urging of one of the members of, of KCB who is outside of the age group of uh, 18 to 40, but who wanted to see a group form of younger members there. And so one of the members of KCB Next Gen, and she uh, is, is on the uh, executive board there now as well, and on the board of directors there, um, Amanda Selm, uh, she has been involved since its founding. So uh, this has been going on for several years now. They've been meeting, uh, having both uh, social meetings as well as uh, more professional development focused um, type events. And this has been uh, successful in the state. And so when Amanda attended her first uh, national ACB convention in 2018 in St. Louis, she met a lot of other younger uh, members and just really could tell that there was an energy and enthusiasm and uh, interest for these uh, people to get more involved in ACB, but that a lot of them didn't feel like they had a place to go. Um, you know, it, it can be argued whether this is so, but there's, you know, definitely a perception um, among, you know, a lot of younger people that if they join um, a state affiliate, that they're going to be the only younger person there. And, you know, I think in a lot of, you know, state affiliates that, that does bear out in terms of, um, you know, yeah, even so what funny. Jeff was saying with the senior population being a, a large majority of of those who are uh, losing their their sight, um, you know, younger people are going to be a, a minority. But, you know, when someone would feel like the only young person, they perhaps felt like they weren't uh, listened to, that their opinions weren't valued, they didn't know where they could contribute. And there was also this, you know, lack of knowledge of the special interest affiliates. And so um, there had been uh, some efforts, a few, I want to say maybe five, six years back to form a group for younger members. Um, on the uh, national level for various reasons that uh, didn't, you know, work at the time, that just wasn't the right time. Um, but, you know, and, and there were some, you know, decentralized, if you will, uh, efforts, for instance, at that 2018 um, convention, uh, there was an informal uh, happy hour type event that was organized by uh, a group of uh, a couple of people from the ACB national office and, and just some others involved in ACB. But again, this was just very decentralized 
involved and uh, I only found out about it because someone sent me a Facebook invite. So there wasn't this, you know, cohesive centralized notion of a place for uh, younger members in ACB. And not only from the standpoint of, you know, member uh, development and, and connection and such, but also just in terms of, um, you know, a vote on, on ACB business and such. There wasn't this cohesive uh, overall presence to let prospective and current members know that, yes, there are younger members in ACB. You kind of had to, you know, search them out and perhaps you might find them at, at conventions, you know, their scholarship winners and such with uh, students. But, you know, again, these people just felt like they didn't really have a specific place that was, um, you know, dedicated and, and more open to the uh, to the younger generation. And so Amanda, after coming home from that convention, uh, felt very strongly that you know something should be done about this and so um she began you might remember uh seeing in the uh braille and e-forum and on on leadership lists and such uh, beginning in August of 2018, she invited younger members who were interested to a call uh, to start discussing forming some type of a, a national group. And so these calls uh, began and um, it you know became very clear that there was this need and that um, in or that that you know some type of formal involvement was going to uh, happen. And so um, initially what uh, we decided to do um, in, in the new year, you know, ACB has always been very supportive and on board with this idea. And so um, in 2019, um, some of you may know ACB through the generous support of JP Morgan, um, they, JP Morgan Chase, they sponsored several younger members to attend the uh, DC leadership meetings. And that's in fact where I met Ian. <laughs> and um, so I was uh, fortunate to be one of those recipients. And, you know, again, at that meeting, there was, you know, a formal um, event, a, a formal type of, uh, it was it was a dinner, we all got together and um, met with some other younger people who were there also. And so, um, uh, and, and during this uh, time also, on the, you know, online front, um, there were efforts being made to have uh, uh, meetings of get-togethers and um, more specifically topical uh, meetings that would then, after the formal part, usually extend more into, um, you know, social meetings where people would get to know each other. And so, for example, um, during that time uh, in, in February of 2019, there was one that was held regarding um, the importance of Braille. And so um, after this, uh, after the, the meetings, you know, we met with ACB to National to discuss, you know, the best way to move forward. And they graciously um, with uh, Kim Charlson, who was the president then, she suggested that we become a steering committee of ACB in order to give us some convention funding and to help us, you know, get our, our feet wet. And so we did do that. And at the convention, uh, in uh, Rochester last year, we uh, formally had an actual official presence on the program. Um, we held a meet and greet um, in the hotel for members where we had uh, about 40 or so new members whose contact information we got or, or 40 interested people at that time. Um, we held a, uh, an event in collaboration with uh, CCLVI on smart homes. We had a speaker from Amazon there and we had over 80 participants at that event. And we also held a trivia night with ACB uh, students. And so 
Um, after this, we, after the convention, we uh, had a, because we'd all, we developed a group, a list on groups.io um, for members, uh, prospective interested parties to, to connect. And so we ran a survey after convention to see what, you know, folks were interested in, if there was interest in us becoming an affiliate, um, if there was interest um what, you know, what types of topics would be of interest for these chats and such, and um, overwhel and, and, you know, what people would be willing to pay for dues and such, and overwhelmingly, I mean, it was over 90%, uh, there was interest in us in becoming uh, an affiliate, again, to have that formal uh, voting voice as well with ACB, and so we we started to do that. We started to, you know, create governing documents and uh, move the process forward, and um, this year at the leadership meetings in February, um, we did receive the uh, the charter to we were approved to become ACB's newest uh, special interest affiliate, and so that was a um, very wonderful occasion in, in our uh, development. And um, so, since we have become an affiliate, um, currently today we have it is over sixty members. I believe we're. I don't think we're quite up to seventy yet, but we're pretty close. We've continued to have our, we call them our Saturday night uh, live hangouts. So these are monthly on the fourth Saturday. We've had them on a variety of topics, um, you know, more professional ones such as we had a recent discussion on um, employment uh, disclosure during the interview process you know disclosure about your um, vision loss and, and job accommodations oh, oh, oh. Um, yeah we we had a discussion also on productivity apps um, at the beginning of the pandemic we had a discussion on uh, grocery and food delivery apps and you know we've also had fun things so we've had um, you know discussion about blind folks participating in sports we had a discussion about de-stressing after the holidays the beginning of the year um we had uh discussions about about travel tips and such so just really um you know again again a lot of this was driven by that survey and member input so um items that uh, our, our members might find interesting and all of you can find out about those calls um they are published as part when when their time uh, arrives each month they are published as part of the uh weekly community schedules for acb so those are open um we had, of course, this year's virtual convention. We had another uh, very successful uh, meet and greet event. We had a presentation on YouTube and Instagram and um, how you can um, create and, and utilize those platforms. And we also had, again, in spirit of collaboration with other ACB groups, we had with uh, Beep, the Blind Pride affiliate and ACB students, we had a presentation um, on Google Forms. And so, um, you know, we've just, we, we have now also we have a, a Facebook group, a Facebook page, um, and we will be launching soon. Be on the lookout for a pop-up fundraiser for the holidays for you to be able to pick up some uh, yummy treats if you are so inclined and help us out as well. And so, um, you know, we really just, we want people to know that we're here and that, you know, we're, we're just getting started. We're, um, you know, working on some specific membership perks, um, a members only uh, group of, of some sort on a, on a um, social platform and um, others as well that are in the pipeline. So, you know, I've, I hope that, you know, what I've given you uh, uh, 
that that are um you know history and and the the story that i've told you that it's you know allowed you to see our mission statement and vision statement and action which our um, mission is to advance the professional and personal development of the next generation of members of the american council of the blind and our vision is to create an inclusive environment through professional and personal experiences um thereby transforming the perceived value of um, advocacy organizations of the blind and visually impaired and you know we've really been even just on the acb national level we've been um again doing some outreach we participated in a uh the uh august membership focus call on including younger members um you can find that on the acb events podcast if you search that in your favorite podcast app of choice um you can also find we did a recent tuesday topics along with acb students and you can find that if you uh search for the acb tuesday topics podcast um, that happened in september and so we've just you know really been appreciative of all the support also just from acb and even from acb new york i know we have a couple of um you know supporting members from new york um in addition to uh members within the the age group of 18 to 40 so we appreciate that so um if you'd like to learn more about us you can find all we we will be launching a website um we hope to be doing that next year um but currently you can find out all of our contact information and the links to our various um social media facebook twitter the facebook group um and also the link to the all important membership application um our dues are or 15 per year and we'd um, appreciate your support you can find out all of this information at acb.org slash acb dash next dash generation so again that's acb.org slash acb dash next dash generation um we do have a you'll find this on the website but i'll repeat it here um also our email address is acbnextgen at gmail.com acbnextgen at gmail.com and the phone number is 202-524-0909 again that's 202-524-0909 so thank you again to the convention committee for having us and i would be happy to take any questions Maria, I just want to uh, go back just a second. Could you just repeat that email address, acbnextgen at? G at gmail.com. Email. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. All right. Thank you for that contact information. I found it particularly interesting that, you know, ACB is a grassroots organization. And clearly, ACB Next Generation had a grassroots approach. It started as a social media event, almost like a flash mob. You know? <laughs> Let's get together at the convention. Let's get together at legislative seminar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really, you know, and it moved from that to actually an established chartered affiliate on a national level, you know, with voting rights and, you know, contributing to the agenda of the national, you know, ACB organization, you know, really a great story. And it certainly is a place for the younger members. I, you know, I think you nailed it at the end when you talked about the social media presence, you know, Instagram, YouTube, mm -hmm. um, you know, Google forums, Facebook, you know, you're hitting, you know, the only thing I didn't hear was Twitter, you know, you're hitting. Yes, and we do have a Twitter page. We haven't done an event on it yet, but gotcha. <laughs> you know, so you're hitting all the social media outlets, you know, which, you know, the old fogies like me, you know, aren't utilizing as much, but your generation is. And, you know, being the future of the organization, you know, 
you guys are the rising stars. You're the ones who are going to take it for the next 50 years. And it's important that that technology, you know, is being utilized and that, you know, your generation is much more comfortable with it than, you know, much of the leadership today. So congratulations and, you know, great job on that. Sure. Well, thank you. And just to, you know, reiterate that, you know, we really do seek to to be that bridge. You know, I, I didn't, me- you had mentioned uh, earlier too, with, you know, New York, we've, uh, in terms of affiliates, um, you know, we require that affiliates uh, of next gen become affiliates of a state uh, chapter as, as well, of a state organization within a year. So as, as you said, to serve as a bridge, because, you know, people aren't going to have leadership positions in ACB next gen always. We want them to be able to have somewhere to go. And as you said, to collaborate with um, other uh, uh, parts of ACB to, you know, show them the the value of of having younger members and really to, you know, share our skills. And so, um, you know, we appreciate the the energy to bring it full circle. You know, we had Kentucky, who's in the the process of applying for an affiliate. I just uh, got a mail from Missouri right before logging in here today, uh, asking a question. And as Ian said, hopefully, um, you know, New York will be uh, soon and, you know, other states as well. So, um, so yeah, thank you for, for the, you know, kind words and, you know, we definitely, the spirit of, as you said, grassroots and also, um, collaboration that's, um, so valued in ACB is something that, you know, we value as well. So we feel that these, you know, make, um, ACB a really great place to have an organization like this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, ACB next gen ties directly into ACB students, you know, our next speaker, Antoinette, uh, you know, we're not students forever. I mean, we're all, you know, we're lifelong learners, but we're not always, you know, actually engaged in an academic curriculum as a matriculated student at a college or university, et cetera. But, you know, because, you know, ACB students is kind of a temporary place for people, you know, as they're, you know, engaged in school, you know, mm-hmm. next generation is a, is a wonderful opportunity for that same age group, you know, as they move into their, you know, into their late 20s and 30s and, you know, into their, you know, early 40s to, to have a place where, you know, like you said, you want to be able to identify, you don't want to be the only young person sitting in the room, you know, um, you know, diversity is great, but sometimes you want somebody who's kind of like you there too, you know, to be mm-hmm. just a little more comfortable, you know, so sure, I, sure. I, I think it's a great, it's a great segue f- to move from ACB students and maybe, you know, be an ACB next gen and ACB students at the same time, you know, oh, eventually sure. we'll go to Jeff's group and become, you know, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, exactly. you know, but we're, we're not trying to get there too quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a continuum and we certainly do have students as well who are members, but as you said, you know, we also have, we have young professionals, you know, like I am, for instance, or we have people who, you know, aren't currently working as well, but who are in that age group. We have, you know, younger families, you know, younger parents who are just starting families and right. such. So yeah, absolutely. Like you said, yeah. you know, that, and that was the thing, you know, a lot of younger people, maybe they felt like, okay, they were students and, but now they're no longer students and, you know, where exactly do they, do they go? And so right. that's what we're, uh, that is the, the niche, the need yep. that we are seeking to fill. I was going to say it fills a wonderful niche. And it's a great transition, and I, I think I, you know, I hope that it recruits and draws, you know, younger, you know, vibrant or vibrant members to, you know, get involved and participate in ACB, you know, on both the state, local, and national levels. So, good job. I'm, uh, I'm happy to hear what's, what's going on with ACB Next Gen, Maria. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, moving on to Antoinette Cervantes uh, again, the second vice president of ACB Students. Antoinette, are you on with us? Yes, I am. I heard. All right. Welcome, Antoinette. Would you like to tell us uh, a little bit about ACB Students, please? 
Uh, yes, I do. And um, I just want to say thank you for having ACB students as uh, on here today. Um, so I do want to let everybody know um, just a little bit about uh, ACB students. Um, of course, we we are here for students who are uh, high school students, um, students who are in a university. Um, so we're here for for you, <laughs> basically. Um, so we um, we do a lot of leadership things. Um, we also have uh, committees. Um, I'm actually a the chair of the. Uh, convention planning committee for ACB students. And so some of the things that we have done in the past, um, at least this year, we've done uh, a gaming seminar, which was really, really informative. Um, and then we've, of course, collaborated with ACB Next Gen and BPI uh, for some of our seminars with the Google Form. And we also did a Friday night hangout um, with ACB Next Gen. And so we like collaborating with other affiliates um, of ACB uh, just because I th we think it's, it's a really good, you know, idea to collaborate with others. Um, and then also we have um, done, let's see, we've done some community calls. We're hoping to do some more in the future on Sundays. Um, I think it was a month ago or so, we've actually done a call for, you know, students to come on, students and, and professionals, uh, such as like teachers, uh, to come on and just kind of tell us what they've been struggling with, you know, like with online classes, because now, you know, with COVID, a lot of students have to do online stuff. And so like some of the platforms like D2L and, Blackboard, you know, students were able to go on and uh, talk about their experiences and get some insight on what they can do to uh, to better uh, to get a better education. And so it was really informative and a lot of students really liked that. And so we encourage, you know, uh, students to come on and to, you know, tell us what, you know, some of the stuff that they've been going through. Um, we've also our president, Min Ha, she uh, does a call on Mondays uh, for Spanish speakers uh, or for those who are interested in learning Spanish can go and and uh, learn some different ways to uh, learn Spanish, like some different apps and things like that. So we're actually hoping to do more uh, community calls for, you know, in the future. And another thing that we're trying to do is um, bring in more members um, because we like, you know, we we want to get more people and in, involved in our affiliate. Um, so we've been, uh, you know, just trying to get our presence out in social media. We do have a Twitter account, a Facebook account, and um, a Facebook group. So we're, you know, we're here for you. Um, and then also we we have some other ideas coming up in the future that uh, we're still, you know, going through, uh, planning out. Um, and also we 
let's see, I lost my train of thought here. <laughs> um, we are trying to, oh, we are actually working with um, some, uh, working with others in ACB National, like for financing and for, uh, you know, bringing more members into our affiliate. So um, they've been here to help us, you know, with things like that. Um, let's see. Um, but yeah, um, so we're, you know, we're just kind of just here for for all students, um, but if anybody has any questions, I didn't have much today. <laughs> it was kind of like a fast thing. Antoinette, it's Ian again. I, I just want to say, similarly to, to what I said to Maria uh, regarding, you know, next gen, again, the younger generation, social media presence, the, the recruiting, the outreach. You know, I, I remember being a student, you know, most of us who were college students at one time or another, you know, sometimes we felt like we were just kind of swimming upstream alone without a lot of resources, without knowing, you know, how the world do I navigate this or how do I obtain this, you know, and without other blind students, you know, mentoring or, you know, leading the way, paving the way for us, you know, we often didn't know, you know, how do I find a reader? Where do I find, you know, audio books? Where do I find books on cassette? You know, we used cassettes back in the day. Um, you know, how do we get this information? You know, how do you use public transportation when you get to a new city that you've never been in before? You know, orientation, you know, orientation and mobility training, things like that. You know, we, you just don't know unless somebody shares that with you. And you mentioned the community calls discussing such aspects. You know, how do you succeed in college? How do you do all these things? How do you navigate the academic world? The, you know, the, you know, just the, the whole aspect of, you know, you're in a new town, you're in a new environment. And how do you, how do you get around? How do you make your way through it? You know, how do you succeed while trying to adapt to all these new situations? So I think, you know, ACB students is a valuable organization and I'm happy to hear that you're getting national support, you know, in, in recruiting and financing, you know, you've got people basically mentoring you from the sounds of it. And that's great to hear. Yes. It's actually been really helpful to, um, for, you know, the support that we're getting from the national level. That's awesome. How would one get in touch with ACB students, Antoinette? So um, we do have a email. I'm not too sure what our, we've been changing different uh, emailing platforms. Okay. Um, so right now I had to find that information. <laughs> um, How but about we social do, media? So social media, um, we do have, of course, our Twitter account and our Facebook account. Um, so you can find us at, at ACB students. Um, and that's for both Facebook and Twitter. Awesome. Okay. Easy enough to search. All right. And I would imagine that once they're on either Twitter or Facebook, uh, looking at ACB students page, there's going to be a link to your actual website and the email address and such that you've re you referred to. Yes. Awesome. All right. 
Anything else you'd like to add to uh, to your presentation or some information about ACB students? Um, of course, we have actually did a, uh, I'm hoping we can do this again with uh, ACB Next Gen and ACB, or I'm sorry, BPI. Uh, we've actually done a, a trivia night, which was very, it was, it was really fun. Um, it was our first time doing it over Zoom. And so there was, you know, a lot to learn, but it was really fun and very, uh, you know, just, um, I guess, informative in a way, um, you know, trying to, to plan everything. Yeah. I think I saw that advertised in one of the uh, community calls or one of the, you know, one of the summer act or one of, yeah, one of the activities, you know, during the whole COVID thing. And uh, I, I thought that was an interesting, entertaining, but, you know, a socializing experience for people. So good for you for, for creating that and, you know, having the, uh, having the presence to kind of bring people together and do that. That's great. Yes. And we're also, um, so of course, you know, convention next year is uh, virtual. So uh, my committee, which is the convention planning committee, are always looking for, you know, ideas from other students. So if you want to get involved, uh, fees are, the fee, the yearly fee is uh, $15. So um, it's, it's a really good and fun way to come up with different ideas and, um, you know, to see for our convention for next year. So, Awesome. I can tell you that I have uh, marketed or I've been encouraging my scholarship recipients uh, while talking to them over the last week, uh, have been, you know, encouraging them to get involved with ACB students, with ACB Next Gen. You know, I think there's two places that can easily become the new home of, you know, these young folks who are, you know, beginning careers, working their way through school, et cetera. You know, I think it's a perfect match. And, you know, like I said, these, you know, these, you guys are the, the future of the organization and, you know, the more talent and, um, you know, experience, um, you know, enthusiasm that we can recruit, you know, the better. So thanks for, uh, thanks for everything you guys are doing. All right. We've got a few minutes left in the panel discussion. Uh, or Lynn, um, I don't know if there's anybody with hands raised, but yes. I, we could take some questions if, uh, if you'd like to. Yes. Okay. Uh, on the panel side, we have Yasmin. You may unmute. Hi. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that I, I really enjoyed this segment, and I am definitely excited about um, these two um, the next gen and the ACB students. And I just want you to know, um, I'm Yasmin and I'm the um, social media person for the Greater New York chapter. So we do follow you or I follow you on Twitter and Facebook. And um, I'm just looking forward to, you know, getting in contact with you guys with both, um, with both affiliates to see if, you know, we could, you know, do a joint a joint something together. So um, I'm just really excited to hear that there is something like this for the younger students. Um, I have met some uh, younger students uh, last year who were um, in my Braille class, but they were also, you know, getting ready to start college. And, you know, they were, you know, worried about how they would fit in. And, you know, it's just awesome to see that there is, um, you know, two affiliates like this available for, uh, you know, for them. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we do have one question and number ending in 908. You may now unmute. I just did. Hi. 
Okay. Um, I'm also from Greater New York. I'm Bob from Greater New York. And, and also on scholarship committee. You know, I just wanted to follow up. I didn't realize uh, that this ACB students really existed. And uh, I can see a role in our local organization for referring some of our applicants uh, to your organization. I know when I was a college student many years ago, I would probably have more in common with other students, even if they were spread out over a wide geographic area, rather than meeting with my local group in the where I could meet with them physically, but them being so much older than me at the time. So I do see a relationship between us as the as the geographic chapter and you as a as a special interest chapter. But I, I think both of these had kind of have to work together and support each other. So. I would totally agree with that, Bob. Um, Antoinette, and, you know, Maria, you know, Ian, what are your thoughts? Ian, my thoughts also, this is going to come from me personally. You said $15 a year. I think what, I'm, what I may do also, since we didn't agree to this on the board, but uh, while we're our local chapter is going to offer free membership to the uh, four people who either live or go to school in New York, I may we have two of those people who are also who are young who are undergraduate students so I may offer them a free membership for a year in ACB students and let them uh, let them you know like it because $15 a year can be a lot for a student that's struggling so it it, it was uh, it was thank you uh, Antoinette it was an ins kind of an inspirational uh, presentation you gave us so thank you for the information thanks Bob all right, Lynn. Anybody? Uh, any other questions yeah. or hands? Yes. Right, yes. I'm sorry. Um, is no Maria Christic? You may unmute. Yeah. Yes, hi, thank you. Um, so first of all, just wanted to follow up to say thanks uh, to both of you, both to Yasmin and to Bob. Um, thanks to Yasmin for the follow. <laughs> we appreciate that. And, um, you know, definitely do feel free to reach out to us. We definitely, um, as, as I've mentioned also, you know, to Bob's point, we agree that, you know, affiliates are definitely so important in terms of connecting on a local level, those who are, you know, younger. Um, and in, uh, oh, sorry about that. And, um, you know, that's exactly why, you know, our, our story began, you know, essentially with a local affiliate. And um, that's what we're definitely looking to um, continue with um, the the provision that we have in our governing documents for affiliate members. And, you know, indeed, as we're having some of those um, come in. So, you know, do, definitely do um, reach out to us and um, I'll be looking forward. I'm a member of ACB Next Gen's uh, Constitution and Bylaws Committee. So I hope to at some point be uh, reviewing New York's. <laughs> Uh, in New York's uh, next-gen bylaws um, to, to make sure they're consistent with ours as part of a, an affiliate application. Um, so I did also just want a uh, small oversight on my part, as I was mentioning slew of podcasts. I forgot to mention, um, you know, I've talked about convention, and I think this, as, as have my uh, colleagues here with uh, Jeff and Antoinette, and I think uh, I believe that uh, some content from all three of our affiliates here uh, are in this location. If you go into the uh, ACB Conference and Convention podcast, you can certainly find our 
uh, much of our recent material. Um, you can find our uh, the, the YouTube and Instagram presentation, the Google Forms uh, presentation, and you can also find the uh, Smart Home presentation with Amazon that we did uh, last year with, with CCLVI. So uh, as I was going through, I mentioned the you know events and, and Tuesday topics and such, so I wanted to make sure I didn't uh, neglect to mention the conference and convention and um, Currently, we don't have any um, here, but it may be possible with the ACB um, community podcast where the uh, community events are now uh, hosted moving forward. Um, you know, if we, um, I know they're looking to put, you know, topic driven com uh, community presentations out there. So it's very possible that we may have something that gets, you know, posted there as well uh, moving forward. So lots of great information available on demand. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Thank you, Maria. All right. Thank you uh, to both to Maria, Antoinette, and Jeff for uh, for your time today, for sharing about uh, your different affiliates, and thanks for providing that contact information. Um, moving ahead, uh, you, we've got a break for about a half hour from 3.30 to 4. Uh, from 4 to 4.55 today, you're going to be hearing my voice again as I present our 2020 ACBNY scholarship class. Uh, we have five recipients this year, and uh, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting panel. Uh, rather than just have them read their essays and such, uh, I decided let's make this more interactive between uh, myself and the uh, the app or the uh, the recipients. And we're basically going to have a panel discussion uh, where each of them gets to introduce themselves, and we're going to have you know, basically a discussion on different questions re you know, related to, you know, being blind and. Uh, you know, a student and what challenges they've overcome and such. So I think it's going to be a, uh, an entertaining hour, and I think you're going to get to know them pretty well. And, uh, you know, again, these, these are the future, you know, the future of ACB. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. From four or, or after, uh, after, after the scholarship presentation, uh, there's about a five-minute break. And then from 5 o'clock to 6.15 p.m., we're going to take ACB NY through the decades. Uh, Audrey Shading is going to be hosting a... Uh, a discussion with several of the members who've been around for a while, old and new, uh, and basically telling stories and talking about their experience with ACB, what it's meant to their meant to their lives, etc. And then finally, from six uh, six fifteen to six thirty this evening is the closing ceremonies with our president Karen Blackwicks and probably more of Annie Chapetta, uh, who has done an absolute wonderful job of hosting this convention this weekend. Thank you, Annie. You're welcome. And. Uh, then from 7.30 tonight, there's a Zoom happy hour, basically, the after hours with Dave, David Dunphy. Uh, feel free to join that. That's a different link. Um, that's not going to be streaming on ACB radio, so it's a little more free. And, uh, it's in the program. There you go. Uh, it was posted today. Correct. Yep, Annie did send out a reminder again to, to all the registered participants. So without further ado, enjoy your next 30 minutes break and the music that's going to be played, and we'll see you back at 4 o'clock. Welcome to this sample of Newsreel Magazine. In the next few minutes, you'll learn what Newsreel is and how to subscribe. Newsreel. At the end of this sample, we're offering a free three-month trial of Newsreel. Newsreel. 
This is Erwin Hot. I'm editor of Newsreel Magazine by and for the blind. It's monthly and available in a variety of formats. Newsreel. Newsreel is unique in that many of the articles are submitted in the voices of our blind or visually impaired subscribers. Newsreel was founded in 1958 by Stanley Doran, founder of Pilot Dogs and co-founder of the Central Ohio Radio Reading Service. I'm Erwin Hott. I'm also a founder of the Central Ohio Radio Reading Service and have been involved with Newsreel since the mid-1980s as editor for more than 20 years. Each issue has from 55 to 60 articles on topics such as mobility, traveling with a guide dog and or a cane, recipes, book reviews, poetry, music, technology, demonstrations, and much, much more. Here are a few snippets from recent issues. This is Dana Ard. I am wondering what people know about the various smart TVs that are now out there. This is Joan Andrews in Ashtabula, Ohio. I think televisions have gotten really pretty uh, accessible. Paul and I just bought two new televisions, one for downstairs and one for up here. This new uh, LG television that we have, it has Braille on the remote. It says P for power next to the power button, and uh, it says V next to the volume button. The volume will speak and tell you what level it's on, and it says C next to the channel button. Paul got a second television for downstairs, and uh, it talks, too. They both do. If you push the mute button, it says mute, and then when you turn the sound back on, it says volume, and it'll tell you what level you're at. It also has one that's labeled accessibility. Thank you. This is Charles Dickens in Sacramento. The lady that talked about she wasn't able to follow TV because she has a hearing problem. I have hearing aids that uh, have two microphones on and I can adjust them. And one is the TV mold. On the hearing aids, I have what they call the T-coil mold that you get a device and you hook it up to your TV and you can hear through the hearing aids. Now I'm going to get Bluetooth hearing aids that you can do the same thing. From Tom Kaufman and David Goldfield. DoorDash now offers grocery delivery. The company said Thursday it's partnering with Meyer and Fresh Time to deliver to customers in Chicago, Cincinnati, Milwaukee. This is Tom Likens. Does anybody know about the chameleon Braille note taker that is uh, manufactured by Humanware. Thank you. This is Nolan Crabb. I am looking today at a book that I'm hopeful you'll enjoy. And, and if you enjoy a good police procedural and a mystery, this will absolutely rock your house. The Night Fire, Renee Ballard, number three, Harry Bosch, number 22, by Michael Conley. From Nancy Scott. Pandemics teach things. Don't take anything for granted. Don't put things off. Entrepreneurs can be clever. Fun is hopeful. Fun with other people is more hopeful. And magic can appear with the addition or subtraction of one ingredient. Al Subiaga with a question. I was wondering if any of you, especially you totals, had ever cut your own grass, and if so, how did you do it? That's it for this sample of Newsreel Magazine, Buying for the Blind. 
For more information, call us at 614-469-0700 or 888-723-8737. We are offering a three-month trial of Newsreel Magazine for free. It's available on NLS-type cartridge or a thumb drive as a download from our website on 4-track cassette or an MP3 CD. Our email is info, I-N-F-O, at newsreelmag.org. Thanks for listening. California. Florida. Iowa. Texas. Guide dog users. Students. IT professionals. Government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention. And operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. Do you use an Android or iOS device? ACB Link connects members and friends of the American Council of the Blind. With ACB Link, access valuable resources. Get push notifications designed to keep you in the know about late-breaking news items of value to ACB members and friends. Easily and conveniently connect to the ACB state and special interest affiliates of your choice. Be informed and entertained by the programming available from ACB Radio's various channels. Play ACB podcasts on demand and gain valuable information that focuses on dealing with sight loss whether you're facing vision loss yourself or have someone in your life who is. ACB Link is intuitive, easy to use, and fully accessible. Download it today from your app store. Be in the know and enjoy what ACB has to offer through ACB Link. Hi, my name's Lena. I'm the Marketing Manager for Orchem Technologies, and I'm here today with my colleague, Dr. Brian Walensky, and we're going to just be talking about the latest developments of Orchem. Can you tell me about yourself? Hi, my name is Dr. Brian Walensky. I'm an optometrist in New York City, and one of my specialties is low vision rehabilitation. So what is the Orchem MyEye? The Orchem MyEye is the world's most advanced wearable assistive technology that was designed for people who are blind, visually impaired, or have reading challenges. The device is about the size of your finger and attaches magnetically to most any eyeglasses. Specifically, how the device works is that it takes a photograph or picture of the visual information and then speaks back that information auditorily to the user through a speaker next to the ear or through a Bluetooth headset or headphones. The device function specifically is reading. It's able to read off of any surface. That includes computer screens and smartphones. OrCam also has facial recognition, also recognizes barcodes, products, paper money, colors, and has a tell time feature. So I'd also like to introduce the smart reading feature, and it works like so. Smart reading. Ready. Read the headlines. Found two headlines. First result, women dominate Booker Prize list. Second result, Venice plans to hold its film festival. Read the first article. Women dominate Booker Prize list. 
by Alex Marshall, Hilary Mantle and Ann Tyler are among the early nominees. London, Hilary Mantle's The Mirror. I am listening. And smart reading is that easy. What is the OrCam Read? OrCam Read is OrCam's newest device, which is a reading device, and it's handheld. Just recently launched in March of 2020, OrCam Read is just that. It is a reading assistive technology device. Leveraging off of OrCam's already computer vision technology, OrCam Read is very helpful for someone to read text. And what it does is you can read text not only a whole entire page, but also from anywhere you want within that text. With OrCam Read, you can read from anywhere you want in the text, a paragraph of the text, or even a whole page. And this is done through its laser guidance system. It has a point and click operation function where you just press on a trigger button, which activates a laser light that comes out. There are two different laser lights that come out. One is a cursor and another one is a bounding box, bounding the area of where you want it to read. So the cursor you would use to start from anywhere you want within the text. So if it's a newspaper, I could start at one article or another, or if it's a book, I can start in the middle of the book or the top of the page. If I want the whole page, all I need to utilize is the bounding box laser, and I bound the whole page, and it will read from the whole page. Or if I just want to get a paragraph, all I need to do is outline that paragraph, and OrCam Read will instantly start reading to the user. So who may be the potential users of OrCam's devices? OrCam products can be used by people who are blind or visually impaired, or by people who are auditory readers, or have reading difficulties, like people who have dyslexia. It can be used by anyone of any age, any technological ability, and any type of vision loss, no matter what eye condition they have. So where would people be using their OrCam device, at work or in their personal life? Well, the answer is both. People can use OrCam at work, in their personal life, and even in school. There are many users that I've seen using OrCam at work in many different ways. They have a meeting and they go to a, or they go to a boardroom and they're given a piece of paper and they can read the information right there and then. Or they can read something off their computer screen. And even because OrCam is portable, they could take it on the go and as everybody now is working from home, OrCam could be used in the home. But not only for work. OrCam is used in people's personal lives. People can use OrCam again for reading, for facial recognition, Shopping independently is a big feature, but OrCam can be used anywhere. Reading your mail, reading a menu at a restaurant, and in school, OrCam could be very useful as well. So how would the OrCam device be helpful in the workplace? OrCam devices can be very helpful in the workplace. Specifically, it's reading function. Someone can walk into a board meeting, be handed an agenda, and read the information right there and then, without having to go somewhere else and scan it and then listen to it. So very helpful in that it's portable. As well as when you're at work, there is a socialization factor at work. So the facial recognition feature really comes in handy. As we know, 70% of people who are blind and visually impaired are either unemployed or underemployed. This technology that OrCam offers really levels the playing field and helps the people succeed at their job, creating possibly even other opportunities. Contact Evan Cannon at OrCam for any questions or to learn how you can qualify for a limited-time 10% discount. Please email evan.cannon 
O-N at O-R-C-A-M dot com or call 631-766-0016. Hello, this is Anne from Tangible Surface Research. I hope all is well and that you are staying active and healthy. I'm the creator of the Halos Tactile Icons, those shaped stickers that identify the location and function of buttons on your home appliances. My Tactile Icon sticker packages are available in high contrast orange, black, and clear. Well, this year we're adding another variation, which is multicolor. For example, the start icons are green and the stop icons are red. You can find the new multicolor packages at my Etsy store, which is halosystem.etsy.com. That is H-A-L-O-S-Y-S-T-E-M dot E-T-S-Y dot com. All other Halos Tactile Icon packages are available from Independent Living Aids and LSNS. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch. And I hope to see you next year. Hi, I'm Abby Taylor with Behind Our Eyes. We are a writer's organization that is open to authors with all disabilities, not just those with blindness or low vision. We meet at least three times a month via phone conference for critique sessions, panel discussions, guest speakers, and more, and have a lot of fun. We have an email list where members can share their work and where announcements of upcoming activities are posted. We have published two anthologies of our members' poems, stories, and essays, and are working on a third. We also produce an online journal called Madness and Letters. For more information and to join, visit www.behindoureyes.org. That's www.behindoureyes dot org. If you have questions, you can email me at abbytaylor945 at gmail.com. That's A-B-B-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R-945 at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Christopher Burke. I'm the Executive Director of the Northeastern Association of the Blind. On behalf of everyone at NABA, I would like to congratulate the American Council of the Blind of New York for their 50 years of dedicated service to the blind community and for their unwavering commitment to advocating and promoting the issues and actions that have improved lives of blind New Yorkers. NABA is proud to be a partner with ACB and we will continue to work together to provide services and supports that help us fulfill our mission to help people who are blind or visually impaired achieve independence and growth. I very much look forward to the years ahead and our continued success. Congratulations, ACB, for all that you have achieved and all that is yet to come. Thank you. The New York State School for the Blind wants to congratulate the American Council of the Blind of New York, Incorporated, on its 50 years of advocacy. The School for the Blind truly recognizes the commitment your organization has made to the lives and families of people with visual impairments. We appreciate and value your hard work and success in advocating and providing resources to ensure people are educated in knowing that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or your future. 
We also want to recognize our alumni who are dedicated members of your organization. Our alumni are proof you can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. Best wishes. Special thanks to our virtual exhibitor sponsorships. Spectrum, OrCam, CAPFI, or the Central Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Lighthouse Guild, Andewit and Tangible Surface Research Limited, Behind Our Eyes, Newsreel Magazine, and the New York State Preferred Source Program for New Yorkers who are blind or visually impaired. Thanks to all of our individual sponsors, Anthony Stevens, Don Horn, Rita and Jim Polsoni, Roger Dennis, Nancy and Bill Murray, Mary Beth Metzger, Bob White, Ian Foley, Jean Mann, Maureen and Sal Moscato, Kathy Casey, Mary Ellen Cronin, Bob Charles Cronin, Kathy Farina, Ann Parsons, Mernavada, Dr. Joe Granderson, Becky Davidson, Donna Brown, Lacey Coward, Maria Samuels, Michael O'Brien, Karen Blackwitz, Annie Chiapetta, and Carrie Regan. Celebration Messages From Anthony Stevens Sending love to my former home. Hope everyone has a wonderful convention. From Joe Granderson Congratulations, ACB of New York, on this day of 50 years of celebration. From Carrie Regan, Happy 50th Anniversary, ACB of New York. Thanks for years of advocacy, support, and friendship. From Becky Davidson, Congrats, ACB of New York, on 50 years of service and advocacy on behalf of blind and visually impaired New Yorkers. From Ann Parsons, congratulations on 50 years. From Carrie Laney and the NYSPS, NYSPSP is pleased to join ACBNY again this year. Good wishes for a great conference. From Diane Jordan, Good times and well wishes to everyone during these trying times. God bless. From Andrew Pachinski, thank you to the NCB of New York for this generous scholarship. From Don Moore, here's hoping that the next 50 years will be as successful as the previous 50 years. From Jean Mann, ACB of New York, so glad to be a member of this great organization. Congratulations on our 50th anniversary. Here's hoping for 50 more years. From Mary Ellen Cronin, congratulations on 50 years of service and advocacy. From Bob Cronin, best wishes for a successful convention. From Kathy Farina, Congratulations to ACB of New York on their 50th anniversary. From Maria Samuels, the Westchester Council of the Blind of New York is proud to be a chapter of the American Council of the Blind of New York. Here's looking forward to the next 50 years. From GDUES, Guide Dog Users of the Empire State, Happy Tales and Many Licks, to ACB of New York. Congratulations 
on your anniversary. Woof! From Karen Blackwitz, congratulations, ACB of New York, on 50 years of excellence. I am proud to be your president. A message from the Remembrances and Tributes Committee. The past six months have impacted all of us. We've persevered through the pain of loss, illness, isolation, and a poor economy. This poem is a tribute to those who have passed on and still live on in our hearts. We remember them. In the rising of the sun and its going down, we remember them. In the blowing of the wind and in the chill of winter, we remember them. In the opening of buds and in the warmth of summer, we remember them. In the rustling of leaves and in the beauty of autumn, we remember them. In the beginning of the year and when it ends, we remember them. When we are weary and in need of strength, we remember them. When we are lost and sick at heart, we remember them. When we have joys we yearn to share, we remember them. So long as we live, they too shall live, for they are now a part of us, as we remember them. From Gates of Prayer, Judaism Prayer Book.
Okay. Um, that's Dana, Nana Hill, you mean? Or Mana Hill? Yeah, or? Mana Hill, yep. Mana Hill, okay. Let me, uh, I'll watch for that. Okay. And let's see. Uh, Lysha would be a 646 number ending in 570. Okay, I don't. Don't see either of those, right? Okay. Don't see either of those at this point. So. Okay. And this is Tyson. I hey, see Tyson. there's a Manaho Jaffrey in the, ah, in the attendees. Bingo. Okay. 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 Got okay her. There you go. Got That's it. her. Okay. Was, so then the we're looking one? for Lysha Gonzalez. We'll keep an eye out. Okay. Awesome. I'll check my email. There's Lysha. Sure. There's Lysha. Hey, all right. There's Lysha. Got her. <laughs> and Beautiful. And then we're live and ready, you're ready to go. Awesome. All right. Thank you. All right, welcome to the 50th anniversary ACB of New York Convention. Everybody, my name is Ian Foley. I'm the president of the American Council of the Blind of Western New York, as well as the ACBNY Scholarship Chair. It's my privilege to conduct this session with our 2020 American Council of the Blind of New York Scholarship class. We will, in a few minutes, introduce the my five recipients. I think all five are here, which is great. Um, just kind of finding my place here. So there's a little story coming into this year's scholarship uh, program and how we came up with five uh, five recipients. Usually we award one $1,000 scholarship uh, as part of the American Council of the Blind of New York scholarship program. However, there's been a couple years, uh, you know, I've, I've been around since 2016, and there's been a couple years in, in my time where a scholarship was not awarded, and, you know, we just didn't have applicants or we didn't have, um, you know, a, a suitable or fitting applicant that met the qualifications of what we were looking for. Uh, so this year, as I took over chairing the committee, as uh, Karen became president of ACBNY, um, my goal coming into the scholarship program this year was to expand the publicity and the outreach and try to get a good handful or a you know, good pool of applicants. And by doing so with the wonderful members of my committee, we were able to do just that. Um, from you know, having scant or no applications in previous years, um, you know, basically relying on the, on the state VR system to distribute our information and our website. This year, we opened up the box and said, let's contact as many colleges and universities as we possibly can, reaching out to their student access offices, their disabled student service offices, and create an email database that we can just basically bombard them with announcements about this with the link and you know, make it so easy for people to apply for it and for them to distribute it, and it paid off in dividends. So first off, I would like to thank my committee members. Um, I have a very talented group of uh, scholarship committee members. Um, I think three of them are actually uh, former teachers, and I guess once you're a teacher, you're always a teacher. So I'd like to begin by thanking Maureen Moscato of the Greater New York chapter, um, Ann Parsons from our Rochester chapter, and Bob White from our Greater New York chapter as well. And of course, I couldn't forget President Karen Blackwicks, who chaired this committee for the couple years before I chaired it. 
and paved the road to the success that we had this year. Um, I borrowed a lot of Karen's forms uh, while creating the scholarship application and the website and such. So thank you for all the work you put into this in the last few years, Karen. And let's see. All right. So as we prepared, as we, as we worked on the marketing and publicity of this this year, we exponentially improved the number of applications that we received. Um, so we had a very good problem as the scholarship committee, unable to choose one person. We rounded it, you know, we basically ended up with five incredibly strong candidates, very talented uh, individuals who not only advocated for themselves, but were also very active in their communities, advocating for others, helping other people with disabilities and other blind people, you know, learn how to do things, um, you know, education, teaching, role modeling, supporting, you know, sometimes fighting, you know, on behalf of others. So, you know, exactly what we were looking for as scholarship winners, you know, as, you know, as the scholarship program is a recruiting tool for the American Council of the Blind of New York, we have five prospective strong leaders who could easily, you know, step into the shoes of leadership, you know, as they, you know, as they mature and, you know, work, work with us, you know, through the American Council of the Blind and their local chapters on, on the state level, on the national level. So, you know, like we were saying in the last session with the uh, ACB Next Gen and the ACB students, you know, this is the cream of the crop. We were so thrilled to have, you know, these five applicants stand out among the, you know, among the applications we received. So we, you know, we spent a, a conference call one night unable to come to a conclusion or a, uh, a consensus of, you know, who was going to get this. So we thought outside the box and we expanded saying, you know what, it's a virtual convention. We're not having to pay transportation and lodging this year. Let's open her up. And we got board approval, uh, you know, the week or two after that. And here we are for the first time in ACBNY history, awarding five scholarships. So it's an exciting year, and uh, I'm happy to introduce the, uh, the class of 2020. All right. I'm going to name them first, and then I'll have, uh, I'll have each of you uh, introduce yourselves. So our first place winner, winning a $1,000 scholarship, was Manahill Jeffrey of New York City. Our second place Recipient winning $500 is Abigail Shaw, also of New York. Our third place winner is Caleb Smith, and he was awarded $250. And we had two alternates, or runner-ups, honorable mentions, call them what you will, but two people who we still felt, oh my gosh, we've got to award you with something simply because it was such a strong application. You're exactly who you want, you know, who we'd want applying for this. And any other year, Andrew Pachinski and Lysha Gonzalez could have easily been the winner. Um, with competition like Manahill, Abigail, and Caleb, it was a tough pool. And it was, it was a difficult call to try to rank these. So I'd like to uh, open up the microphones, if we could, and start off with Manahill. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Manahill. Hi, 
And and all all the scholarship winners, you have been given uh, permission to. You can unmute yourself and uh, speak when Ian calls on you. So go right ahead, Manny Hill. You guys want to just go through the commands on how to mute and unmute, if you would, for a second. Sure. He oh. um, Manny Hill's got his. Oh, hand. there she is. There she is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Manahill. Uh, thank you, Ian, um, for introducing me. Um, but yeah, um, I'm Manahill Chaffrey. I'm 18 years old. I live in Staten Island, and um, I'm a first semester freshman. Currently, I'm attending Hunter College, doing a double major in political science and economics. However, next, um, for my sophomore year, I'm going to be transferring to Cornell University, where I will be majoring in policy analysis and management. Um, and I really, like, getting the scholarship was just amazing, and I, I did not expect it at all. I just want to say thank you so much for the entire ACB um, board and anyone who reviewed my application. I honestly, when I applied for it, I did not expect it. So just thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Manahill, could you take it a little further with your intro um, and just tell me what you're aspiring to pursue? Um, oh, mm-hmm. of course. So um, in the future, um, after undergrad, I would really like to attend law school um, and do a double a dual degree in law and master of public policy. And my ultimate career goal in life is to uh, advocate for people with disabilities and create policies that could help improve their living, um, specifically in the education system. Because as a person who went to um, a public high school where I was the only disabled person, I've noticed a lot of disparities. So I would just like to improve them in any way possible and make my mark and just help people. Awesome. And I think you just demonstrated exactly what I was talking about, that you guys are the cream of the crop and the future of this organization. So thank you for that, Manahill. We'll come back to you uh, once we get into the panel discussion. Thanks for the introduction and congratulations on being the first place winner. Yeah. And Ian, before we go on just to the scholarship winners, Mm -hmm. um, if you, when you're called upon, you can unmute. If you're on a computer, a PC, it's alt a, if you're on a, uh, Mac, it's Command Shift A. If you're on a regular telephone, it's Star Six. And if you are on the app, um, uh, you've been allowed to talk, so you should have a mute button that you can. That's a toggle, so it'll mute and unmute you. So um, it should. When Ian calls up on you, you should see it say unmute, and you can unmute and go ahead and do whatever he wants you to do. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. All right. I've, I've had to hear those dis- those descriptions or those instructions a few times in the last two days as well. So, <laughs> All right. Second place, uh, our winner is Abigail Shaw. Ab- Abigail was the recipient of a $500 scholarship from the American, Blind, or American Council of the Blind of New York. Um, Abigail, would you like to unmute and introduce yourself, please? Good afternoon, everybody. This is Abigail. I'm based in Brooklyn, where I live with my husband and guide dog. I am currently at Fordham University um, pursuing my master's in social work as a part student. I should finish by December of 2021. Um, And I'm interested in using my social work degree to be able to um, 
influence change in public policy for people with disabilities. Um, I'm currently interning with New York City Transit and getting a lot of hands-on exposure to how um, policies and agencies really can make a difference in uh, people's lives. Um, and I'm also incredibly grateful for this opportunity. Um, and it's been a pleasure getting to talk with Ian and even in the last couple of days to chat with some of the other scholars. Um, and I'm really glad that you all were able to expand the offerings to uh, several of us this year and just want to again say thank you for everything. Thank you, Abigail. Nicely done. All right. And, you know, again, after hearing Abigail's introduction, you can see where we struggled. You know, we have even the top two recipients, you know, have been so active in their communities and, you know, the their long-term goal is to basically influence, you know, social justice and change for people with disabilities. You know, again, exactly who we're looking for. So thank you, Abigail. I'd like to introduce our third place winner, uh, Caleb Smith. Uh, Caleb is also from, uh, I think, Manhattan, New York, and uh, is the recipient of a $250 award. So Caleb, the floor is yours, my friend. Thanks. Yeah, my name is Caleb Smith. I'm originally from Massachusetts, and I lived in Washington, D.C. for um, most of my post-graduation time from undergrad, but I'm, I'm now a law student at Columbia Law School in Manhattan, uh, where I live. Um, I'm here on campus, and yeah, my so I'm in my second year here. Uh, we don't generally have specialties, um, but at least the plan for right now is to go to a law firm afterward, and then, and then we'll see what happens after that. Um, here at the law school, I, you know, I noticed that uh, some of you expressed an interest in law. So I, the accommodations have been very good here. So definitely please think about Columbia when you're, when you're looking at a law school. Uh, we also have a student disability group here at the law school, Columbia, Columbia Law Students for Disability Rights. I'm on the board of that organization. We have you know, a broad spectrum of, of people with disabilities at the organization. So it's, it's good to have that community on campus and it just provides a natural advocacy forum or any disability issues that come up in the school um, to advocate for. And um, as far as long-term career goals, um, so I've just benefited immensely from people who have made their specialty helping people with disabilities. My goal is just slightly different, which is that, um, you know, there are a number of blind lawyers out there. Um, I have not, I've only known of a few who ended up at law firms or at higher levels of, of, of the legal industry. And even then it felt as though people were often not, um, not given the same real and meaningful work as, as other people in the firm. So I think my goal is more to see is to succeed at a law firm in at least some capacity and show that it can be done both for, for people who are legally blind and blind, as well as for people in general with disabilities um, and to be able to influence the culture of these places that just do so much as far as they're hired, that control so much of who's able to succeed and who's not. Sounds like you're looking to break that glass ceiling. And Caleb's introduction was sponsored by the Columbia Law School, as you can hear. <laughs> Very, uh, it's great to hear that you're so active, uh, you know, in in the disability, you know, the disabled students uh, organization at Columbia. And it's awesome to hear that they are so good uh, in accommodating and, you know, working with you as a student. Uh, that's not always the case as well as many of us know. So thank you, Caleb. Nice job.
All right. Andrew, are you on with us? That sounds like a yes. Thought I heard a bump of a microphone. I don't even, even and everybody, Andrew Pachinski. Thank you for the great introduction and thank you for the great challenging class that we have. I said for the, for the scholarships that we have, um, I am a member of the New York State Institute of Massage in my fourth term. I really appreciate that the ACB is looking at degree and vocational and technical programs towards the scholarship program. It's opening doors to a lot of other students out there. And there are, um, I am a member of the NFTA advisory committee here in Buffalo, New York area, helping blind and as I would call people with not disabilities, but with challenges, you know, working to make uh, public transit more accessible. And I am a volunteer with the Food Bank of Western New York, which is now called Feedmore, showing that somebody with a challenge, not a disability, can also add to the to the world and not take away from it. Awesome. Just uh, just to piggyback on what Andrew was saying, the NFTA is the Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority, so that's basically our metro system here in the Buffalo Niagara area. So, all right. Thank you, Andrew. Nice job. Thank you. And Andrew's actually talking to us from an uh, from an Amtrak train coming home from uh, New Hampshire this weekend. So thanks for uh, for joining us, and I hope your internet connection remains stable. <laughs> I hope so too. So if I break out, I apologize to everybody. We will understand. But I do thank everybody for the scholarship. I say greatly appreciate it towards all my expenses. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Last but not least, we have Leisha Gonzalez from Manhattan, New York. Leisha, are you on the line with us? Yes. Um, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Leisha Gonzalez. Um, like Ian said, I'm based in Manhattan, New York. I'm, uh, I'm actually pursuing a degree, an associate's degree right now on performing arts, um, which then I would like to follow up with um, a bachelor's degree and the same major on performing arts, which um, will help me become a vocal coach or a performing artist um, myself. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that the scholarship committee took me into account this year to be one of the um, scholarship recipients. Um, I will. I really, really. Um, was um, a little bit surprised because like all the other scholarship recipients have mentioned before, they have like a lot of other social work and social justice um, advocacy and all of that. Um, like they embrace what social justice is for people with challenges, like Andrew said. Um, I specifically would like to get a performing arts major to not only make people that have challenges more comfortable with um, their voices, but also to help everybody find their, what their passion is. Because um, I got a lot of help from my high school and my um, mission team when I was in high school to know what I wanted to do. And I wanna make sure that everybody is um, able to recognize 
their passion and their own personalities. Um, I also am very um, active on the blind community. Um, I'm a YouTuber. I constantly post videos related to education, specifically vision education, not only for blind community members, but family members as well. Um, not only like with videos in Spanish, which um, comes naturally to me since I'm from the Dominican Republic originally, but also in English to um, make people um, understand not only that blind community members are able and capable to do anything, but also to make family members more aware of what they can do to help um, their family members who have a challenge or um, whatever visually impairment. Awesome. Thank you, Laisha. And the, the, the last piece you were talking about families, um, you know, earlier in the, in the last session, uh, there was a mention of ACB families as one of the national affiliates that, you know, deal specifically with that, helping parents, um, you know, who are either blind or visually impaired themselves or parents of children who are blind and visually impaired. Um, so that might be an interesting niche for you to slip into as well, you know, besides next gen and students and, you know, and others. So very, very good. Thank you very much. So as I mentioned earlier, um, besides congratulating our, our five scholarship recipients, I'm basically going to have a panel discussion with them. So I've got three questions that I'm asking them. Uh, there might be a fourth if I have time to sneak it in. But the first question is going to be, what barriers, either internal or external, have you overcome um, as a person who is blind? So let's start, let's actually go backwards. Let's start with Lysha, since I just had you, uh, since I just had you up on my screen. Okay, um, um, I like to think that one of the biggest um, barriers that I had to overcome was um, not only moving to a new country when I started losing my vision, um, as well as continuing my education in the high school where I didn't know anybody, where um, at first I didn't have um, accommodations or basically nobody to help me. Um, I feel like that was one of the biggest um, struggles that I've had to overcome with um, being legally blind. Um, yeah, that's just one of the main ones that I that come up to my mind right now. That's a big challenge. You came from another country as you know as a as not a you know not a native English speaker to you know of all places New York City. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk about, you know, baptism by fire. And, you know, so you came into the largest city in the world um, and, you know, adjusted to, you know, being legally blind, a new education system, a new language, you know, a, a whole new environment. That's, that's huge. So very good. And apparently, you know, based on the recommendation letters, you know, that we received from some of the, some of your teachers and such, you know, you obviously have, you know, done very well with that. And, you know, obviously the fact that you're here as part of the 2020 scholarship class, you know, is a testament to how well you've adjusted and transitioned to, you know, to your new environment, to, to this life. So congratulations. Thank you. All right. All right. Next up, let's go back to Andrew. Andrew, same question. What kind of uh, challenges, either internal or external, what kind of barriers internal or external have you uh, had to overcome as someone who's blind? 
one of the major factors I overcame is my blindness came later in life. I became visually impaired at the age of 40, then totally blind at the age of 41. So it came later in life for myself, and it caused me to really um, readjust my whole life. I said I came from a, you know, a driver career, I said, as a driving physician and doing things with um, students, you know, I was a school bus driver. And it caused me to really recenter my life and think about what do I need to do now that I lost my vision, you know, from going from low vision to totally being blind. And I picked a going into a massage field is because I can use my, you know, my hands and my mind to, um, take care of people as I was doing in life. You know, I said, when I started from, I said, that's one of me, that was the biggest change in my whole life that, um, it was a whole different type of attitude. I had to really look on the inside and change, you know, my, you know, so in my life. Yeah. And, you know, you and I had a conversation, you know, this past week, Andrew, that, you know, you, you had to adjust in your, you know, in your forties to vision loss, you know, and, you know, not only a reduction in vision, but actually vision loss. And, you know, you could have easily said, okay, I'm retired. You know, I'm going on disability. And instead you looked at an occupation, you looked at you know, what can I do now to continue to be productive and, you know, help, help make a difference in people's lives. So kudos. And I had a lot of, and thank you. I'm, I, 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 I apologize. I'm you know, here. It's breaking up. <laughs> Ian, I apologize. I apologize. Is um because it was breaking up. Is I had a lot of assistance. Thank you through the commission for the blind. You know my um, counselor Darla Roberts or Miller now. Is she? Um, she really you know stood behind me in whatever decision I made, and to really emphasize that if you want something. She'll, she'll work with you, or I think any of the counselors will work with you, but you just got to show the initiative of what you want in life. You can't just roll up in a ball and sit in a corner and call it a day, like you said, and just not do anything in your life anymore. If you have you know a vision loss or you're going to total blindness. Absolutely true. And, you know, and again, that, that philosophy that you have demonstrated in your life is why you're in the scholarship class of 2020. You know, it's that perseverance, that resilience that I'm going to get up and fight and I'm going to make something of myself despite, you know, what just happened. So, all right. Thank you very much, Andrew. All right. Caleb, we'll ask you the same question. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, I could give a bunch of responses. Uh, one thing that certainly jumps to mind uh, with me is, um, my vision loss, you know, I started out legally blind, but um, it, it felt roughly stable for most of my life until I was, you know, 25. I've never driven or anything, but, you know, age 25 onward, age 25 saw a fairly sharp reduction. And then there's been some steady decline since then. And that was hard for me to adjust, especially because I was out of school and it, you know, we're just schools, I feel like often just provide you with those resources better. And I was not well connected when I was in DC at first to the blind community. So I was, I was losing my vision. It was getting worse. I was having more and more trouble doing things and really just kind of growing discouraged with what I would be able to do. And um, that didn't turn around really until a few years ago, uh, really two or three years ago. And, um, you know, especially t 
talking to other blind people in the DC community and seeing there was more I could do. When you lose things little by little, also you sometimes avoid making the big adjustments like, okay, you're going to start using voiceover as your primary, um, as your primary way of using your phone now, instead of trying to, to see things on it. So, and lots of other adjustments that came that way. Um, so for me, it was a lot of just trying to accept that the change was happening um, get the help I needed. And then once I embraced that, you know, everything from traveling by myself to joining a blind ice hockey league, uh, which, you know, we have one in New York, if any of you are athletes and in the greater New York area, you really should join. But, um, um, I just really had to embrace that there were new ways to do things. It was going to take some learning, but there were, there were ways to replace some of the activities I had used to do. And I really needed that community around me to show me how. So, Though that I felt like was often the biggest barrier that I didn't even really know was there as a barrier for many years. All right. Awesome. Certainly a transition. And, you know, as, as somebody, you know, myself having retinitis pigmentosa, you know, a degenerative eye disease, you know, since the age of 30, I've been slowly losing my vision, similarly to what you're describing, Caleb, you know, and you're exactly right. You kind of wonder, okay, at what point do I do this? At what point do I do that? You know, and you just, you instinctively, you know, figure it out as the needs arise. You know, I used to be a magnification user. I'm now, a, you know, a JAWS and voiceover user. I'm learning Braille. You know, I'm transitioning for, you know, for the ultimate lights out, you know, so that I can continue to be productive and do what I've got to do. And you know, that's what I'm hearing with you as well. You know, I also know from speaking with you last week, you know, you had, um, you had a very interesting um I guess kind of a uh, kind of a revelation, I guess, where you you know you were you were struggling, you were discouraged, and suddenly there was just kind of this light that came on. You said, "You know what? I've got to embrace technology. There's ways I can do this," and that opened up your world. And you suddenly found the courage and the the enthusiasm to go explore the world. You know, moving to DC and you know, eventually back to New York City for, uh, or to New York City for law school, you know, that, that was a huge transition. You know, you embraced it and, you know, definitely making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. I mean, I, my vision has been going down, but I can certainly do more now than I could three years ago. Isn't that Even funny? My vision has deteriorated. Yep. So. Absolutely. All right. And again, you know, that's, that's why you're in the class of 2020, my friend. So, all right, Abigail, same question. What kind of barriers, internal or external, have you overcome as a person who's blind? Yeah, so I have uh, a couple of thoughts on, on both the internal and external. I'm also a, uh, someone with RP, so um, happy to be part of the club. <laughs> um, I think in undergrad, um, I, I actually studied music and audio production, and I went to a state school. I'm originally from North Carolina and that's uh, where I got my bachelor's um, and although I had a lot of support from my state's services for the blind um, I was the first one of the first students that they'd ever had that wanted to pursue something um, like audio production and they they wanted to support me but there was a lot of lack of knowledge surrounding what assistive technology is compatible with programs that are um, prominent in the industry, like Pro Tools or Logic. And these are programs you use to record and manipulate audio. Um, and so that was, that was a bit of a challenge. I had the support, but having to 
you know, educate other people on how best to provide accommodations for me so I could succeed. Um, and I also had a lot of advocating that I had to do with uh, the School of Music where I went, again, being the first um, blind student that had been in this program. And I made a lot of ground and created lots of <clears throat> long-lasting relationships with my professors and with the faculty. And I'm really proud of that because I think sometimes um, as students or as individuals that are blind or have various disabilities, we think that advocacy is just a fight. And um, I'm, I'm still in touch with a lot of those professors and instructors. Um, and I'm really glad that we were able to collaboratively find ways for me to, to engage and participate, but it was certainly a challenge. Um, and then my senior year of undergrad, I actually was diagnosed with cancer. And for anyone, um, that's frightening. That's a lot to navigate. But as a young adult, it was also a challenge because I had a diagnosis with a pretty good um, prognosis. I still had to go through chemo and radiation. Um, but then I had, I had this other part of myself I had to advocate for in school, um, trying to prove to my professors that, yeah, I can still stick this out and I, I still want to finish my degree. Um, and, and, com and convincing people that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a young adult with still a lot of life to live. Um, and so those, that was just a lot of things to navigate the first, you know, the four years of undergrad. Um, and I think internally with myself, I moved to New York in uh, the spring of 2014 with hopes of working in the music industry. Um, and I had a couple of internships here. And I just kept encountering time after time um, employers not understanding, again, disability. Um, being a woman in a predominantly male-dominated field was also a huge hurdle. Um, and after cobbling together various part-time jobs uh, here in the city, I got a job with where I work to this day full-time, Learning Ally, um, their formerly RFB&D. And I'm able to use my skills with audio to help produce our audiobooks. Um, and I've, I've worked with them for going on uh, October is actually five years. Um, but I had an internal struggle since working with Learning Ally. Um, I also coordinate a mentorship program we have for college students that are blind or visually impaired. And that experience is what compelled me to go for my master's in social work. But the internal struggle and kind of barrier <laughs> I created for myself was just that um, I, I wanted for a long time to to ha to fulfill this image of you know being a woman with a disability working in the entertainment industry, um, and I felt like pursuing something in the human services field meant that I was um, succumbing to society's low expectations, um, and it's just been once I kind of put that to the side and stopped being a barrier to myself, um, I'm really excited about what, what I'm doing and um, the work that I do with our mentoring program, helping to empower and motivate students to pursue the things they're passionate about. So in summary, I think that um, societal barriers have been a huge challenge for me, but also just myself of um, not 
not being consumed or concerned with what other people think a woman who's blind, you know, what they should or shouldn't be doing um, and pursuing the things that I'm passionate about. Very good. I can identify with, you know, not wanting to be pigeonholed to those quote blind jobs, you know, right. um, yeah, the, you know, I, I try to avoid, you know, the blind community for years, um, you know, just stubbornly wanting to do my own thing and not wanting to fall into that until I realized at one point, you know, I could be a role model. I could help other people, you know, have the success that I've had in my career, you know, and, you know, to the point where opening up, you know, my own shop to, to basically help people, you know, return to employment and gain self-sufficiency. So I like what you were saying that you, you kind of started off in school as your own advocate, but you ultimately became a resource, you know, instead of fighting for yourself, you're now somebody they can turn to and say, hey, Abigail, what do you think about this? Or how should we handle this if we have a student? You know, that's a neat, uh, that's a, it's a neat paradigm change, you know, from fighting for yeah. yourself to becoming, you know, basically a consultant. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, and I, I think it's um, just, you know, approaching advocacy advocacy as a collaborative process has um has shown me a lot about like working with other people in various contexts so absolutely all right thank you very much all right and last but not least manahill um tell us about a barrier that either internal or external that you've overcome as someone who's blind yeah of course so similarly to abigail my journey to like advocacy and stuff all started when I um in my school life so like ever since like um, I was diagnosed with my disability in like kindergarten so you know it's always been like a huge part and like throughout school specifically due to me being the only disabled person like throughout um in my schools um it's been very difficult to try and get the proper accommodations that I need. Um, something that I have noticed throughout like a lot of people that I've talked to and just like my overall understanding is that people with disabilities, not just blind people, but people with disabilities in general are kind of seen as like not, you know, as capable. And when we're looking in the education system, they are seen as um, stupid or, you know, not as intelligent. So, um, as I'm like first um, generation American, my parents immigrated from Pakistan. Um, so there was a huge push for me to be um, successful and stuff um, from my parents. So they, my school was very pushing in me to be placed in like lower level classes. However, like my parents really pushed for me to be placed in like the higher level classes because they knew I had the ability to do the work. So seeing my parents just push for that, specifically my mother, gave me some sort of like shield. And that shield really helped me overcome the barriers that I've seen later on in my school life. Um, specifically in high school, um, I had an experience where during my SAT, um, my SAT like never came in. Um, they never sent it in Braille. They completely forgot to order it. Um, and I was just sent aside and they were like, oh, it's whatever. You could take it next time. 
And I feel like that really pushed me in the sense that I was like, wow, this is, this is real. This sucks. So I had to do a lot of pushing and a lot of advocating for myself and trying to make people understand that I'm just not something you could push to the side, right? Like, you know, people with disabilities, like we deserve just the same treatment as everyone else. So, you know, just trying to um, write off your mistakes of not ordering the SAT, um, you know, into like, oh, it's whatever. That's not, that's not going to slide with me. So, um, you know, just pushing that narrative really helped me um, come into my own, I feel. And um, more barriers that, like, internally is just the fear, I would say. Like, the fear of, oh, something might, like, you know, what if, like, I'm going to push for this and nothing comes of it. Or I'm going to try to... Um, I, I really want this to happen, but everyone's going to shut me down. Or even just going to a school and everyone, like you being the only like, quote unquote, like different kid, like there's just a fear that, oh, no one's going to accept me. No one's going to like me. So I feel like when I got over that fear and I just, again, um, gained confidence, um, I feel like that is the biggest barrier I overcome and that is what um helped me like you know be who I am today awesome great answer all right you guys have actually already pretty much answered the second question of how do you advocate for yourself or others (laughs) most of you have covered that already so let's take it to the third question is it different when you advocate for yourself versus advocating for someone else. Um, let's start, let's let's go right back to Manahill um, with that question. Yes. Um, I feel like, um, so I've definitely advocated for a lot of people, not um, just people with disabilities, um, but I feel like people, um, you know, advocating is such an important thing to do. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm a very, I guess, matter of fact, fact type person. So like, I personally don't really find a difference when I advocate for myself um, in response to someone else. Um, I feel like with myself, I may be kind of more aggressive in the sense that I just want it done. And with someone else, I may not always want um, to hurt, um, hurt them in any way. So, you know, I, but I consider myself very pushy and very aggressive because I just want to get stuff done. Um, And, you know, I don't think the fact that we have to push so hard should be a thing. So I feel like, um, I think personally, I do it like the same. All right. Thank you for that. And Abigail, how about you? Uh, Is it different when you advocate for someone else versus for yourself? Yeah, I think um, I think there are some variances I can certainly relate to Manahill about maybe being a little more aggressive um, when I'm advocating for myself. But, um, you know, one of the things I really 
why I picked social work over some of the other um, fields or programs that that have an emphasis on advocacy and and um, wanting to to impact policy and change is that there's this um, this idea of taking a strengths based approach to problems. So instead of just looking at a problem for the negatives, seeing how um, you know what strengths an individual or a community or a group might have um, in spite of the challenge. And so um, I think when I'm helping other people advocate, I like, I, I really try to focus on them feeling empowered and like that they are in control um, and can really dictate how a situation, you know, what an outcome might be. Um, so I think when I'm helping others advocate, I, I have a little bit more of a, um, it's more passive because I want to help support the other the other party so that's probably the only difference it sounds like you also tend to help draw out their strengths you know yeah definitely i i want when other people when i'm helping uh, again an individual or a group finding the tools to advocate for what they need i i don't want it to be just a one and done and you know we solved that one problem but help, looking more at at it as you know what? What are the the strengths, the characteristics? What do you have? What do you possess that can um, change this outcome? And how can you use that again? Because I think we all are aware that advocacy is an ongoing thing. It's not really just a one time, and you do it, and mm -hmm. things work out for for the best always. It becomes know? a lifetime endeavor for us. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Abigail. Caleb, same question. Um, how do you advocate differently for others or do you advocate differently for yourself than you do for others? You know, I, I guess in many ways it's a blessing, but I just, I actually haven't had to experience that a whole lot. I think the particular institutions I've been a part of had just, if you will, have been well plowed ground already. You know, I was homeschooled. So I obviously had a very well-tailored academic environment to my needs. Um, and then, you know, between Brandeis and Columbia Law School, um, I found that both were very receptive. There wasn't a lot of advocacy needed, which, again, a good thing. It just means my experience is a little different. I also, unfortunately, have, have generally been in the situation where there, there just hasn't been many people um, around me with like you know, with a like disability. So there actually hasn't been many people at these institutions to advocate for. Um, so in the few times that we have had someone sort of come up behind me who's younger, who who has a similar disability, my goal has been to try to mentor and just make sure that however small it is, we've got that little community of people who are going through similar challenges. And in one of the only academic challenges I've really had, um, you know, I take a test in different formats. Part of my test in, in a pretty important exam got lost by the school. No clue how it happened. They were not able to, to retrace at all how this happened. And again, like I said, I just found I didn't have to push very hard. And so I'm, I feel very blessed. And I also am just amazed at sort of the challenges that many people have had to deal with, even just listening on this call, whose, whose institutions have not been nearly as receptive. Um, and so that's something... I, I want to be a part of going forward, but unfortunately, I mean, I guess fortunately, I haven't had as much experience doing it. 
I think sometimes you can draw on your own success, you know, to help others, you know, to give them the encouragement that, you know, I was, I was fortunate to have people advocate for me or services were provided for me. You know, I didn't experience these barriers, but, you know, when you're dealing with someone who is having those barriers, you can assure them and encourage them, you know, empower them that, you know, it is possible to get through this with the right tools. You know, I had these tools, I can tell you that. So, you know, there's a way to flip it around, you know, and turn, you know, turn your good fortune, you know, into motivation for them, you know, and help advocate for, for them to, to receive the same benefits you had. So absolutely. All right. Thank you, Caleb. All right, Andrew, you're up next. How would you advocate differently for somebody else than you would for yourself? I take advocating as very important for myself and as a challenge for myself because I am a very strong-willed person. I don't mind going in and fighting for myself and any other person with a disability or challenge. In example, in my at school, I said when I started there, I, I was the first um, totally blind person to be there in over, they said, 10 years. And the whole curriculum changed a little bit, and they were having some issues. And I worked with the educational director on making more of the material accessible. And I was just being a strong advocate because I knew that that was going to help the students behind me to get farther with their education. You know, I had to struggle a little bit, which I'm totally okay, and I'm up for the challenge. But I'm out there to help others, including myself with advocating for different things at the school or through, through as again, like the NFTA, the transit authority here in Buffalo is being there as a voice for every, you know, I, I don't go in there for myself. I am there to help others and be a voice. Cause there are a lot of people that are out there that are shy and scared to help them. And it's not a bad thing, but it's there to help others get better in life with the whatever whatever situation they're in in a challenge in their life much like Caleb it sounds like you're yeah. you know you've kind of paved the road for the people coming behind you and yes, you know and I, by by your efforts you're making it easier for them and it it's a good feeling to have that you know it's helping myself and i know it's going to help people behind me to better themselves, to not just be, oh, I can't do nothing in life because I'm blind, mm-hmm. totally blind, low vision, or have a challenge. There's always that part is, there's always that room for self-improvement. If you have the drive and you have to give a lot of, some people that little um, push or pat on the shoulder, I say that in a nice mm-hmm. way, to help them to get to where they need to be. And I hope, and I hope I am doing what I feel as I need to be is my um, mission in life right now is being, is it to help myself and to help others. All right. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Well, um, this is probably going to be the last question. Um, was that somebody trying to, Okay, I think I was just Andrew. Don't, All right. don't, don't forget Lysha. Yep, that's I was just about to get to Lysha. Okay. So yeah, we this is probably Lysha, you're probably gonna be the last response because we're just about to the end of our session. But you got a you got a few minutes, so don't don't hurry. Um so Lysha, how do you advocate for others a little differently than you do for yourself? Um, I feel like I 
do tend to be more so um, invested in the problem when it comes to advocating for others, which is something that I usually don't do when it comes to me because um, I don't like confrontation. Um, so I tend to be a little bit more passive when it comes to my problems. Okay. But when it comes to other people, I'm more so more invested in how to solve the problem and how to help them like get the tools, like um, Abigail said, to be better and to find the real solutions. So maybe you don't have to do the advocating again, but if you have to do it, you know what you have to do next time. Um, I feel like education when it comes to everything is key and um, finding the right person to tell you what to do is always the best thing that could happen to anybody that is going through any circumstance. Um, and like, um, Manahill, I, I went to a similar situation when it, came, when it comes to the SATs and um, I didn't get my Braille um, SAT test on time and I had to write all my answers by hand um, underneath a CCTV it took me hours and then they denied um, actually grading my test because they said that it was going to take too much time um, in order for them to grade it. So I didn't get to apply to a lot of schools. But um, like the point is that I feel like when it comes to that problem, I, I wasn't as um, upset as, as I should have been um, because I knew that I had a great team behind me that always told me how to manage everything that was happening and how to make the process easier for myself. Of course, I had to send like a thousand emails, but like they were always there to tell me, no, instead of going this way, you should go that way because it will make, it will, it will only not help you, but it will help others like Andrew and Caleb were saying that come behind you to not go through where you're going. And I feel like for me, it's just about educating everybody and like making sure that they're comfortable through the entire process. And like, yeah. I think education is a huge part of advocacy that not only do we want people to empathize with, with what we're struggling with, but we want them to understand the right thing to do, the right way to go about it. You know, oftentimes, you know, ignorance is just lack of knowledge. It's, it's you know, not, not ignorance right. in, the, in the negative sense. You know, it's just a matter of people don't know, they don't understand, they don't know the right answer. And sometimes they have to be led to that conclusion. They need to be shown, hey, this, this is what works for me or this is what's worked for other people. Let's give it a shot. You know, it's kind of the whole thought behind, you know, reasonable accommodations, you know, on a, in an employment situation. Situation. You know, looking for ways to do things, ways that work so that you can function and perform the duties of the job. You know, it's the same thing going through school and you know, advocating for just about anything in your life. So, awesome. Ian, yes. This is Karen. Go ahead, Karen. Hi. Hi, everybody. I wanted to drop in and just congratulate all five of you. Um, I'm Karen Blackwitz. I am president of ACB of New York. And I just want to tell all of you what a great job you did. Um, I had the pleasure of reading all of your essays, and congratulations to all of you. Thank you very much, Karen. And yeah, as I said, Karen was previously the scholarship chair, so she, the scholarship committee is very near and dear to her heart. Uh, this was her baby before it was mine, and she handpicked me to to chair this committee, knowing that I would have the same passion that she does. Um, <laughs> 
as you know, as demonstrated by you know my class of 2020, you know, you guys are exactly what we were looking for this year. You know, a diverse, talented pool of you know of, uh, recipients that you know you guys are obviously going to be the movers and shakers in the blind community moving forward. Hey, this is Bob White. Can I interrupt for a moment? Sure, Bob. Yeah, Bob is also one of my committee members. Yes, I just wanted to echo Karen and Ian's, uh, Ian's uh, um, what they said. And I said, we, we can't let anybody go home empty-handed. They're all deserving of scholarships. That's it. Good. Thank you, Bob. All right. So, again, to, uh, to my five applicants, to my recipients, I want to congratulate you um, on not only incredible essays and applications and letters of recommendation, but phenomenal performance today. Public speaking is not everybody's comfort level, and you all did spectacularly well. Um, so I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on with us today and to share your life and share your experiences with our ACBNY members and the visitors listening to this conference on ACB Radio. So I just want to uh, give a little heads up of what's coming up in the, uh, in the next couple hours from uh, – Five o'clock to six fifteen. Uh, just a few minutes, we're going to have ACBNY through the decades. That's a discussion of you know the fifty years of ACB. It's, this is our fiftieth anniversary, and then from six fifteen to six thirty, we have our closing ceremonies, our closing of convention um, tonight. Uh, 7.30 p.m. We have the after hours with David Dunphy um, on a separate Zoom platform. And uh, Annie emailed that announcement to the register or the convention registrants earlier today. So if you need that uh, Zoom address or that uh, login information, you know, check out the email that Annie sent earlier today. And, uh, you know, feel free to join that for the after hours happy hour. And otherwise, again, thank you to my class of 2020. Uh, thanks to ACBNY for sponsoring this wonderful scholarship program and enabling these students to, to move forward with the assistance of our, of our organization. Ian, Have a great this evening, is a, guys. Uh, hey, thank you, Ian, <laughs> and Annie. congratulations. All right. That's it. All right. We can... <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, thank everyone. Nice job, guys. Thank you. Thank you very Good much. Have everyone. a great night. <laughs> All right. They're great. You have a wonderful class of uh, students yeah. here, guys. Really, Every that is single amazing. one was amazing. You can, you can see why that was such a struggle. I totally <laughs> can. <laughs> it was I, impossible. I, I'm just glad I wasn't one. on that committee. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 was, it was a, do a dogfight. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> there was just no way we could select one, you know, it just, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, absolutely they amazing. Great. And they, they performed so well today. That was great. Yes. So thank you for uh, the, uh, the idea to do the uh, panel discussion. No I problem. And thank you for taking on the, uh, <laughs> all the, you know, the, the, the sessions that it really, it really helped. Um, I think just make, you know, move things along. And I think yeah. people appreciate hearing from you. Um, you know, and I think uh, just the pro I'm just really impressed by how everybody and well, you know, it's just been a wonderful group effort. I, yeah, we really pulled this off. Yeah. Hi, Kathy. Thank you. You know, I, it was funny. I said the other day when uh, when we had the dress rehearsal on Wednesday night, I got off the I got off the conference. I'm like, oh, my God. 
ACB national or AB, ABC, the ACB radio is going to make us look good. Yeah. It was so obvious that they had a handle on this. So kudos, ACB radio. Yes. You, know, you guys just rock. You have made this such a professional presentation and you've helped, you know, just guide the whole process, you know, We've just basically had to do our thing and not had to worry about what's happening in the background, and that has been amazingly easy. So thank Hi, you. Hi, everybody. That. It's Becky. Hey, Becky. Want to be sure I'm here? <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Are you here? <laughs> I think I'm here. <laughs> right. have I, no internet. I think I, I have no I internet, so I'm using. Right. We're using. Our neighbor gave us his password, so I'm using uh, our neighbor's. Oh, internet. you sound fine. Yeah. 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 Um. Uh, let's see. We can. Um, Hello. Is everyone here? Is Audrey here? We can start. I'm here. I'm can here. you hear me? Here. Okay. I'm going to log I'm off. I'm actually guys. the one starting. Right. Uh, Annie, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. So when you guys are ready, you can start your officially start your session. Okay. Okay. I will. Okay. All so right. This is, this is Gene Mann, and we thought we'd have a little fun for our last segment. So we're doing one called ACB Through the Decades. And as we've been telling you, it's our 50th anniversary. So that takes us back to 1970. So last night I was thinking about what it was like then. And some of you won't remember because you weren't born yet or you're too little, or you were too little. So I, I, was, I wrote down a few things that, that you know, remind me of what 1970 was like. And the first thing is that we didn't have any social media. There was no internet, there was no online anything, no Twitter, no no um, Facebook, nothing, no email. You got mail, you got it in the mail. And computers were huge. They were mainframe computers. They were huge machines that took up a whole room. And if you worked on one, you worked on a remote terminal someplace else. And in 1970, I know probably a little before that, they were starting to train blind programmers. There was a a program in Rochester, I think it was Xerox that was doing it. And people like MJ Schmidt and a few others I know were, were in that training. So that became a, 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 an occupation for us. Telephones, they hung on the wall in your kitchen mostly. They were rotary. They were a big disc with little holes with the numbers and you dialed them. And if the first digit you dialed was a one, it meant you were making a long distance call and it cost you more money. Yes. Um, TV, there were three basic networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Um, I guess there was a PBS, not everybody had it then. And we lived in Buffalo, and so we were near the Canadian border. So we actually had six channels because we had three Canadian channels, but most people didn't. <coughs> Typewriters, that's what we used. Typewriters, yeah. we sat there in front of those things and hit those keys and there was, there were no computer keyboards. So it was typewriters. We listened to vinyl records and transistor radios and cassettes. And I'm not sure whether eight tracks were around yet or not. We also had reel to reel recorders for school. Remember those? Now for blind people, there were some who managed to get jobs as teachers and lawyers and things like that. But a lot of them worked in what was called sheltered workshops, and they did piecework, sewing, manufacturing, and a lot of times you got paid by the number of pieces. You made so many cents for every piece you did, whatever you had to do with it. So a lot of them never made minimum wage. Some did very well. 
but a lot of them didn't. And it was a long time before they were required to pay minimum wage. I, I think there's probably a few in the country that maybe still don't. I'm not sure. Um, a lot of people got jobs as transcription typists. So they sat in those in big rooms with a bunch of other people typing on those typewriters with a headset on and some sort of a, a machine. When I started, it was these uh, belts that you put in the machine and they had foot pedals. And so you transcribed whatever was on those little belts. Vendors, vendors had to add up all their purchases. They didn't have those automatic cash registers like you do today. They had to add everything in their head. They had to know what, the, what was taxed and what wasn't and figure out the taxes. And one of their main sellers was cigarettes. They made a lot of money selling cigarettes. And speaking of cigarettes, there were still commercials on TV in those days. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. I'd walk a mile for a camel. The other thing I remember is that there was no SSI then. It was a few years before that came along. So as you can see, we've come a long way since then. But we want to go back and we want to, we want to talk some about what, what we remember and how we got to where we are today. And so the person who's going to moderate this panel is a really old friend of mine. She said I could say that. It's Audrey <laughs> Shading. Now, Audrey and I grew up together in Buffalo. We went to nursery school together when we were like three and four years old. So we have known each other a very long time. I was going to mention that when, I, when in 1970, I was a senior in high school. So I'm giving away my age again. So... Get your snacks or your dinner, whatever you're having, and your cocktails, and sit back and relax. And I'm going to turn it over to Audrey. Jean, thank you for the memories. I can still see us at the nursery school slide with our mothers talking about who took whose shoes home, you know. <laughs> but and, and we've crossed paths so many times over the years. But this is very, very exciting today to, to be here 50 years after the first convention. So I'd like to just introduce our panel. And there are six of us. There's Jean and Becky Davidson and Kathy Lyons. Hi. And, and Lori Scharf, Mike Adino, and myself. And we will have a series of questions and answers and ask people to keep answers, you know, pretty tell your story, but keep keep it to a minute or so. Minute to so that everybody has a chance and uh, everyone will get plenty of time to, to share. I'd like to go back, before, like just as Jean did, but I'm going back, thanks to uh, Lori and Annie, I think provided this, from the September 1970 issue of the forum. The officers then, president was Donald Connerson, First vice president was M.J. Schmidt. Second vice president was Betty Jones. Third vice president was Erwin Ludsky. Secretary was Sue Harden, who is currently in Florida. Treasurer was Ed Duffy. And M.J. Schmidt accepted the affiliate charter at the National Convention in 1970. So before we go into our questions, I'd like to acknowledge our life members of ACBNY. And 
to be a life member. I just would like to encourage more of us to do this. And first I'll announce the members. Kathy Lyons. Hey, Mike Adino, everybody gets a cheer. Lori Scharf. Jim Polsoni. Rita Polsoni. Fred Scheigert. Alexa Scheigert. So we have lots more room for life members and Mike Golfo is very eager to take our money. It costs $500 and it can, that money can be paid in installments. So keep that in the, your mind, back of your mind, and then bring it to the front of your mind. Actually, Audrey, there's one more. We forgot Roger Dennis. Oh, he's not on my list. So I'm so sorry. Thank you. Sorry about that, Roger. Um, okay, so let's start with, we're going to talk a lot about advocacy and all kinds of convention memories. But the first question I'd like to ask is, who was the first ACBNY person or people that you met and how did they, how did they get you involved in ACB? And let's start with Kathy. Well, um, I had attended Arkansas Enterprises for the Blind to train for a job with Internal Revenue. And one of the people there said something about, what's the difference between ACB and NFB? And at that point, I didn't know what either one was. So then when I got home from that and started working, I first attended the state convention, and I believe it was in New York that year. And the first person I met was Eunice Fiorito. Oh, oh yeah. And um, Alan Gilman was with us for quite a while, and he was really top-notch about telling you what to do and not to do on your visits to the LOB. Uh, the Schreibsteins were with us back then. And actually, I, he's not a New York member, but it was at that ACBNY convention that I first met Oral Miller. Oh, thanks, Kathy. How about you, Mike? Mute, Mike. mute is off. There we there go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> how to find it. The, uh, well, you know, I was kind of having some difficulties in school. And uh, I went to the academic counselor and I said, where can I get some help? And he suggested that there was a, a blind student on campus that I should find. I found one. There were actually more than one. And uh, I did find her. Her name was, oh, drawing a blank. Uh, but she has passed. Is she Liz Garner. Uh, Liz Garner. Oh, and um, she uh, had invited me to attend uh, an ACB meeting and introduced me to Lori at the um, the uh, Lion's Day out at the um, foundation, Guide Dog foundation, Guide Dog Foundation. And uh, so I went out there and I met Lori and uh, they both invited me to a meeting. Uh, I went to my first ACB, uh, LICB meeting at the time, and I kind of looked around a room and said, oh, no, I'm not one of these. <laughs> However, I stuck it out and, uh, you know, met, as I mentioned this morning, uh, Evelyn Lawson, 
who kind of said she was going to make me a leader within the organization and someday I would be the local president. And sure enough, she did that to me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I'm sure we all have a lot of Evelyn Larson stories. I have one coming up too in a bit. Um, Thank you, Nick. Lori? Um, Probably the first person I met was Gene Mann by phone by phone and um then that was in 93 and i attended my first national convention in 90 in in san francisco in 93 and i had not met gene yet but my mom did because i was only 17 at that time and she wouldn't let me go across the country by myself and um so then i i met gene mann at general session and a bunch of other people who very patiently explained to me what a resolution was versus a constitution or bylaw amendment and differences between all three of them and that was that wow thanks Lori. how about you becky well, my story is a little bit convoluted, but um, I, when I trained with my first guide dog, Rowan, I was still living up in Lockport. And oh, um, that fall, I went to the Guiding Eyes Walkathon and um, met Audrey. And we kind of became instant friends. We kind of hung around together all that weekend. Um, but I didn't get involved with any anybody, particularly in Buffalo. Um, Lockport was far enough away, and there was no public transportation. And in, in all honesty, I ha- had not really had much involvement with the blind community at any rate. But once you have a guide dog, you kind of discover that there's that whole angle that you that you're missing. So I went to the walkathons after that, and then in 1999, I was hired at Guiding Eyes moved down in May or June, started in June. And in July, I attended my first ACB national convention in LA and um, had gotten to know Joe and Sherry DeFrancesco, who lived in Mount Kisco, which is where we were. Um, And so it all kind of evolved from there. Once I was working for Guiding Eyes, I was you know, got to go to things as an exhibitor and then I just got involved. I got involved with ACBNY in, I guess, 2000. And uh, the next thing I knew, they were sending me to the uh, SRC. So, so uh, Thanks, Becky. I remember that weekend so well. That was such a fun time. When, gosh. And where have, yeah, the, we years, where have the years gone? Jean, would you share, please? I know. First, I have to say, I always like that when Becky comes to conventions for Guiding Eyes because she brings good candy. Um, anyway, <laughs> I always Not make sure virtually, unfortunately. Yes, well, that's all right. Um, when I when I came to Albany, I was I was attending an office training class at the Association for the Blind. They had a really really good rehab center then, and there was some women in the class um, that were older that kind of took me under their wing. And when I got done, one of them invited me to come stay with her until I figured out what I was going to do. And so she introduced me to her friends who kept introducing me to people. And, and I don't honestly know, I got involved in the bowling league and 
kept meeting people and somebody must have invited me to an ACB function. Um, I went back and forth between ACB things and NFB things at the time. And I guess I had more fun at the ACB ones. And um, they started out um, because I wasn't a member. They started out asking me to do things like sit in the lobby while they had their meeting and sell their candy and stuff that they were selling to hotel personnel. And then I would always stay of course for dinner in the hospitality room and people kind of mentored you in there and you didn't even realize what was going on. You know, everybody was drinking and having a good time and people would take you aside and talk and you just thought they were being friendly. And so I guess at some point I figured, well, if I'm going to come to these things, I might as well join. Um, so I did. And so I don't, I can't honestly say who the first person was I met. Uh, I think I knew a lot of the people before I ever got involved in ACB. Thanks, Jean. I, you know, I, I, um, I think about the NFB ACB thing and I, I evolved from NFB cause I, in, in Buffalo in the early seventies, I was a member of NFB and Irma Herzog, who was then Irma Smalley, was a a very big mentor for me. And she was the president of NFB. And our NFB chapter in Buffalo did some very nice things. Uh, And it seemed seemed fine. And in 1978, five friends and I flew from Buffalo to New York because we wanted to attend an NFB thing, whatever it was. And we went to this march. And during the march, people were yelling about not letting you have your cane on the airplane and all these other different things. And four out of the six of us said, you know, we are not staying for this. We are going to get out of here and go for lunch and go to the Broadway show. And that's what we did. <laughs> we, left, we left our two friends and we went to just to get out of that. So that was my last NFB confrontation. And I had met um, Evelyn Larson at Ski for Light. And you know, those of you who remember Evelyn, once you get to know Evelyn, she does not let go and got me interested. We had our, our dogs, of course, you know, and so the whole guide dog thing uh, and and uh, she just talked ACB. So then I was able in uh, 79 and when it was in Buffalo, she made sure I got there and I got to to see her and spend a lot of time with her and meet so many wonderful people at that time. Uh, so that was my evolution from uh, NFB to ACB. Okay. Um, Audrey, can I just add something? Oh, sure. Um, back in this, this is, this is Becky. Back in the 70s, I was living in Pittsburgh, and you mentioning the, uh, the, the demonstrations about the white canes. My first exposure to NFB was when they made the news for doing a sit-in on the runway at the Pittsburgh airport. Oh gosh, <laughs> they're just screaming everywhere, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, we did. We we did. Some people did share their very first conventions. The, the whoever did not share, which was your first convention? Would you like to do that, please? Because some of us already have done that. I'd like to. Mm-hmm. It's Jean. My first convention was in 1976, and it was down in Manhattan. And I only remember a few things about it. Um, they asked me to run for secretary, and I said yes, but I knew nothing about what I was doing, so it's a good thing I lost. Um, my friend Chris insisted I had to meet this guy, and I never wanted to meet anybody she wanted me to meet, because you know. but it turned out to be Don Moore, so that was okay. And um, I have to tell this story. I told Audrey about it, and 
Don, we got to, <laughs> yeah. we got to talking. Well, first we went to the banquet and the theater for the blind, I think it was called theater yes. of the blind, whatever that group was. It was a bunch of sighted and blind people and they would read plays. Well, they were the performers that night. I do remember that. Uh-huh. I remember I won the 50, 50 and it was like 80 something dollars, which was a lot of money then. So anyway, I had met Don, and so he came back to our room with us, and we were talking, and it got to be really late, and he was going to have to go to Jamaica, Queens, and I guess it was quite a ride. I don't know. So we said to him, if you'd like, just, you know, you can stay in our room if you don't mind sleeping down the floor. We'll give you some blankets and pillows, and we had a, a business meeting the next morning. So he said, sure, why not? So I went in the bathroom, and while I was in there, he said to my roommate, does she have a good sense of humor? And my roommate said, yes, yeah, she does. So I came out of the bathroom and I went to jump in my bed and Don was in my bed, (laughs) but he was a gentleman and he got out, but we still laugh about that story. So I always remember that that was my first convention. (laughs) Thank you. I'd like to share if you don't mind. Go, go Mike. Mm -hmm. My, my very first convention was in 1995. And as it turns out, I was the host. (laughs) Um, and, and this is where the story of Evelyn, uh, making me a leader comes in because, uh, somehow or another, the long Island chapter had bid for the convention and the president became ill, but not until after promising that he was going to take everybody on a boat ride, cruise, dinner cruise for the banquet on the great South Bay. Yeah. I remember that cruise. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when, when I got involved, I, I said, you know, we're going to make this happen. And I was so proud of the chapter then because they all pulled together. And I have to tell you, we raised a, a big, big pot of money and we hosted that convention and we paid out a lot of money for all of the events that we hosted at that convention. But let me tell you, it was still the largest convention ACBNY has ever held. And we had 160 people attend that convention. It was wonderful. And you handled that. I, I was just so impressed because I didn't know that about you. But we, you know, I, I was with with friends and and we just thought, wow, you just made everybody feel so at home on the cruise. And, you know, it, but the whole thing was just that weekend was wonderful. And, and, and people told me we, we couldn't we couldn't make it happen. No, it's not going to. I said it's it, going to happen. We must have been a good done a good job at hiding it because it only was my my first state convention was at the Neville, and I roomed with Rachel Graff, and I remember we took a bus from Manhattan from Sellis Manor up there, and I really did not have a good understanding of the organization. And I, I don't know if I didn't get a program, something happened and I never seemed to know where I was supposed to be. And I remember leaving my room at one point to take the dog out or go to dinner because it was the Neville. So you had to be at dinner at a certain time and hearing three people in an elevator who I now know were Bob Horn, Mary Ellen and Bob Cronin. And the elevator was stopping, but the external door was not opening. And I remember saying, do I want to get on this elevator or should I go find the stairs? And I went and found the stairs. (laughs) 
Hey, Audrey, this is Annie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is there going to be a chance for the attendees to share their memories? Because we have a hand up. Um, not yet. Not yet? No. Okay. I, okay. I, I, I would like to keep going through so that we could get through what we have. So if that person can save their memory, um, I would and like... I have a memory as well. I can save till... Yes. Yeah. We, okay. Just give me a time check and, and uh, maybe like we stop at 6. We're at 522. Okay. So, so like stay at uh, uh, 545. Okay. Give me 545. A time. Okay. Yeah. I will let you know. If we okay. run over a little past 615, is that a problem? I don't believe so. Oh, I, okay. I think if we're like five or ten minutes close. past okay. that, I think we're okay. If okay, we're not, good. Ray, uh, you're hosting, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. So will you let me know if that's not okay? Um, it depends. It depends. All that's that left after this is closing remarks. So yeah. It depends how long your closing remarks are. Till six thirty. Yeah. Yeah, you, but you you don't need fifteen minutes, do you? No, we don't. We need about okay. five minutes. Okay. okay. Well, I think we'll have plenty of time then. All right. Okay. Thank you, Annie. Okay, so okay. yes, we certainly want to hear from, from everyone um, when we Audrey, can. Audrey, this is Kathy. I mm-hmm. remember that Neville, the hallways were not at 90 degrees, and I could not find my way out of my room to do or go anywhere. It was really frustrating. Yeah, I remember that place, too. Um, I know a lot of us get lost at conventions, and uh, I... <laughs> and we somehow always get found some some way. Does anyone else have a, a silly a get lost story or, you know, stuck in an elevator story? We're good. OK, um, let's go on to another question. And this is it. What are some of the things you value from your time in ACBNY? And we're really answering this question as we go anyway, but we can certainly you know, add to it. I would just like to say for myself, there are just so many memories and I just keep thinking of so many conventions and just knowing the people, just to know that at Ledge Weekend, there are people I haven't seen for six months or, or you know, or at, and same with the convention. Oh, there you hear, you hear all these wonderful familiar voices and the connections, the, you know, the, the hard work and the advocacy, but also the fun, you know, um, Tom D'Agostino doing his auction, you know, if anybody remembers that. Um, I was uh, fortunate also to be a vendor for quite a few years. So even though I was a vendor I, and I had my backpack and I'd wheel my stuff around um, and I would be vending at the appropriate times, I was still able to be, uh, you know, a, a, me and be the attendee and or the speaker or whatever I was. And and it was just so nice to be able to to be accepted to do to do all you know to have all those different opportunities. So um, there's just so many connections that just keep growing. And um, I'm going to turn the question over to Becky. Okay. Well, um, I I agree with Audrey that you know it it all sort of starts with the people. Um, and I always had fun in the exhibit halls too. Um, that's always a really social place to be and in the hospitality rooms too. But, you know, for somebody that was my age at the time, I should have known a lot more about blindness advocacy than I did, uh, when, when I got started with ACB and ACBNY. And I learned so much from, um, from so many of you, um, 
through those years. And I, that's, that's something I really value. Um, I, I admired um, Lori's passion and her leadership and, and, you know, getting to talk to her and, and Mike on train rides and, and, you know, those kinds of things and just other people, everybody who had made such an incredible commitment um, to the organization, but more importantly to, to the community and what it meant to all of us. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Thank you, Becky. Um, anybody else? I, I'd like to share because I learned a great deal through um, the work that I did with with the ACB, LICB, and ACBNY. The 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 lessons that came to me uh, were all about helping others and and learning how to manage um, nonprofit organizations. If you look at my resume, I have more than twenty years of experience attributable to the work that I did for the organization. And it's all very, very good work. And, you know, um, I can recall um, figuring out how to manage a budget, figuring out how to run a meeting. Um, you know, I was told, put together an agenda and work through it. And that was what I had learned within this organization. And I can remember one day we had a, a conversation at the local meeting about voting. And I looked at Laurie and I said, I never realized, you know, we do all of this advocacy work and, you know, we can't vote. We, we have to take people in with us. And she said, oh, forget about it. And then in, in 2002, when, when the Help America Vote Act was signed, I said to Laurie, I said, this is our one and only chance. And I spent 10 years working on the voting thing. And, you know, trying to get it fully implemented in New York State. And it was really a lot of hard work. And to the extent where I actually have uh, lobbyist credentials on my resume for the work that I did with voting. And, you know, I'm still doing it. I mean, I, I, I attended a meeting the other day um, just learning about how they count the absentee ballots in in. Uh, uh, Columbia County, New York State. And it was a really an interesting thing because they went through the whole chain of command of those ballots and, and uh, chain, security chain because they, 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 it's, it's just so much that I learned. And I never considered ACB to be a social organization. I never looked at it that way. For me, it was always about the work that we do as a team um, being the organization itself. And, and I really a tremendous amount of stuff from it. And uh, it sent me to school. I earned a, a master's in public administration because of the work I did with ACB. So I, I really enjoy the work that I've done for the organization. I think this is Laurie. I think for me, what I really have enjoyed is the education that I've gotten in all different aspects of life that I would probably not have learned so much about. Um, because part of good advocacy is educating yourself about um, legislation, regulations, understanding the regulatory process, how to write comments. Um, I've been very involved in several different areas on the state and national level 
And these skills are something that really, you know, I don't do it for myself. It's the advocacy for the community as a whole. So when you're writing comments, you're not for a federal or state agency, you're not writing them to make things better for yourself. You have to think about how is it going to impact the whole community. Um, and, you know, like Becky said, the conversations that you have on train rides or the conversations that you have over Zoom with people about different things. Um, you know, I have developed some really good relationships and very good knowledge in specific areas. Mike is, Mike's area is voting, um, you know, but it's it's important for people to understand that, um, you know, being a grassroots organization, which ACBNY is, it's from the ground up. So it's your advocacy on the local level all the way up through the state to national things that really help you and help the organization as a whole grow. Thanks, Lori. Um, anybody else? Jean? Yeah, this is okay. Kathy. Mm -hmm. um, I learned a lot about how laws become laws. And um, it's not something that I picked up in any kind of civil courses in high school. But when you have to realize, well, this is person's a Republican and that person's a Democrat and therefore you need this for that and that for that. And I mean, you have to learn those things in order to be successful in getting bills passed. And when Bill Hoyt signed into law, he tightened up the language of the pedestrian right-of-way in the Department of Motor Vehicle book. And he gave me the pen that he used to sign that into law. Oh, you have a signing pen. Yes, I do. Wow. And it's federal is similar in that it's a bicameral situation. And the in the state, of course, has to be signed into law by the governor and, and federal by the president. But the system is pretty much works pretty much the same way. So I learned an awful lot about that by itself, which is so important in advocacy. And I learned a lot about uh, different things. I never knew that in the New York City area, they didn't use the, the uh, library in Albany. Nope. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, how would I know that one? Right. You know, I thought it was <laughs> the library for the state. I had no idea that it was different down there. So when you get together with people from different areas, you learn about different things that sometimes take you by surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. No, Gina, I, I, go, go. I was going to say, I think for me, and I learned a lot of this on the national level, I think I actually did things kind of backwards and, and, and was more involved in the national um, stuff than I was a state for a while. But I'm not a real strong advocate when it comes to testifying and things like that. But I, I did learn that that you have to advocate for yourself and other people. And mostly what I do is write letters and help other people write theirs when they have thoughts and they just don't know how to put it into words. So I'll tell them to write up something and send it to me and I'll, I'll write it for them. And um, I think the other thing that I learned really was that you have to accept people where they are. Um, we're not all at the same level all the time. Nope. And so you, you need to learn to accept people where they are and 
and help them um, to achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. And it's their expectations, not yours, that they have to meet. So um, I learned that. And the other thing I learned is that even though I might not need something or want something, somebody else might. So, you know, I'll help them advocate for what it is they want, or I won't say anything at all, but I will never, ever say we don't need something because somebody else does. Yeah, that's a great thing to be respectful to see that, you know, and and that's what makes that's what makes our organization strong. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jean. No, I'm done. Okay. Did did I did everybody have a turn on that, or am I forgetting anybody? Are we forgetting anybody? No, I think we're good. I'd like to to talk about the. Uh, GDUNY a, a little bit, and, and I'd like to Lori and Becky, and, and uh, if you could address that a little bit on how that whole started and the, and the connection with ACBNY. So Guide Dog Users of New York was uh, one of the very first affiliates um, of Guide Dog Users National. Um, and they actually were instrumental in requesting that ACB National um, begin the case against Hawaii. Uh, some people may not know that years ago you had to quarantine your dog um, when you arrived in Hawaii. And that's because it's a rabies-free environment. Um, Guide Dog Users Incorporated, the national affiliate, um, took that case, and it took years. Becky could probably speak much better on that than myself. Um, but in the late 90s, um, basically, now what occurs is some tighter testing, um, and people are allowed to bring their dogs. Um, and we now have a an affiliate here in New York State, which is Guide Dog Users Incorporated. Um, I'm sorry, Guide Dog Users of the Empire State, which serves the whole state. Guide Dog Users of New York is a chapter of Guide Dog Users um, National. National. And yeah. um, Becky, I don't know what you would want to add. Well, um, I I got involved with GDUNY around the same time I got involved with ACBNY, and it, my involvement started with um, at one time Rosemary McCaffrey and David Deport were doing um, training for the police on the ADA and guide dog regulations, and they would go and and go to precincts houses stations and and do trainings and i did a couple and then i i was involved in westchester i did classes at the police academy um, but that was my first involvement with gdu and why um, and i got involved with gdui on the national level and ended up being president for two terms um, from 2008 to 2012 um, and the you know there's still a lot of advocacy going on as far as as guide dog users are concerned and legislation. I know 
I, even though I live in North Carolina, I've maintained my membership in GDUES. Um, and I know that, you know, there's been some discussion about laws relating to fake service dogs and, and all, all of those kinds of things. There's always going to be advocacy and there are going to be things that we advocate for whether you're a guide dog user or not, and particularly in terms of pedestrian safety, um, which, you know, is a huge issue for all of us. Um, so uh, while I'm not directly involved with GDUI and we don't have an affiliate here in North Carolina, at least not yet, um, we might look into that. Um, there is a lot of involvement in terms of pedestrian safety work, and I'm now involved with the Environmental Access Committee on those levels. I'm urging all guide dog groups and affiliates to form an, a, uh, uh, an Environmental Access Committee or a Pedestrian Safety Committee, too. Thank you, Becky. That is so important because, you know, the history is just the whole thing, even with Hawaii, you know, we, I remember reading about that for years, too. Mm -hmm. And um, we just yeah. now people yep. can take all this stuff for granted and we still have to keep going. And and one thing uh, is that we always respect each other, whether we're cane users or dog users. And I didn't find that when, I, you know, before I came to ACB, that wasn't the case. You know, it may be the case now with, with NFE, but it wasn't the case when I was there. And so when I came, uh, you know, to, through Evelyn to, to, uh, to get here to ACBNY, to just, there was never any question about people who did what the mobility method is. And I just think that's really important for us to, to be grateful about and to, uh, to uh, cheer ourselves on for. Thank you. Evelyn certainly was a strong voice and she was, a, I knew her first as a graduate of Guiding Eyes. Um, <laughs> and then of course, as soon as I started going to ACBNY and GDUNY meetings, there was Evelyn. And, oh yeah, uh, she was always a force to be reckoned with. I, I, she was amazing. She really yeah. was amazing. Yeah, all the time. There's, she, she never stopped. No. Um, okay. Um, what about a? I, we probably did cover this too. The proudest moment, uh, or really proud, a specifically proud moment that you have had here at ACBNY. Um. I, I can tell you one of my proud moments was when I received the Paul J. Sauerland Award. That was such a lovely surprise. Yes, it did. And, uh, you know, I'm, that was, I, I treasure that. So. Um, Why don't you explain what that is for people that don't know? Sure. Do you want to, Jean? I'm just going to let you do it. Oh, okay. I can. <laughs> yes. Um, Paul um, wanted to make sure that Braille was recognized. And. I don't know all of the, the beginnings on when it started. I know I received it in 2010 and I, I had, remember speaking to him about it. And um, I don't know when the last time we did that award, but it, it's for someone who is promoting Braille. And I have been fortunate enough to be in the environment where I can, could and still can promote Braille. And I was recognized for that as a teacher. And um, so I received a, um, a Slate and Stylus in a lovely, you know, with a lovely notebook and um, a cash honorarium also. And it, it was just lovely. Uh -oh. 
Well, last time we gave it was 2016. Yeah, it was oh. 2016. And we gave it to was a the last time we. I wasn't sure she was done. I forgot their name, and they were celebrating their. It was the Braille transcribers of. Yeah, oh. they were celebrating a, an anniversary year, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I can. Uh, we're in Buffalo. Yeah, the, the Buffalo Braille transcribers group oh. that it's affiliated with the temple. Oh. Well, we can think about it for next year for somebody. That was 2016 if it was in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a super proud moment from work that I did, it, and it wasn't, it was work I did for ACBNY. Um, it happened to be at the time that the um, National Federation was uh, had talked the New York State Commission into uh, sending their students and youth representatives down to Baltimore for a week-long trip over the um, President's Week when they weren't in school. And uh, I, I put together an article when I came home, and, um, you know, it was really interesting. And, and I, I had the opportunity to do that as a, a representative, the president of ACBNY, and the article came out in the Braille Forum, and uh, I received the uh, Ned Friedman Award for that. Oh, wow. For that article and, and the work that I did. And, and uh, I'm very happy to say that year was the last trip of the youth down to Baltimore because... Bravo, uh, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it was dubbed more of a recruiting effort than an educating effort. Well, thank you. That's that's great. I'm just trying to think about. Oh, go ahead, Lori. I I was just gonna say I I don't know about proudest moment, but um, a different word. Yeah, a different word. We can. I, I um. I went to the. Uh, the federal courts when NFB and the Motion Picture Association were opposing audio description. And we got to hear oral arguments and um, the ACB national office had contacted me. I have no clue why they asked me. And I was all nervous because I had only started my job in May. And this was in, I believe, September, could have been October. And when I told my boss what it was, he said, oh, just take the day. Don't worry about it. And I went and it was very interesting to see um and um and it was um it just it, i felt like i was part of history the other time was um at the national convention in san francisco when i wasn't at the march but gene man was pam schneider who used to work for visions was killed by a New York City subway train while we were at convention um, in New York City. She fell onto the tracks and um, there were no detectable edge warnings. And um, ACB was fighting very strongly along with numerous other organizations such as AER, Association for the Education of the Blind. to require that subway platforms have detectable edge warnings. And I just remember thinking like this, you could feel the energy at convention that 
I mean, everybody clearly was sad, but this this is really what I think motivated a lot of people, the, these types of things, to get people moving and involved. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I remember that so, so clearly. That was one of the things I was going to talk about, actually. Um, so, what had happened was somebody in Boston had fallen off a subway platform just before convention, and yeah, she hit the third Peggy. rail, which is where all the electricity was. And it was... Uh, Peggy McCarthy, something yeah, like that. So. Yep, and McCarthy. anyway, she, she, yeah, okay. She, she died like five days later. She had stroke and she died. So when Pam died during convention, it just, I remember sitting in somebody's room one night at God knows what time it was. And we didn't have social media then, but the word spread like crazy. And I called back home to talk to somebody and tell them what we were going to do. And they already knew about it. I don't know how they knew. It was like, Three o'clock in the morning here, six or there, six o'clock in the morning here, and they already knew. But I was I was one of the people that was on that march because I was the president of ACB of New York, and I don't like doing stuff like that. But honestly, Lori, you're right. The energy we got into it, and it was it was fun, and it really was. And when we came home, then a bunch of us went to the Department of Transportation down in Manhattan to talk to them. Um, the other, oh, had the other. I'm the sorry, other everybody. Thing. It's Annie. We're at time, Audrey. Okay. Um, thank you. Can I have one. Okay, oh, finish, Jean, and then I have one quick question for Kathy. Okay, go, Jean. Okay. The other, the other thing that I was really proud of was um, back in the '80s when the Lighthouse decided they were going to close their workshop, and um, I started getting calls from all these people because they didn't know what was going to happen and if they were going to lose their jobs, what was going to and the Industries for the Blind of New York State asked us, ACB of New York, and I was president at the time, to host a meeting and down in Manhattan. And so they, they brought all the people from the shop over to a place. They worked it out amongst themselves and got everybody over there. And we hosted the meeting to tell them that there was another workshop that was going to be opened up and they were all going to be hired. And I, I saw that I just couldn't believe how well they all worked together. And I thought, boy, if ACB of New York could do that, so we could accomplish so much. It was just such a wonderful feeling that day. Thank you, Jean, for, for bringing it all back. And Lori, thank you, everyone. I have one more question for Kathy, and then we'll open it up to, uh, to anyone else, who uh, attendees who would like to say something. Um, Kathy, can you tell us whose initials used to be ACB? The son of a co-worker had those initials, but I don't okay. think that's who you're thinking of. No. No, I thought you may remember. ACB. I'm not okay. any successful was, synapses. You have to tell us. It, it was me. Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. And I would get, I would get, everybody would, would call me ACB all of the time because my last name was Bardos and my middle name is Caroline. So Jeez. I thought you might remember that one, oh, Kathy. I don't think I knew your middle name. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Well, thanks everybody. And we're going to open it to questions. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, or comments rather. All right. If anyone ha 
If anyone has a comment or a question or they'd like to share, you can raise your hand again to do that. It's Alt-Y on the PC, Option-Y on the Mac, Star-9 on the telephone, or if you're on a the Zoom app, it is a raise hand button. We're in webinar, so you don't have to worry about the more button. Michael O'Brien has been sitting out here. His arm All is right. probably really tired. <laughs> oh, Michael, thank you. Michael, you can unmute and talk, sir. Oh. Michael, you should be able to unmute. Michael, 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 Michael. Oh. He took oh. this yesterday. He might be having trouble on his iPhone. Okay. Maybe he fell asleep. <laughs> what <laughs> we come back? Or, or his arm. You know what? I'll come back to him. We'll come back to him. Okay. All right. Let me go get. Hello. Now, there the, is. now the, mute, oh. the mute button came up. Okay. Hey, Mike. Hi. Hi. Uh, does anybody, well, I know, I, I know Gene does. Uh, does anybody remember Ruth Williams? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> she was Boy. in a family of multiple RP people. She had two, I think two sisters. Yep. yep. I, I didn't know that they were RP. I didn't know what it was. Um, but yes. Uh, Ruth, Edith, and Helen. I think I may have met Helen once, but I certainly knew Ruth and Edith. But the one thing about Ruth that I remember, she didn't suffer fools gladly, if you know what I mean. No, she did not. <laughs> Ruth could get you to tell her things that you somehow thought she knew, and she didn't, but she'd get you to tell her everything. She, By the time you got done, yeah, you told her stuff you never would have told her if you realized she didn't know. Oh, really? That I, I'm not surprised. Yep, yep. but... Uh, yeah, she, um, you know, she, she had a, um, I won't say cynical, but she had a very wary attitude about, uh, about certain things, probably from her long experiences in, in the trenches, so to speak, because she worked for the commission for about 40 years as a home teacher and worked at, uh, IHB at one time, well, Helen Keller services. Now, uh, she worked there for a while and IHB, I believe. And she, uh, uh, well, she she um, had a um, no, nobody could pull could pull anything put anything over on her really, um, and she was one of the early organizers of the state organization and also the capital district um, group that started in 1974. Uh, uh, it was called oh god no it was it was. No, Tri City Council of the Blind was the NFB group. I, I think we were we were called. Uh, I think we were always called Capital District Chapter American Council of the Blind of New York State. I think um, I didn't come into it until 1983. I was an NFB for about ten years since the time I was 18 and until 1980. Um, and then I got disillusioned with it, and uh, I was. Asked to join ACB because they were working on a project to repair some, pay for the repair of Opticons at, at NABA. Oh. And so I got involved in that and I uh, was the recording secretary for a while and became, I was local president. And uh, that's how I got involved. And uh, I don't remember the march in San Francisco um, at all for some reason. Uh, maybe I was doing other things, but I'll tell you what. What I didn't like um, was when when Pam, particularly when Pam was killed, 
was it in the Braille monitor or, or maybe it was in the Ziegler, somebody, the Matilda Ziegler magazine for the blind, somebody made some comments that uh, maybe she wasn't paying any attention and, you know, stupid nonsense. I mean, how in God's name did they know what, what she was doing? And what if she, uh, what if she wasn't, I mean, it's an easy yeah. thing to do uh, to walk off a platform like that. I mean, yes, um, you need to be careful and use your cane or your dog or, and all that, but it can happen. And it has many it, a time. It can. Yep. It, it can happen. And it's so scary. And it, 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 I remember that article also, Mike, um, and, and thank, thank God we kept going. And, and there are so many tactile strips, which are so wonderful. I know Ellen Rubin always says, she says to people, it's like braille for um, our feet. Yep. Do we have yep. any other, uh, thanks, Mike. I'm gonna see if we have any other hands up. We have one. Um, it is a phone number, area code, area code 410 ending in nine, and nine, nine, four. You can uh, un unmute. Yes, talk. that's me, Meryl Schechter. I, I could not oh, help. <laughs> thank you, Meryl, for coming on. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, thank you, all of you. And Audrey, I haven't heard your voice for so long, and Dean, and oh, my God. But and um, but I my first um, memory uh, or introduction to ACB, which actually I met, this was at Ellen Gerson's house. God bless her. Oh, um, Ellen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she had, um, uh, we had a library meeting there, and she told me about ACB, um, and I um, joined both the Long Island chapter and the New York City chapter, and I miss you guys very much. Um, but anyway, uh, I was mentored, my mentors, oh, God bless Evelyn also, I loved her, but um, also Josephine Defini, one yeah. of the oh, yeah. yeah. oh, my yep. God, and um, also, um, well, I met Eunice also, but um, also, uh, oh, I love Kay Glides, God bless her also, oh, yeah. I met her husband at one of the, um, conventions you know also and uh, I said wow you were married to Kay and he said yeah and um but um I just you guys helped me with advocacy so much I mean I remember going to the lobby day in Albany and you know a lot and just advocating for our bills and then um it helped me in in Maryland because I started doing it on the state level, level, and I had role models um, there, like uh, Debbie Grubb, who's now in Florida, and um, uh, also Al Petrolongo, who's now in Pennsylvania. And I guess all this and everything else I've done, and now being on the International Relations Committee, which is my first national committee with ACB, and um, being a J.P. Morgan Chase leadership fellow I was selected because of all the things I've done and being the vice president of the state of Maryland. And I'm cordially inviting all you guys, once we get the details finalized for our, um, the convention committee chair for our state convention in Maryland, and that's going to be next year. Um, but I was also wondering whether, as an out-of-state person, if I could rejoin New York or, you know, still be a member or is that okay? Or I don't know how you, yes, you can. guys view it. 
Yeah, and, yeah um, that would be great, Meryl. That would be great if you if you did. We would love to. Um, have and, 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 and since the meet, even though the meetings will still be, uh, I mean, once they become in person, I hope they'll still stay virtual because otherwise, I won't be able to attend. But you know, we'll, yeah. we'll have to talk to you about how you want to join if you have a specific group okay. you want to be a member. Okay, of yeah, fan okay. fantastic, and uh, and also be- this is my. Yeah, thank you. And this was my first year um, contributing to the MMS program as well with George, and I was so excited to do that. And Thank you um, for that, too. Oh, you're welcome. And um, it's just, I just love everyone. I feel like I, I have tears in my eyes right now because I just get very emotional with about New York, you know, and it, it's always going to be such a big part of me and I feel like you know there's a saying you um, never leave um, let's see the girl oh what is that saying about um, uh, the girl um, you can't take the girl out of you, know, you can't take, you take New York out of New York yeah New York we do, we do <laughs> have other hands yeah I, okay thank I, you yeah. thank you <laughs> Thank you very much. Jean will be You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, next one, please. Okay, we'll get it up here in a sec. Fitzville, Fitz Hill Martin. You should be oh, Fitz, hello, Fitz. Hey, Audrey. <laughs> um, can y'all hear me? Yep. Yeah, yep. we can hear you, Fitz. I'm clear, sir. Uh, yes, so I'm new to ACB about three years in, and I'm sitting here and I'm loving the history, learning the foundation of it and where everything coming from. I just wanted to tell y'all that. And um, between Audrey, Gene Min, Audrey, I've known Audrey for years from like, Audrey used to teach, I went to Lavelle and I knew Audrey. Oh, you're making me old now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were a little kid then, Fitz, yes. Yes. <laughs> But I'm learning. I'm 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 enjoying the history. I just want to tell y'all that. Well, thanks, Fitz, very much. Yes, we appreciate hearing from you. Well, I think we'll have to write something out that's a little more cohesive of of actual things that New York has participated in. Um, I think that is. A really I think good that's something Audrey idea. and I had talked about it, and uh, yeah. you know, really come up with some good activities because there are lots of things our greater new york chapter has a huge history within the state of new york in various projects yeah um, as as well as other chapters yeah we we're going to talk some more to the powers that be and see what we can do do we have thank you Lori. do we have any more hands up sure do um uh 516 area code ending in 008. You can go ahead and unmute and talk. This is Mary Ellen Cronin. Hey, Mary Mary Ellen. Ellen. You guys are doing a great job, uh, but I couldn't help to. You're going to be part of that writing the article history. Oh, well, thank you very much. Now, see, I'm getting old, Lori. I don't know what I'll remember. (laughs) That's our problem, too. (laughs) But anyhow, um, I just want to mention I was brought in in 1981 or 82 with Dottie and Al Matano. Oh, um, yeah. We, I was either at the summer or the winter land of the Vikings ski or summer program. I forget which, but I want to talk and um, Gene, I know you remember this, our legislative weekends where we would come up on Saturday 
debate what we were going to work on, write it up Saturday and Sunday, go get it printed, and then come back Sunday night, off until one or two in the morning, and collate all the pages so that we could give them to everyone to bring to the legislators. Now, if Evelyn was here, Evelyn would have to say, and you need to remember to say that we stayed in a cheap hotel that had no heat and my fingers were freezing while I was typing and I kept yelling at Don Moore. Well, I don't remember that part, but I remember Don and Alan, there was Ellen Gerson. And I remember then with John Stavola several years and then Bob and myself, now everybody knows how big the legislative building is in Albany, covering a floor and a half in, a, in one morning just yeah. dropping off materials and, you know, but it, it's been great memories. I certainly remember the boat trip that Long Island did. And the, um, I remember the conventions with uh, Atlantic City and the Neverly were big conventions also. So, oh, yes. um, I mean, know, I do remember those legislative weekends, Mary Ellen. And I remember when we found out that, that most of our stuff was just getting thrown in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But we did, we but, used to go from office to office to office. and just Oh my out. God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it, it was. But um, thanks again for the memories. We brought up a lot of names I haven't remembered in a long time. And yeah, um, the did. convention committee, you guys have done a great job. And just wanted to thank you. So, Bob, thank you also. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Mary Ellen and Bob. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Annie, how's our time? Well, speaking of Annie, I'd like to, before I take our next hand, I'd like to recognize Annie. I know you wanted to share something. Thank you. Go, Annie. Hey, it's a, it's a little okay. after six, so we okay. Okay. we could probably go for another twenty minutes, and that okay, good. You know, yeah, okay. Uh, so Audrey, what I wanted to talk about, I think, just briefly, is how I made it into ACB, um, mm -hmm. and I and I heard a lot of things about you know, like Michael Bryan. I started out in NFB, and then I uh, somehow felt disillusioned by it, and then found myself kind of floating in space. And then I started working at Westchester Disabled on the Move, and I met a woman named Sherry DeFrancesco. And um, she managed to convince me to go to a meeting for the Westchester Council of the Blind. And the rest is history. I met Becky there. I met Maria Samuels, Rich, uh, a whole bunch of people. And little by little, uh, they, uh, they, they helped me um, realize that I could be a leader and where my strengths were. And uh, so my first um, my first state convention was in 2010 and my first national convention was in Louisville uh, in 2012. I think it was um, at the Gold House. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I haven't looked back since. So just wanted to share that. Thanks, Annie. Sure. OK, we'll go back to raised hands, please. Right. Oh. Any more hands, Ray? Oh, hold on. There we go. Um, uh, 718 area code ending in 838. You can unmute and talk. <gasps> That's Karen. Oh, Karen. That. Hey, Karen. Yeah. Now she's going to give us the real lowdown on guide dogs, right, Karen? Yeah, that's that's where we're going to hear about that. Oh, Karen, or you can unmute, unmute herself. Yeah, seven. It's a star six. If you want, you're on a phone, so it's star six. Uh, seven. Okay. Star, yeah. so there, there she is. Muted. There, there you are. Am I Hi, Karen. Yep. Yeah. Karen finally said that I was. Yeah. Good. 
<laughs> okay, I guess another Evelyn story. Um, she was very instrumental in guide dog users having a newsletter, and she also was instrumental in having it in accessible form, which at the time was not something people were concerned about. She she was very instrumental in that and insistent on it. She also was a very um, good at, at advocating. She helped me learn a lot about doing that. I always loved the name Portrax. It was great. Yeah, she did. And the funny thing was that, that she asked everybody for um, to submit a name, and she was going to choose it. And the only one that was submitted was Portrax. So that's how it got to be called oh. that. <laughs> oh, that's it cool. A, it was a good name. Yes. She edited that for, what, about 17 years, didn't she? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she, yeah, I, she I was, was the original it, editor, and she was very um, in, instrumental in, in doing it, yep. which was great. And I think we, it was on Real to Real. It was on Real to Real, and then she said. Yeah, then it was on yeah, cassette. And, and it was in Braille. She did insist that it be in Braille. Oh, that that is which cool. Was, which was, yeah, it was, especially for the time that yep, that, yeah. was done. that would have we been. We didn't in, all have embossers. That would have been in the but, early 80s, right? Yeah, maybe even early. Yeah, you'd have to early, do it by early, early 70s. 70s early 80s. Yeah. I think well, what the they 70s. did was, what they did was they brailed it and then they would thermoform it. Oh, thermoform, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, it was actually easier to get things in braille then than it is now oh. because it wasn't, you know, there was no no internet or anything. And so sometimes it was easier to get stuff in Braille. Although I do remember getting a lot of things in large print in those days. Yeah. Yeah. No, Karen, really do you have good. any, any activities that you can think of that guide dog users of New York participated in, in the early days that stick out in your mind? Um, yeah, we had, we decided that it would be a good idea um, because there are dogs that are older and need homes, and not every school finds homes for dogs. So we, and we were meeting in a church at that time uh, downtown um, in, Man in Manhattan. And so we um, had pa papers written up um, to try to get people to accept um, dogs that you know that were that were retired but not owned um but not you know owned by the school and we even had nbc come and do it channel four oh. uh, we had yeah we did we had we had great publicity which was really terrific uh and i thought it was terrific and i had i was president at the time so i got to get up and say that um to try to get people to do this um, nice, you know, accepting older dogs. And I started out by saying that if I were to retire my dog, um, then I would want the dog to have a good home because it had worked so hard. However, I had a dog at the time that was from Guide Dog Foundation, and they owned the dog. I was not giving him away, and I certainly didn't wasn't going to do it on national television. But somebody 
who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody else decided that I was giving my dog away and it wasn't mine to give away. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, and they, right. And they, and they threatened me with all kinds of stuff and they were going to come and get the dog and then we're going to take it. I didn't say that I was giving Ben away. The menace. I couldn't believe it. Good it's like no him. good deed goes unpunished, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Thanks, right. Karen. Um, yeah. I'm going to go on to other hands if we okay, have it. Okay, you've got four up. Uh, oh, all right. Well, let me go first to the panelist side. Um, Nancy Murray, you can unmute and talk. Hi, y'all. Hey, hey Nancy. Nancy. Hey. I, got a, I got a couple of... Um, memories when she when when Karen was just talking about the newsletter for guide for guide dog users that made me think of the ACBNY newsletter which was first started by yeah and at that time she it was on tape a cassette tape to be exact and we had a duplicator and so she had to duplicate 100 or 180 tapes or whatever it was. Yeah. We, we advertised for years. When you're done with your cassette, please return it. Well, some people did, but most didn't. So we'd have to buy new cassettes. Well, eventually, when Dottie moved down to North Carolina, North Carolina, they needed somebody else to take over. And so I volunteered and I did it for, I forget how many years, but it was quite a few. But it, it was a lot of work. Um, I remember you doing that. It, it, yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, Nancy did it, and then I did it, and then Don Moore did it, but we kept the duplicator and stuff at their house. So for yeah, at least yeah. six, eight years. But we still, even when um, Jean did it, we still had the business of, trans, of you know, making the duplications. And that's that's a lot of work. Even though the duplications went really fast, you got a cassette done in a few minutes. When you you're doing two hundred, that take, took time. Well, yeah, well, you have to. Then you had to address and make. You have to make labels. No, what would happen? Uh, I'm sorry, Nancy. Go ahead. Go ahead. You have to make labels for the envelopes. You have to stuff the cassettes in the envelopes, and you know, then you do return envelopes. Or no, you don't. You didn't do return envelopes. We tried that, and that didn't work. But you know, it was still it was a lot of work. It wasn't something you got done in a half a day. It took a good day. Yep. Got what, a, what a change now. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yep. And you can. You. I thought Jean had something. Well, I got one other story. No, that's okay. It's okay. We got. We're, we've got more people that we're want to talk. It, yeah, we're so getting. This, we're getting under the wire. This is funny. You know, we've been yeah. all serious, and I want to tell a funny story. So we used to hold, or we still hold, the legislative weekend in Albany, New York, and the Albany chapter is the chairs, the um, hospitality room. And we've been meeting in the same hotel for eons. Uh, And so one year we had it and we used to provide a cash box. It was a metal cash box. It had a a lid and all. Well, somehow the lid got left at the hotel one year. It was two or three years later. And we were in the same hospitality room, and there was a bed in there that folded up into a wall. Oh, my. We, I don't know how we found whether somebody stuck their hand in between the mattress and the wall or whatever, but we found the lid to the cash box. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's a lot about the hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Thanks, Nancy. You're welcome. Yeah. All righty. And Nancy, you can mute yourself. Uh, so next we have Don Horn. You should be able to unmute and talk. Don, you should be able to unmute. Um, yep. oh, there you go. I'm there you are. Okay. Here you are, buddy. Hey, Don. Hello. Hello, Don. What wonderful, buddy. Hey, Don. Hello. Hello, Don. What wonderful memories. I got to tell you, Catherine Gleitz, who got me into ACB and all the things that we did, some of which we would never talk about over ACB radio. <laughs> um, That's what David's after hours are for. That's right. And those yes, are the best. Yes. Those are the best stories, so stay tuned. But I will tell you two things. One is sort of an interesting, you know, we talk all about leadership development. Well, in the 80s, I had been very involved in the legislative committee and uh, with Alan Gilman. Alan was just terrific. But Don Moore then became president and said to me, will you chair the legislative committee? And I said, no. I forget why, but for whatever reason, I said no. And he, he wasn't happy with that response. And he said, okay, I respect that. I should have known better because he then said, will you co-chair the legislative committee? And I, well, sure, I'll co-chair it because then I'll have the support of the co-chair. Well, what he didn't tell me was, which he was well aware of, the other person who had expressed an interest in it was a person who would express an interest in it, but that's as far as it would go. <laughs> and it, was about, it was only about seven or eight months later that I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, damn that guy, I'm chairing that committee. And <laughs> I really, I threatened his life, but he's still here. So I guess <laughs> But the other thing I wanted to give voice to is, um, of course, when I took my job with the Commission for the Blind, I stepped way back from involvement with ACB, or at least direct involvement, because of conflict of interest and things of that sort. And um, I stupidly thought at the time that there would really be a time when when the, the consumer, when there would be more of a connection between consumer and provider. Um, that hasn't gone the direction I wanted to go. So sometimes it's been a very painful situation. I will say that I, I love NYSCB. They've been great to me. And as you heard yesterday, although I didn't listen, but we have a great leader. We really yes. we have a wonderful leader. But what you folks probably don't realize, and even though I did write something right before the Rochester Convention, there's not a day of my work that is not impacted by the philosophy of the American Council of the Blind. And I'm not talking about the political beliefs. Those are those are my beliefs and and but but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a few concepts. For example, the idea of choice. One of the things that I do is for most of my clients, if they're able to do it, and most are, about 98% really are, um, I have them, If, if they, sometimes in, in Long Island and the city, it's possible to get services from more than one agency to get the same service. And 
want my clients to do is to come up with a list of questions that they're going to ask and to call the agencies and to talk to the agencies and to come back with a decision, but with also like, well, why? And I talk to them about empowerment. And when we talk in the office staff meetings about rehabilitation, residential rehab because residential rehab can be expensive and what i very often say is yeah but the best rehab takes place at 3 a.m when all the professionals are out the door and people think i have three heads but all that business about choice and about choosing and maybe choosing things that maybe we don't agree with as professional and i'm not saying that they're not right professionally i'm saying maybe if we were making the choice we might make different choices or um but to really honor that and to really empower people and to realize that everyone i like what gene was saying before about everyone being an individual and having individual needs but not only that you're the expert on you i'm not I'm the professional with the expertise on vision impairment. I'm the professional who has to make decisions about taxpayer money. But even when I do that, I will say to people, we are not going to sponsor this. And here's why. But not, you can't do it because it's a different message. And a lot of those things and many, 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 many more, I learned through my involvement with ACB of New York and ACB National. And I hope that the new members will not only love the organization and the, but really learn what is ACB when you say you're a member of ACB what does that mean what does that stand for what what are you really saying when you say that the one thing I hope for our future because we've been looking at the past I think ACB is starting to become more representative of the community as as a whole, I, I went to, I listened to the CCLVI meeting this morning and I was thrilled because 90% of my clients have usable vision, but 90% of the people I meet at national convention don't. I have lots of clients with traumatic brain injury, lots of clients with mental health issues. And up until recently, that really hasn't been represented in ACB. I think when we talk about diversity, we're not only talking about race and ethnicity, we're talking about embracing everyone's quality and talent. And so that's what I think we need to be thinking about. And I'll just say one more thing. Mary Ellen brought back wonderful memories, but she didn't tell you that because it was St. Patrick's Day, she decided to do the Irish jig in the LOB. <laughs> Don, I just want you to know, I still have that article you wrote. Oh, wow. I, just, I found it the other day and I'm keeping it because I think it's so wonderful. Yep. And, and Mike, I never got to. Mike, Mike Dino, I never got to tell you. I'm okay. sorry. What? Yeah, we're six twenty. Yep. I was okay. just you, say, got, you got one more hand. I was just going right. to say, Mike Dino, and I never got to tell you that I still have all those resolutions that you wrote about so voting. Who has the last Already word? The last hand. Thank you. Oh. The last word is going to be Rahil Ahmed. Okay. Going to Hello, Rahil. Talk, Rahil. Uh, How are you doing? Hey, Rahil. Hey. We're great. We're good, Rahil. I'm I'm doing I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're good. What would you like to share? We are gonna we you're the last person. We're gonna wrap up. So share what you would uh, like, please. Um I've been an uh ACB member for about 
uh, roughly two years in the Albany Albany area, and it it's it's a lot of fun because you get to like go to the you get to go out when you have those meetings in the uh, Gateway Diner, and you get to hear about different things, hear about you know public transportation, and I also got to volunteer at the Crossgates Mall, which is in uh, Gilsland, New York, which is in Albany. And I got to volunteer with my ace, my white cane shirt on that had a picture of a dog on one side, a picture of the cane on the other side. And it was for the It's the Law campaign. And that's what I got to do. Thank you. That is cool. cool. And Thanks I've been for sharing. for two years and, and it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Well, so, we're glad you're with us. sharing. Thank you very much, Rahil. Okay, Annie, thank you, everybody. This was a blast. And um, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's good to hear everybody's voices. Thanks, everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. Nice job sharing, Audrey. Good to hear your voice. Thanks, Kath. Great job, Audrey. Thanks. And, and I didn't mean to yeah. shout over everybody before. I, no worries. No, we're all good. We're, it's all good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, this is it. We've we've come to the end. I keep hearing that song in my head. It's closing time. Anyway, um, <laughs> so as your convention chairperson, uh, there's a lot of uh, thanks that I want to send out. Um, all our sponsors, uh, uh, so Spectrum, Orcam, Northeast Association of the Blind, CAPI, Lighthouse Guild, and DeWitt Intangible Surface Research Limited, Behind Our Eyes, Newsreel Magazine, and New York State Preferred Source Program. I'd also like to thank all my presenters and special thanks to Stanley Holbrook for a very meaningful and thoughtful and real conversation at the diversity um, at the diversity session yesterday. David Dunphy for the after, after hours stuff. And speaking of after hours, if anybody wants the link to um, to the Zoom room that David's going to host in a little while, you can, uh, um, if you don't have it in the program, you can email secretary at acbny.info and I will send you the link, okay? So, because I'll be on the computer for about the next 45 minutes. And if you get that to me, I'll get you the David's link. But it is in the program. So, just wanted to tell you that. Um, I want to thank everybody at ACB Radio. Rick, Debbie, Jason, Tyson, um, uh, Lynn, Jeff, Ray. Did I miss anybody? I hope not. If I did, uh, I didn't mean to miss you. But ACB, Oh, uh, okay. Um, so I, I, without you all, New York would not be what we are for the, uh, and would not have been able to do what we've done for the last two days. So I want to thank everybody, all our hosts, all our panelists, all our attendees, uh, everyone. Uh, it was, it was extremely gratifying for me, uh, and the committee to do this. And I'm just proud of New York. So, um, uh, so thank you. And Karen, take it away. You've got last word. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't, that might be a mistake. But <laughs> no, I don't think let's, so. <laughs> let, let's hope not. Um, as, as Annie just listed through all the sponsors, um, I echo everything she said. And I, I thank all the sponsors. Um, 
you know, we, we appreciate you and, um, we think you're awesome, but a special thanks to ACB radio and all the time and effort they did put into, to working with us on this. But the one person who put, I think just so much time and energy and everything she has into it is to Angie Apata. And without you, Annie, I'm, I'm not sure that this convention would have went off as well as it did. So, I, I am sending you virtual hugs, pats <laughs> on the backs, and, and just yeah. everything I have in me to thank you. Um, to all the presenters, thank you for taking the time. You all were wonderful and fabulous. Um, the Through the Decades was was a wonderful presentation for those of us who, who don't go as far back as, <laughs> as some of you might. Um, and uh, there were multiple times during that I had my hand raised and then I put it down because I thought, ah, you know, let everybody else talk. But um, <laughs> I, as, as president, there was one person in the organization that stood out to me. And I, I just, I need to recognize her because if it wasn't for her, I'm not sure that I'd be in the position I'm in. And um, in 2014, I attended a convention in Long Island for, for ACB. And, um, I was awestruck at a business meeting watching Gene Mann, who had the most um, intricate knowledge of policy and procedure. And I just sat there going, I really want to be like her when I grow up. And um, Jean, I hope I make you proud. But in conclusion of the convention, it was wonderful. Um, I am hoping next year we can all meet in person. Um, but to everybody who did join, contribute, panelists, sponsors, ACB Radio, and of course, Annie, thank you. And I hope everybody stays safe and we'll see you all next year. All right. Woohoo! Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray
It's up to you. New 